McKeon. Here. Councilmember Bolton. Here. Councilmember Burns. Here. All present. Thank you. Uh, City Council members, comments, three minutes. Uh, is, would any council member like to make a comment at this time? Please. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, there were a couple of events that I um, attended uh, in the past two weeks, and I just wanted to share a little bit about each of them, although they are uh, different events, but I'll explain why I'm mentioning them uh, both in a second. So uh, one event was the Seroptimist Awards. Uh, they give out scholarships to single moms who are trying to complete their education. Um, and uh, it was just a really moving thing to see these young women who have overcome a lot. Some of them were in the foster care system. Some of them were victims of human trafficking. Uh, but all of them um, were trying to overcome the circumstances that they had in life uh, and complete their education and, and set a really good example for their own children. Uh, so I thank Terry Rose uh, for inviting us to come to that event. And the second one was the Council on Aging, Aging Meeting, which was March the 2nd. Um, and among other administrative things like going over their budget, they also had three guests who shared their stories about being um, homeless and being a senior citizen. Um, it highlights that this is a particular concern about seniors who are homeless. I think we'll see some statistics today um, on the presentation with uh, the uh, Homeless Task Force folks that show that there's a significant uh, proportion of folks in the shelter and folks that they encounter um, on their day-to-day -day who are senior citizens. But th those are two different types of events, but what got me thinking about the two of them together was this. So I was, as I was leaving the Seroptimist event that night, um, I was thinking how great it was that um, our community extends so much charity to folks in need so we help not only single moms, but we help uh, kids in the foster care system, kids who need any kind of help at all. Um, we help people who are victims of domestic violence, uh, animals, environmental causes, you name it. And what struck me about um, that particular knowledge, knowing how generous our community is, is this. We're gonna have a lot of discussions about housing tonight and in the future. It's difficult for me to think about how charitable we can be and reconcile that with, at the same time, saying to people, um, great work, uh, but I hope you don't think that you deserve to live in Huntington Beach. Um, we have a tendency, or at least I'll speak for myself, I have a tendency to focus on you know, ordinances, should we adopt this, should we pass that, what's the um, you know, dispute du jour? But all of these policy decisions matter and they say something about who we are as a community. And so my question to myself is, what does it mean if I am charitable and um, you know, donate my time to causes, but at the same time, we withdraw that hand of charity when folks need a place to live? Thank you, that's all. Any other members? Seeing none. Uh, City Clerk, do we have any supplemental communications? Not for this portion of the meeting, no. Okay. City Clerk, do we have anyone signed up to speak at this portion? We do. We have two people signed up to speak. Will you please both come to the podium? We have Michael Shepard and Shirley Detloff. Thank you. Thank you, um, council members. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. My name is Shirley Detloff, and I'm representing Homeless United. We have read the report and wanted you to know that we appreciate the work your staff has done. 
This report shows all of the cost and projects and what the city or other entities were responsible for. We hope that you will use this as the foundation to build upon and to continue working towards eliminating homelessness. Through the work of many individuals, we were able to meet the legal requirements and to meet the needs of those who for many culture. We now have a navigation center, be well, a converted hotel, which will be for permanent housing, and soon to be opened apartment for our elderly women who find themselves homeless. I hope you will appreciate the work being done by your staff and to see that you have a very well-prepared staff report, and I hope we can start building your future based on their conclusions. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Thank you, Council. My name is Michael Shepard, and I am the Housing Advocacy Program Manager at Orange County United Way. One of my roles there is to be of assistance to cities to help them understand the context of homelessness and how they can be part of housing solutions for all of our communities. We are nonpartisan, and we are not seeking any funding from the city of Huntington Beach. We appreciate the decision of this council to unanimously call for this study session earlier this year. I had the opportunity to review the staff presentation and I have a few notes for your consideration. When we look at the city by city breakdowns, there are areas where Huntington Beach has been at the leading front of shelter and housing solutions from the last few years. This is positive momentum that I would encourage you to keep in mind as you are considering your options in the near future. Another consideration that other cities have brought up in our conversations has to do with the price tag of homelessness programs and housing developments. Your staff report wisely distinguishes between funding sources from beyond the city and those from the general fund. Lastly, I wanna offer our assistance to support your leadership here in Huntington Beach. Homelessness is an issue that affects all of our communities and our response is stronger when we are able to collaborate in good faith and involve the voices of people with lived experience as well as practitioners. Whether you are coming to this report on the basis of public safety, economic concern, faith commitments, or humanitarian relief, the prioritization of housing is the most expedient, sustainable, and dignified way to support your constituents, both housed and those yet to be housed. Thank you for your attention, and I'm looking forward to working with you more in the future. Thank you, Michael. Is that all the speakers? Yes, Mayor. Okay, thank you. Uh, at this time, uh, City Council will re uh, receive comments from members of the public regarding any topic, uh, including items on the study session and or closed session agendas. Individuals wishing to provide comment uh, on the items may do so in person by filling out requests to speak and deliver to City Clerk. All speakers are encouraged but not required to identify themselves by name. Each speaker may have up to three minutes unless the volume of speakers warrants reducing the time allowance. Please note the Brown Act does not allow discussion or any topics that are not on the agenda. Members of the public who would like to speak directly with council members on the item uh, not on the agenda may schedule an appointment contacting City Council Administrative Assistant at 714-536-5553 or email the entire City Council at city.council at surfcity-hb.org. Um, I should have done that before, obviously, but Sorry. I want to make sure that I, it's in the record. Um, so now, uh, study session. City Clerk, uh, 
we're going to staff, do we have a presentation CPAB roll call? Yeah, we're gonna do the CPAB roll call right now. Okay. So I'll go ahead and start that. Chair Massey. Chair, Vice Chair Hoskinson. Here. Secretary Paris. Here. Board members Hamill. Here. Inouye. Here. Jackson. Here. Latchman. I think we have a quorum. Okay, thank you. Uh, staff, do we have a presentation? Uh, yes, we do. Um, good afternoon, Mayor Strickland and members of the City Council and Vice Chair Hawkinson. Hoskinson and members of the Citizen Participation Advisory Board. Charles Kovac, Housing Manager. With me this afternoon is Greg Huang. He's our Senior Housing Analyst. This afternoon I'll be presenting on the upcoming 2023-24 Community Development Block Grant Funding as recommended to the City Council by the CPAB and the proposed Home Investment Partnerships by the um, Program Funding. Thank you. Uh, community Development Block Grant, community referred, com commonly referred to as CDBG and Home Investment Partnership <coughs> Funds, referred to and home funds, come to the city as Huntington Beach Entitlement Grants from the United States Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD. For 2023-24, the city will be allocated $1.17 million in CDBG funds and approximately 668,000 in home funds. This is a 1% reduction from the current year of 2022-23. Public participation is a major component in the CDBG and home funding process. The CDBG and home funding process begins every year with, this, with a notice of funding availability inviting applications for eligible public services programs. This year, the city solicited proposals from more than 20 local social service providers and received seven applications. Applications were evaluated for program eligibility, and then the CPAB held three public meetings to review the applications, hear presentations from the applicants, and make funding recommendations to the City Council for their consideration. Uh, the CPAB's recommendations are basically largely on the City's priority objectives for the programs that are established by the City Council in a document called the Consolidated Plan. Our current Consolidated Plan was adopted in 2020. CDAT, CDBG is a principal federal program for providing a local governments with grants to improve the physical, economic, and social conditions in their communities. The purpose of the program is to create and maintain decent housing and suitable living environment and to expand economic opportunities for low and moderate income residents. The CDBG activities must meet one of the three national objectives shown here. For the CDBG activities in the city of Huntington Beach, the national objective is met by providing projects programs that serve and benefit low and moderate income residents. As outlined in the city's 2020-2024 consolidated plan, the local priority objectives are to address housing, homelessness, special needs individuals, youth, 
upgrade of public facilities, and infrastructure improvements. The CDBG allocations are broken down by three categories, including a maximum of 15% that can be spent on CDBG public service activities, a maximum of 20% that can be spent on administration, with the balance of 65% allocated to capital and housing preservation projects. HOME is the principal federal program providing local governments with grants for affordable housing for low and moderate income residents and consists of eligible activities such as housing rehabilitation and tenant-based rental assistance program, also known as TBRA. As with CDBG public services, CDBG capital activities must meet the local objectives identified in the 2020-2024 consolidated plan, including preserving existing affordable housing, creating new affordable housing, and TBRA. Similar to CDBG funding, home funding allocations are broken down by the three categories, including a maximum of 10% can be spent on home administration, 15% on a community housing development organization which develops affordable housing projects, and they're commonly referred to as CHODO projects, with the balance of 75% allocated to creating new and preserving existing affordable housing. The total estimated funding available through CDBG and HOME next fiscal year is approximately $2.5 million. It should be noted that the $2.5 million includes the 2023-24 allocation of $1.17 million, along with estimated uh, carryover funds from the current program year of 2022-23 and program income derived from loan repayments. And then actually, I should correct myself. The 2.5 is the total of home and CDBG. CDBG alone is 1.56 million. Prior to uh, showing you the CDBG and home funding recommendations, I want to um, outline the funding process and next steps. The process started, like I said earlier, last November and December with the NOFA and the application deadlines. In February, the CPAB heard presentations from each applicant and made their funding recommendations. After this study session today, the City Council will consider the final recommendations as part of the 2023-24 Annual Action Plan at a required public hearing on April 18th. Upon City Council consideration and approval on April 18th, the 23-24 Action Plan will be submitted to HUD by May 15th and the new program year will begin on July 1st. It should be noted that in addition to the considering approval of the action plan in April, the City Council will also consider amendments to the Citizen Participation Plan. Amendments to the plan consist of updating Council meeting dates and times, reducing the number of public hearings to be aligned with HUD regulations, and updating like, contact information uh, for City staff. On February 22nd, the CPAB recommended to the City Council the following public service funding allocations based upon the maximum CDBG public services allocation of 175,750, which is 15% of the, of the allocation for 23-24. The CPAB recommended four organizations for funding as shown here. One application was not recommended, recommended for funding, uh, South County Outreach. 
Two applications were recommended for funding but did not receive full funding as the CPAB recommended only full funding for the Oakview's Children's Bureau and Robin's Nest programs. And as you can see, the, the amount of funding was a lot less than the requested funding, so some consideration and deliberations by the CPAB had to be met to reduce and make sure that it all fit, fit within the $175,750 mark. Um, the recommended allocation for CDBG administration is shown here. The maximum allocation is 20% and includes the HUD mandated activity of Fair Housing Services, which the city received only one applicant for from the Fair Housing Foundation. The CDBG capital project allocations were primarily based upon continuing the current projects and programs related to TBRA administration, special code enforcement, ADA infrastructure improvements, and the housing rehabilitation loan grant program. The home allocations are based upon continuing the current TBRA program with service providers Mercy House and Families Forward, which amounts to 400000 and funding the second year of the mobile home TBRA program for seniors for approximately 350000 The 15% allocation for a CHODO project will be reserved for a future affordable housing project that is to be considered for development by the City Council. The balance of the funding is for home administration consisting of the maximum 10%. That concludes the presentation. I would also like to offer briefings to each council member if you'd like to discuss the proposed projects and funding in more detail before the April 18th public hearing meeting. And finally, I would like to take the opportunity to thank the CPAB members on their efforts and invite Vice Chair Hoskinson to say a few words regarding the process and um, any other recommendations. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Council. My name is Mike Hoskinson. I'm the Vice Chair of uh, Citizen Participation Board this year. Uh, Chairman Massey was called away at the last minute for a um, work, uh, out-of-state work binge, so here I am. Just wanted to first thank staff for all their hard work uh, and, of course, all our board members. Uh, we, we were struggling a bit because all of these charities are fantastic. They do good work, and the, the only real problem we have is we need more money. To give them, uh, they, you know, there's some really good uh, folks doing some hard work out there for the folks, and and they just need more money. So we'd love to work this year to figure out where we can get more funding because uh, the, of the limitations of the 15% uh, overall. But uh, and we want to, of course, thank all the folks that came and presented for us, and and uh, we are so sorry we weren't, weren't able to fund a few of them, but. We know we have over 25 different charities that are potentially uh, able to get money from the city, and we'd like to work to get them back in the mix. There's a lot of them, uh, seniors-based ones that uh, were not there, so we'd love to get them back in and uh, apply and get some folks. But, but again, it comes down to funding, and we certainly would uh, entertain any thoughts about how to get more money into this arena so we could uh, do some more good. But we did some good this year, and we're real proud of it. But thank you for the time. We appreciate it. Any questions from the members? I just would like to request uh, one of those briefings that you offered. Thank you. Thank you guys for putting this together and all the hard work. Councilwoman. 
Yes, thank everybody. I thank everybody for all of their efforts with this. I know it was difficult. I did go to one of the sessions and um, where the presentations were given, and it's difficult because there's so many so many good things that are being done. Um, and this is really kind of a drop in the bucket for many of them as well. Um, I did want to acknowledge um, South County Outreach um, as well. I know you weren't able to give um, funding to them or recommend funding, um, but one thing that they do is provide assistance um, for those with food insecurity. And I think that this is one thing um, as we move forward with regards to homelessness that we will need to keep an eye on as well um, in the prevention arena. And then one, one final note on this, and I know we'll get to talk about it more at the next um, session when we speak about it, but I did note that at least three of the entities here are for people supporting or organizations supporting homeless youth or underhoused youth. And I think that that's really notable, um, especially given that we often talk about who are the homeless and in this case, three organizations are supporting our community members and those that are underhoused. So, thank you. Anything else? Seeing none. Uh, members, we're going to move to closed session, uh, pursuant to Government Code Section 54. There, we have one other item. One moment. There's two study sessions. Oh, uh, sorry. Okay. I want to rush to. No, never mind. Sorry. Um, Thanks again for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, staff, do we have another presentation? Yeah. Yeah. No, um, yeah. See that. Ooh, watch, watch your stuff. Just as soon as you said it. <laughs> Chief, thank you. Sorry about that. So thank you for the opportunity. Uh, Lieutenant Brian Smith is going to go through a homeless services uh, presentation, and he's going to go over some numbers, some background, and some history of, the, uh, uh, of the, our homeless services operations here. So I'm going to turn it over to Brian. Thank you, Chief. Good afternoon, Mayor Strickland and Honorable City Council. On January 17th, the City Council requested then Director of Homelessness and Behavioral Health Services, Jason Austin, return to provide Council with a comprehensive review of the City's efforts to address homelessness. Since that time, Mr. Austin resigned and I was asked to assume some of his responsibilities in the interim. I'm honored to be here to share the information, not only with you, the Council, but our community as well. Throughout this presentation, I may use terms such as homeless, individuals experiencing homelessness, and transient. These terms will be used synonymously to mean an individual or family who lack a fixed, regular, or adequate residence. This presentation will be focused on what we have done leading up to today. I will come back to the City Council next meeting and present an updated 90-day plan to address homelessness in our community. Lieutenant Smith? Yes. Can we ask uh, questions throughout the, the presentation? Yes. Thank you. Since Huntington Beach is a tourist destination with a Mediterranean climate and amenities that draw an estimated 11 million visitors annually, one could expect our city to also be a destination for individuals experiencing homelessness. While there have been actions in the past to address homelessness within our community, the foundation of our current programs started around 2012 when a squad of police officers took it upon themselves to begin engaging individuals experiencing homelessness in the downtown business district. Quickly, the department recognized benefits from having a group of officers who work closely with individuals experiencing homelessness. 
However, it also became apparent this was not just a policing issue, as policing alone did not necessarily impact those not engaging in criminal behaviors or those suffering from medical and mental health issues. Over the past 11 years, our programs have expanded to what they are today. While there have been many council actions, community meetings, and countless efforts by our city and elected officials, I would like to point out a couple events that helped shape our approach. In 2018, the Martin versus Boise ruling was published by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, a case in which, in 2019, the Supreme Court let stand. Martin versus Boise essentially ruled that enforcement of anti-camping and anti-loitering ordinances are unconstitutional because they criminalize homelessness and are only enforceable if alternative sleeping space is available. In 2019, in response to the county's efforts to clean up the Santa Ana River Channel, the Orange County Catholic workers filed suit against the County of Orange in the cities of Anaheim, Costa Mesa, and Orange, which was ultimately expanded to include 12 additional cities. This case involved allegations of 4th, 8th, and 14th Amendment violations, as well as violations of the Americans with Disabilities Act, which led to a settlement agreement establishing a standard of care in Orange County. As a municipality, Orange County avoided inclusion in this lawsuit by committing to establishing our own systems within the city of Huntington Beach. In October 2019, the City Council held a study session regarding funding availability for the Navigation Center, and on August 3rd of 2020, authorized the city manager to begin operations of a 174-bed facility, which opened in December. Following this expansion of services, the city hired a deputy director of homelessness and behavioral health services, and in September of 2021, the police department reorganized, which included establishing our community outreach bureau to ensure a single chain of command for the homeless task force with a dedicated supervisor. And lastly, in April of 2022, the city council permitted the city manager to negotiate with Jamboree Housing to explore funding and development of a permanent services center on the site of the current navigation center. The first thing I'd like to explore is the overarching problem impacting our nation and disproportionately our state by providing a snapshot of the community we serve. While California represents only 11.6 of our nation's population, our state is home to over 27% of our nation's individuals experiencing homelessness. Within the state of California, Huntington Beach represents just under one half of 1% of the state's total population and is home to two tenths of 1% of the homeless population with a ratio of 16.9 individuals experiencing homelessness per 10,000 residents. To put that into perspective, Humboldt County leads the nation with 125.5 individuals experiencing homelessness per 10,000, while Los Angeles was 10th with 69. Orange County ranks 83rd in the country and 35th in the state with a rate of 22 per 100,000. If we were on par with the countywide average, we would be expected to have 433 individuals experiencing homelessness. And if we were, if our population was directly correlated to our percentage of state population compared to the population of homeless individuals, we would expect to have over 800 individuals experiencing homelessness in our community. To further expand on our population of individuals experiencing homelessness, I'll be using data from the 2019 and 2022 point-in-time counts. The point-in-time count is a biannual HUD-mandated program required for each continuum of, of care. The point-in-time count conducted in 22, 2022 recorded 188 unsheltered individuals and 142 sheltered individuals in Huntington Beach. For clarification, unsheltered refers to a person who resides in a place not meant for human habitation such as cars, parks, sidewalks, abandoned buildings, or on the street. Whereas sheltered refers to homeless persons who reside in an emergency shelter, transitional housing, 
or supportive housing for homeless persons who originally came from the streets or an emergency shelter. Since the point time count, the number of sheltered individuals has presumably increased with the Navigation Center now operating at full capacity of 174 beds, along with additional beds available at the HB Oasis Home Key site. The other cities you'll see listed on this slide represent fall, those falling within the Orange County Healthcare Agency's Central Service Planning Area, or SPA. This is a geographic region designated for tracking, planning, and the coordination of regional services. According to their own website, the county's healthcare agency is charged with protecting and promoting individual, family, and community health through partnership and coordination of public and private sector resources. While there are outliers affecting the point in time count, one item to note is that within the Orange County Central Spa, Huntington Beach is the only city who saw a reduction in unsheltered individuals, an increase in sheltered individuals, and an overall decrease in individuals experiencing homelessness between the 2019 and 2022 point in time counts. I would also like to point out a typo in there is that Costa Mesa saw a 37 person reduction in unsheltered individuals um, instead of an increase. Lieutenant Smith, so yes. I just want to jump in. This is to me the, the critical uh, data that we need. So essentially the, the point in time count of homeless, the homeless population in 2019 was 349 individuals. Yes, sir. And then in 2022 was 330. <clears throat> um, so in terms of like sheltered and unsheltered, I mean, former council member Kim Carr, she's repeatedly boasted that from, you know, 19 to 22, HB reduced the unsheltered population by 35%. And she even did so last night. And to me, that's not the true metric to focus on, and it's, it's misleading. You know, unsheltered, as you described, means they are in the navigation center, but they're technically still homeless, and they're utilizing public resources. So I don't feel that's, that's success. I think the true metric we should be looking at is getting people off of the street, out of the navigation center, and then into the county services as they navigate through. And so that metric is the point in time count, which dropped from 349 in 19 to 330 in 2022, or 19 individuals, and that equates to 5%, not 35%. So I just want to level set with the community that, in my opinion, I think that's a stat we need to focus on, is how many people are we getting off the street, into the shelter, out of the shelter, then into the county services. Because we have 174 beds in the shelter, and as of this morning, 152 beds were occupied, so we're at an 89% capacity. And so we need to focus on getting them out of the shelter and into the county services so that other individuals can be brought into the shelter. So my question is, like, is there a maximum time that they can be in the shelter? The contract we have with Mercy House uh, has a 90-day initial period with an additional 90 days permissible as long as they're making progress. But that is one of the things I'll be looking at and further expand on in our 90-day plan is how to um, increase the success rates and to reduce the length of stays of individuals in that program so that they can move on to permanent supportive housing or other programs that might benefit them more. Perfect, and just wanna clarify the community because there has been some comments about our 90-day plan. So this is step one to deconstruct all the services that the city and the county is providing and then level set and create a baseline that we can uh, look back to as we progress through to make sure we're having measurable success. And we'll come back at another study session at the next meeting with our 90-day plan to combat homelessness with Lieutenant Smith and the police officer's help. So I just wanna make sure the community's clear on that. I, I'm not clear now. Um, yeah. So that's a net number, right? So the 289 unsheltered to 188 unsheltered and the 60 uh, sheltered to 142. 
Those aren't necessarily the same individuals that we counted in 2019 to 2022 because we don't have a name database, correct? Correct. We do not maintain a name database. So that's the net result. So there's folks that are coming out of being unsheltered that got sheltered through some other means um, that are not in our shelter per se. They're not homeless anymore. And that's not reflected in this data, correct? Correct. It's a, a fluctuating number. It's a fungible, it's it's a, it's a fungible number, right? So yeah, the 19 total, but that doesn't account for the folks that came out of the system and came sure. into the system. So this is a net number, not the gross number. I understand. And so I think like, it's a mischaracterization yeah. to state that we need to get folks. Out. There's folks that aren't accounted for in this, right? Because it's a, it's an, it's not the gross number of homeless people that came through the system. So I think it's a. Well, walk walk me through point in time count then. If our, if our, we went from 349 to 330, so I mean, doesn't the county do a point in time count of how the many same people though? So more people fell into homelessness. Sure. At this point, right? Right. But I say the goal is to to get that number down, that homeless population down, and always have the you know the net number obviously increase of getting them off the streets. Sure, but I think it's it's a mischaracterization to say we only decreased. Home- if I would decrease net homelessness by five, I'll give you that. Well, I, that, that's to me the ultimate goal is, is net, right? Sure, but you, you've still got people falling into homelessness. And sure. So I think you've got to turn the spigot off on one end okay. before you claim that. I the just other think, end I think that thirty-five to five percent is a huge delta. So I think we should focus on net, taking into account what you're talking about. But I think that's also a very misleading stat. She keeps saying about we've reduced by thirty-five percent. Well, she, I think she specifically stated we reduced the unsheltered homelessness population, which is but they fall out and they come back in. Which they fall is, but out. it's accurate though. Well, again, we're looking at the net number, right? They, they go in, they come. Uh, you are. Well, I, I think I'm that's... saying that you're 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 making statements about other folks that are making positively fact-based statements. Okay. Um, and I think mischaracterizing some of this data here is this is the net data. So we still have people falling into homelessness, and we need to fix that problem, sure. right? Yeah. I mean, there's folks that said we just had our presentation on CDBG dollars, which should help folks fall at, falling into homelessness. But sure. We need to pl- we, but like, like, like anything in business, right, you focus on the net number. So I, get, I understand yeah, that the gross number fluctuates, but net, we want to have a net positive result each year looking back. No one's arguing that okay. point. All right. It's difficult to quantify the impact homelessness has on a community, as its impacts are not just the individuals experiencing homelessness, but also the community in a variety of ways. Over the years, there have been studies on the cost associated with the overall impact of homeless, homelessness. Over a 12-month period spanning 2014 and 2015, researchers from UC Irvine estimated $299 million was spent countywide addressing homelessness. This included over $23 million related to criminal justice contacts, such as policing, custody, and judicial operations, while another $121 million was spent by the healthcare industry. The report estimated the average annual cost per individual experiencing homelessness to be $45,000 per year for these services, which if multiplied by the number of individuals experiencing homelessness in Huntington Beach, that would equate to an impact of nearly $15 million, or in today's economy, $19 million. So Lieutenant Smith, can you kind of expand on that a little bit, because that's obviously a, a big number to, to people. So what does that really mean? That's not necessarily what Huntington Beach is paying, but the cost to us of our services and impact and our hospitals, et cetera, right? Correct. What the researchers did is they went around and interviewed hundreds of homeless individuals and then kind of followed through the programs and got an, est- an approximate cost of all those services and then multiplied it by the total known number of homeless individuals. And that ranged from the average was 45000 and upwards of 100000 for chronically homeless individuals as far as the cost it is to maintain those systems between policing, hospital, community resources, things like that, not specifically the city of Huntington Beach. 
While it is difficult to compile a complete list of all services available to those experiencing homelessness or those at risk of experiencing homelessness, I have created a list of several we frequently work with, and I apologize to anybody I left off of here. As a municipality, we provide dedicated police homeless task force staffing, social workers, Be Well Mobile Crisis Response, the Navigation Center operated by Mercy House, HB Cares Volunteer Program, and tenant-based rental assistance. Additionally, we have the Honey to Beach Youth Shelter, operated by Waymakers, who provides shelter and emergency care for emergency shelter for runaway, homeless, abused, and at-risk youth. Within the county, there are two regular county-funded shelters and an emergency seasonal cold weather shelter, in addition to six former motel sites being converted into permanent supportive housing, including our own Huntington Beach Oasis site, three in Stanton, one in Anaheim, and one in Costa Mesa. Several Orange County municipalities have their own shelters or navigation centers, either built or in the process of being constructed, including Buena Park and Placentia, who will host North County shelters, Costa Mesa, who also supports Newport Beach efforts, Garden Grove, who will host a facility with the cities of Westminster and Fountain Valley, along with cities of Fullerton, Santa Ana, Tustin, Anaheim, and Laguna Beach. Within our own community, we have tremendous support, including from our long-term partner, Coast to Coast Foundation, who raises funds, provides outreach, and assists us in many ways, including helping individuals reunite with family members and support networks outside the area. Lieutenant Smith? Yes. Uh, which services on here do we duplicate that the county performs or should be performing? So some of them we duplicate, such as our, our social workers and uh, Be Well, that somewhat covered by Orange County healthcare agencies by their uh, PERT teams. However, we would have to, we share those resources within the county, which means we don't get the immediate response time we do or the level of care and follow-up for our community members um, that we would get from having our own resources. Okay, so it's more quality control that if we control the process? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Can I say something really quickly? Yes, ma'am. Um, I would say that it's not dupli duplicative um, to have Be Well um, and the county team because they do do different things and they were Correct. very clear with one another or Be Well wouldn't be able to be doing what they're doing. Yes, I should say they're more supportive programs that overlap in all overlap with each other's um, missions. Okay, great. And then as um, Councilmember McKeon said, they do really provide us with more quality control, local control, um, and the ability to get to people more quickly. Yes, and for me having that, those resources to do that long-term follow-up and not just getting an on-call person or who have multiple cases that they can really do that focus care to our community members. And I know I spoke with one of our um, caseworkers this last um, week, actually at the um, Council on Aging presentation with the seniors who spoke, and she had mentioned that in uh, past positions that she was in outside of Huntington Beach, where they were relying on the county, um, that when they, when she would get home at night, she would be kind of depressed because essentially she would not be able to figure out how she was going to really help people because it took a long time and the resources were not as, um, as at the ready, I guess. So she was really supportive of all of the work that's been done here because yeah. we have access to so many services. Thank you. Yes. Another recent change to some of the systems is the Yale Navigation Center used to allow walk-ups and referrals from officers and they recently changed it to where now they have to accept entry through the coordinated entry system too, which does, again, slow down the, the processes but helps control what services are being provided. 
the funding sources, the city has identified and utilized several funding sources to minimize the impact of homeless services on our city's general funds. This comes via city, county, state, and federal funding sources. From the city funding sources, we use low and moderate income housing asset funds, also referred to as Lemmy Half. This fund was established in 2011 to conduct the dissolution of operations related to housing assets and activities of our former redevelopment agency. Revenue from this is generated from repayments of affordable housing development loans. Have our infrastructure fund, which the city charter requires 15% of our funds, general funds be transferred into an infrastructure fund for improvements and maintenance. Police department impact funds, general funds, and in several of these parts you will see uh, CARES Act grant funding, which we received allocations from the county, state, and federal CARES Act grants. The CARES Act stands for the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act grant, which was a $2 trillion federal package that included $150 billion for coronavirus relief funds to assist state and local governments to address public health and the economic impacts of COVID-19. The county allocated $1.7 million to the city to pay for unbudgeted expenditures incurred related to our COVID-19 response, and an additional $3 million was provided to the city to build out cost for the sprung structure site for our COVID homeless response. Lieutenant Smith? Yes. Uh, when you say sprung structure, obviously you mean the, the navigation center? Yes. Okay. Just want the, to the temporary structure yep. that currently houses. And then uh, I know this is a, a big uh, topic for the, the residents. So I'd like to ask that these financials uh, be posted online so that the residents can see the accounting of these funds. Yes, sir. If possible to break down. And then I'd like a better detail of you know, how much we are spending, spending normally uh, without these stimulus funds because they are expiring. So essentially, like, what are we receiving each year normally and then how much we are spending? So just take out all the, all the stimulus money that's obviously expiring, if that's possible. And can I add to that, um, you know, I know there's a lot of restricted funds that are there as well, and um, with our discussions about housing and um, the potential of not having a certified housing element, I would also like to include which um, funding resources or sources that are there that will be potentially not there for us if we don't have a certified housing element. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Let's see. Next is the CBDG CARES Act entitlement funding, which was a $2 billion allocated under the Community Development Block Grant Program to aid guarantees in the preparation, prevention, and response to the pandemic. In 2020, Huntington Beach was notified that its total share of CARES Act funding would be just over $2.1 million. We also use uh, SB2, Permanent Local Housing Allocation Funding, which was from a bill signed in 2017 to address the state's housing shortage in high housing cost areas. This funding, the SB2 funding, is dependent on our housing element being certified. We also received approximately $500,000 from a Health and Human Services, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration grant sponsored by Senator Feinstein and a Department of Healthcare Services grant sponsored by Assemblywoman Cotty Petrie Norris, which came to $1.5 million. We also received uh, FEMA public assistance grant, and lastly, Federal Home ARPA grant, American Rescue Plan Act grant, which the city was allocated $2.2 million for eligible activities that provide housing services and shelter to primarily benefit qualifying individuals who are homeless, at risk of being homeless, or in other vulnerable populations. 
Uh, as we continue, I'll break down how each source was utilized. While the city has designated resources assigned to our homeless task force, I'd be remiss to not mention those who support our efforts directly and indirectly. That being our partners in the city manager's office, city attorney's office, city council, fire department, public works, community library services, code enforcement, finance department, and information service. Our homeless task force does not just serve those experiencing homelessness, rather they serve our entire community. The city's homeless task force, designated task force, is comprised of the police department homeless task force officers, Department of Homeless and Behavioral Health Services, along with the Huntington Beach Navigation Center, operated by Mercy House, and our BWO mobile crisis response teams. The various components of our local system of care are designed to work cooperatively with overlapping services to give the best chance of success to those who are we are serving with the ultimate goal of housing stabilization. This begins by examining barriers people are facing that either led them to being homeless or placing them in a position of being at risk of being homeless, and then exploring how to overcome these barriers. This process is unique to each individual we work with, and no single blanket process could adequately address each person's needs. We must also recognize that some choose to live a nomad lifestyle, and there is no constitutional or legal mandates requiring persons to be housed. But for those who are facing barriers, housing stabilization is achieved either individually or via the Orange County uh, coordinated entry system. While the county has a system of care, in my opinion, there are insufficient governmental resources at the county level to assist the needs of all persons residing within the 34 cities in Orange County 24-7. Besides the coordinated entry system, the common county resources we utilize is the mobile crisis assessment team, which provides uh, clinicians to assist in behavioral health crises. The county also provides Huntington Beach with one homeless outreach team worker one day per week who work closely with our homeless task force and a psychiatric emergency response team clinician who rides along with our police officers once a week. While we work cooperatively with the county, having our own system of care reduces delays by ensuring we have dedicated staff on hand to assist our community. Delays in receiving assistance from county programs not only impacts the community members needing assistance, but also places a strain on our public safety resources who, absent our own system of care, would be the only ones available to assist our community in the interim, thus keeping our public safety resources available. Officer Smith? Yes. Um, could you identify some of the, describe some of the barriers? Uh, some, what would prevent some of the people from looking for this help or reaching it? So, like I said, it's all up to individually based, but income is a huge one. Um, just finding the ability to make ends meet. Legal is everything from civil legal action to criminal processes, which sometimes burdens people and makes it difficult for them to get on their feet when they constantly have warrants hanging over their heads or convictions. Um, you know, things just impacting their ability to, to get jobs. Substance abuse and mental health is one that gets a lot of attention because those, those systems are, are lacking, frankly, um, to get people connected to community-based resources. And then, you know, other assistance, a lot of it's just... Lieutenant, I'm sure you don't know this answer, but when you talk about mental health and we talk about resources, the state has a, a huge deficit. Mm -hmm. Are we getting an indication from any of the folks in Sacramento of what kind of that will look like after the budget? 
No, sir. I've not heard anything on that. Okay. Lieutenant Smith, just on the on the barriers, is there data to, to have a percentage on on each one of these categories? On like roughly on the you know homeless population, which percentage is in these in, in these uh, said categories? Is that is that data available? Is there a form of yeah. So people are assessed as they come into our programs, and it's based upon their responses. So I don't have that data with me, but it's something we can look into. And I think it's important to note, too, that this is intersectional, where people experience many of these things oftentimes, and sure. one thing often leads to another. Be good, yeah, it'd be good just to know that, obviously, the root problem, this is what we're trying to address. So it'd be good to understand the breakdown, and if it's, like you said, they're overlapping, if, that's, if that data exists, which I hope it does. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Our police department's homeless task force officers are very involved in our community. They provide the city with specialized service based upon a strong understanding of available resources and current laws and regulations to ensure we do not interfere with anyone's constitutionally protected rights. In 2022, the police department handled over 8,800 calls involving individuals experiencing homelessness or 7.78% of all calls. This is close to what our counterparts are at the fire department are seeing, which shows about 8% of their calls are involving individuals experiencing homelessness. I must add that in no way am I insinuating that just because a person is homeless, they are generating calls for service. Based upon my experience, I would offer that a significant portion of our homeless population do not generate any calls for service for the police department. Our homeless task force officers are a dedicated group of officers who are tasked with engaging our homeless community and the community impacted by homelessness. These officers attend a homeless liaison officer course, and they have also attended an additional 24 hours of additional crisis intervention training, which includes techniques for approaching mentally ill, such as identifying suicide risk factors, cultural issues, effective communications, and de-escalation techniques. To prevent errors from occurring, our homeless task force officers are the only ones who take enforcement action for illegal camping and storage of property in public. This not only protects those experiencing homelessness and their rights, but it also protects the city from liability. One of the most time-consuming but required tasks our officers deal with is property inventory and storage. Our officers are responsible for all property they come in to be in possession of. While some may view an encampment as filled with trash, it is still someone's property. When a person is taken into custody or placed in a shelter, or when we investigate abandoned or unattended property, the officers are required to inventory and book each item, unless it's soiled, saturated, contaminated, or infested, which can be an arduous, time-consuming task. During our initial presentation, there were some questions regarding the need for trucks. Our officers use these trucks to transport property that may otherwise damage the interior of patrol vehicles, or that would take multiple vehicles to transport. In addition, Two of the homeless task force related tasks, our officers must be able to respond to emergencies at all times within our community. Emergency responses that may include high-speed driving tactics, and it would be extremely hazardous to the community and our officers to not provide them with the equipment to respond to these calls. One of the most important statistics, and one of the things I'm most proud of, is out of the 3,588 contacts our homeless task force officers made in 2022, none of these contacts resulted in reportable use of force which is a testament to each officer, the department, and our city as a whole. Lieutenant Smith? Yes. Um, from the 481 referrals to the Navigation Center, do we know how many actually made it to transitional housing? So I do not have that number. And so that referrals is referrals. It doesn't necessarily mean everybody that took referral showed up. Um, 
we encounter a lot of individuals on the streets who may want to try to gather their belongings or do other acts before going into the navigation center. So there's several times where they do not show up to follow up through on those, but we still make the referral so that that bed space is available for them. I wanted to just also acknowledge um, what you just said about the officers. Having you know zero instances of force is very important, and it should be commended. So I thank you, and I thank all of the team um, for doing that. Because you know people experiencing homelessness are very vulnerable, and those situations can escalate, um, maybe more so more quickly than others. And so I just wanted to say thank you, yes. um, and also commend the city in general for that. Yeah, that's great. Prior to 2021, nearly all the responsibilities for managing homeless and behavioral health services fell under the police department. During that time, the case managers, now called social workers, worked out of the police department and under the supervision of various police managers and supervisor. The table of organization for homelessness and behavioral services allows for one director, a social services supervisor, two social workers, and one part-time social worker, and a volunteer services coordinator. Before you is a list of general duties related to each assignment, but I'd like to point out the roles of our volunteer services coordinator who assists with both coordinating volunteer services as well as administrative and analytical tasks. She assists by coordinating various city resources as well as the various community-based groups to help ensure resources are being used to the best benefit of the community we serve. We recently trained our first 12 volunteers who roles will expand as the program develops to include community outreach and other tasks, freeing up staff to focus on providing services. Initially, these volunteers will uh, screen voicemails and emails, make callbacks to those that have reached out for our services. The volunteers are screened and complete a background check and complete training, allowing them to assist inside the police department and city hall facilities, similar to our existing VIP and RSVP volunteer programs. The only cost for this program will be for the volunteer services coordinator spot, the salary, and a minimal cost for t-shirts to ensure our volunteers are identifiable. Lieutenant Smith, real quick, so just to be clear, so we're just uh, fully staffed as one filled position, right, for the coordinator? Yes. And on the other side, so one social service supervisor and then one part-time social worker, correct? Correct. Got it, okay. Yeah, and currently the only positions that are filled is the social worker, which are the two positions are filled, and the volunteer services coordinator. Uh, we're vacant at the director position, the supervisor position, and the part-time position. Um, I noted that you have, for the volunteer services coordinator position, um, the um, data generating reports and conducting research, and I think that that's a great part and uh -huh. uh, use of, um, of that positions, um, efforts. Um, one thing that I would add is I do think that we need um, better data management systems and analysis as we move forward. Um, in my mind, I actually think that there might be an opportunity to add somebody here. Um, maybe perhaps they could work in multiple areas, I'm not sure, but um, you know, there's an opportunity to have more quality by name data um, that we don't presently have. Um, that would also require having somebody that could work and advocate with the county as well to um, get better access to the HMIS data, which is the county doesn't like to give up. Um, so we definitely need, I think, a push there. Um, and um, yeah, that was my main thing. And I do also appreciate you know, the, the fact that we got the social workers um, filled 
the end of last year was, I know it took quite a while to be able to get people for many reasons, but one of those was because of the background checks that were required. So I wanted to acknowledge the, um, the shift that was made to be able to um, kind of lessen or diminish that a little bit, to be able to help get more people who are interested and experienced into these positions, because if we have them vacant, they can't help anybody. So I'm very excited about the folks that are in there now and um, look forward to filling those additional positions. I am as well. And Lieutenant Smith, I'd like to also look into like whether we actually, I don't believe you do, but I'll defer to you, like a director of the Homeless Services Behavioral Health. I mean, like, as we all know, on January 17th, I had a lot of qu questions for Jason Austin at that time, and then the next day he resigns. And so did uh, Misty Ashby, who you know ran the Navigation Center for Mercy House. So you've done a, an amazing job. I don't think the community knows how much time you've spent digging into this. And so I'm hopeful we don't need a director of homelessness. I'm not saying that that person should be you, but you really like taking control of this and, and are really becoming an expert. So that's just something to think about because I, I think he was over $230,000 like, you know, full, with full benefits. So that's just something to think about. Yeah, that's one of the things we're going to evaluate as we move forward is the, the positions that we need. And that's something I'll be doing with the city manager's office and you as a council to evaluate what the needs are in future staffing levels. And there's obviously a significant gap going from myself to social workers, which is an immediate fill I'll be discussing with you in the near future. I wanted to acknowledge the, um, the um, vacancy of uh, Director of Homelessness and Behavioral Health Services as well. And before I do that, I also wanted to commend you, um, you know, Lieutenant, you have really gone after all of this, gathered everything, and really gotten such a hold on this entire system of care that has been created over the last year or two um, in the city of Huntington Beach. Um, I would say that, um, as many on this council have said as well, is homelessness is one of the um, highest and most important um, issues to all of our residents. Um, when you have a system of care, um, it requires, as I know you know, so many different um, uh, knowledge bases, sets of experience, um, and as the most important, um, one of the most important issues in our community, um, I think that it's really important that we have um, a high level um, of executive leadership and that we invest in that. And by the way, I think, again, you're doing a great job, um, but I do think that it is likely, in my opinion, at a director level um, that's required. Um, that being said, too, I don't like the fact that I believe that we're kind of insinuating that um, uh, our previous director quit as a result of questions being asked. Um, I think that it's important to state that uh, Jason Austin did a phenomenal job here um, in the city of Huntington Beach. Um, having worked with him um, very closely on everything, he brought all of his um, knowledge and experience from the county, things that you know it's, most people wouldn't have access to as far as just where things are and how to connect to them. Um, so I just want to make sure that, um, you know, we really haven't had a chance to acknowledge the efforts that he um, uh, contributed um, to our city, and I think that they're very impressive, and I just really want to make sure that we acknowledge that he didn't leave as a result of um, difficult questions. Uh, I know he'd be ready to answer those, but he left as a result of an opportunity. So thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, on to funding for the city employee staffing. Funds for the initial homeless task force officers and case managers were funded through Let Me Have Funds, the bulk of which monies were received prior to the dissolution of the redevelopment agencies. We've now spent a majority of the balance with a large portion spent on the acquisition of the navigation center properties and a commitment to Project Home Key, which I will discuss later. 
Moving forward, revenues from Lemmy Half funding will only come from loan repayments, and those are insufficient to cover staffing costs. We anticipate budget revenues of 200,000 for fiscal year 22-23, which is why personnel costs have been transitioned to being funded from general funds. Previously, the question was asked regarding stark difference in outreach numbers between 2020 and 2021. During those years, the COVID years, uh, due to restrictions and concerns over the seriousness of COVID, our outreach efforts were impacted, resulting in lower numbers. Additionally, we only counted face-to-face -face contacts as being outreach, whereas last year, we began including telephonic outreach efforts toward those numbers to more accurately reflect what our team is engaged in. Tracking and data collection has been an evolving process to ensure we are collecting data and protecting that data in a lawful manner, which varies between involved groups. For instance, the police department can only collect such information as related to criminal behavior or suspected criminal behavior, whereas the other elements have to um, worry about privacy data, HIPAA, and di can collect different information. Additionally, during the period of notable increase, we brought in a director of homelessness and behavioral health, and within the police department, we completed our reorganization. Having additional support, supervision, and managerial personnel dedicated to these programs helps remove administrative workload from officers and our social workers who then can focus on outreach and engagement. Officers, oh, yes. I have a question. Sorry, should have caught you sooner. So I know we discussed this earlier, um, but for those watching, if you can explain why the amount spent on sworn officers increased even though the FTs remains the same, and also how did our contact outreach double? Why did it double? Okay, so on the, the sworn positions, you'll see it says the 5.8 FTE. That's also, we broke down those who were assisting with our homeless outreach and engagement efforts, which included a sergeant, the four officers, and then the .8 represents the lieutenant, at that time Lieutenant Dave Derzinski, who was managing our traffic bureau and also supervising um, and coordinating development of the navigation center and overseeing those operations. So that's where the 5.8 comes from. And then it drops down to 5.5 is after our reorganization where my current position under the Community Outreach Bureau, approximately half my time is spent um, dealing with homeless issues while the other half is spent on school resource officers, downtown area command, and other police-related issues. Um, the increase from year to year uh, can also be attributed to contract cost um, and other raises, things like that. The numbers, again, goes back to um, some of the changes in our data tracking and how we are tracking that data to get more accurate information and to compile it in a way that is useful. So that's, that's kind of the primary for those numbers. And then that our personnel are able to focus on the outreach, treat outreach and engagement, which has been a focus of myself and Director Austin when he was here. Thank you. Now on to our Be Well Mobile Crisis Response Program. Be Well in Orange County operates using funding from public and private funding sources, including the County of Orange, the parent company. The City of Huntington Beach contracts with Be Well to staff mobile crisis response teams that serve our entire community, regardless of age, income, location, health insurance status, or any other factors. This team provides crisis response for triage mental health calls, as well as proactive outreach throughout our community, including into our schools, local businesses, residential settings, our jail facility, and within the Navigation Center. While this program is not specific for our community of individuals experiencing homelessness, they have filled a void that existed in our continuum of care, 
which has included working with our homeless community. Prior to establishing our mobile crisis response team, we had limited options of addressing issues involving mental health or substance abuse, which on a local level was limited to police and fire personnel's involvement with really only four outcomes. We could walk away from the situation, leaving without any resources. If a criminal offense was conduct, committed, we could arrest them and then attempt to seek care through Orange County Jail's mental health, through the county's uh, crisis response teams, or we could cite and release them without any assistance and push them back out on the streets again. And each individual booking cost us approximately $600 per person booked. We could also transport them to medical facilities, either voluntarily or involuntarily, or request assistance from the Orange County Healthcare Agency. Each of those options requires a significant commitment from our public safety resources to either conduct the transports or to stand by for county facilities to come and do the transports for us. BeWell is able to assist in many of those circumstances by providing crisis response, follow-up services, case management, and access to sobering and detoxification facilities. While I'm showing you the cost for the entire BeWell program, 59% of BeWell's calls involved individuals experiencing homelessness. This does not mean 59% of the time or money was spent on engaging homelessness, but just 59% of their calls. This is important to our overall approach regarding homelessness because in general nationwide, it is estimated over one quarter of individuals experiencing homelessness suffer from severe mental illness, while a significant percentage are either drug or alcohol dependent. BeWell provides us with another option, a chance to make a change, a chance for success, another approach outside the realm of public safety. In the analysis provided to the city council in 2021, it was estimated the police department spends the equivalent of two full-time police officers handling calls related to mental wellness. Since August of 2021, BeWell has had two staff members available for response in our community for a total of nearly 8,000 hours, or 16,000 personnel hours. In one year, this is equivalent to over seven full-time staff at a significant savings while helping to ensure our first responders are available for emergency response and proactive work. When fully staffed, BeWell will provide 21-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week coverage. Currently, they provide coverage on the schedule shown up there uh, with the two vans scheduled Sunday through Wednesday, 10 to 10, Thursday through Saturday, 6 a.m. till 3 a.m. And just an anecdotal story of a great example of the services they provide was from our log on February 23rd while I was uh, preparing this presentation. The very first logger into the day was the Hope van, the Be Well van, assisting an elderly resident who was in a moment of personal crisis. Later that shift, they responded to the Main Street Library regarding an individual creating a disturbance. They learned the subject is homeless, has no ties to Huntington Beach, and traveled here from the East Coast. Ultimately, they transported the individual to the cold weather shelter in Fullerton. Later that shift, they assisted the police department by transporting an intoxicated homeless male to the Bewell Sobering Center, where he received medical treatment and will be linked up to other supportive services, with the only cost incurred to the city being our mobile, mobile crisis response team at an approximate cost of $156 for the two hours of time those two team members spent with that individual. In the upcoming fiscal year, this program will be funded 100% by grant funding. And just briefly to show you how they're being utilized, I included these graphics. Um, as mentioned, if they're not actively engaged in calls for service or follow-up, they are proactively patrolling hotspots where our homeless community tends to con congregate and engage in them. 
So, Lieutenant Smith, just to yes. clarify, so 23 and 24 will be fully funded by the state. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. That's big. So, like, what, I know you mentioned, but, like, what's in your mind, like, the percentage of how much they take off your guys' workload to allow you to focus on public safety in the community, would you say? It is significant. Okay. Um, I don't know if I can, you, can, you can't necessarily do one for one right. on the calls for services because the services they provide are much more than what an officer could provide. Sure. Um, but like I said, for that, that one, two-hour transport to the yep. sobering center, not only did it get somebody off the street, it didn't put them back into that endless loop of going to jail on the streets, and it kept our officers available while they did the transport, which takes on average of two hours to transport up to the facility in Orange, right. um, get them entered, accepted in the facility, and then to drive back to our city and become available. That's great. Well, so the community has a lot of questions about what they do, so it's good to understand like, how important they are and how you know, vital they are to, to, to you guys. Yes, a huge asset from, from the police department perspective. And then Lieutenant Smith. Yes. Uh, one more thing on uh, Be Well. So Be Well, um, they, in, they become engaged um, through dispatch, is that correct? Or how, how does that work? So there's two ways for them to, to become engaged with individuals, either through proactive outreach, which does happen more and more where they're flagged down by community members, um, just needing assistance, or through triage calls for service through our police communication center where the communications operators will speak to the caller, evaluate the case, and then try to identify the best resource for a response, whether it's police, fire, be well, or a joint response. Thank you. So if, let's say, anybody sees someone that might benefit from be well, is there a number they call besides the police, or do you recommend they go through the police? All calls should come through the police department, so again, that we can triage it. Um, initially, we had different phone lines set up for the different resources. However, that was one of the changes I made when I took over my position, was going to a single resource because we shouldn't expect the community to have to triage and go through a phone tree. One person, one call, and let us figure out um, the best resources available. Can you provide that number that residents should call? For yes, it's yeah. just our, our dispatch non-emergency, which is area code 714-960-8825. And please do not be alarmed if they answer police communications. That is the appropriate uh, facility to call to get assistance. Can you walk them through, too, while you're talking about the homeless dispatch number? Just, you know, instructions that they should report sus uh, suspicious behavior, be a witness, all those things that help you guys going forward? Right now, would you like me to cover that? or No, yeah, just mention it real quick. Yeah, it's, we need the community's eyes and ears out there. You know what's best and what's quote-unquote normal in an area. If you see something suspicious, something that causes you to pause or hesitate, call us and report it and let us know. Um, we see a lot now people are going on social media, online, or doing the MyHB request, which is great to get information out there. But for us to be able to respond, we need that extra information. And we just ask that the community focuses on the behavior, not necessarily the individual doing it, um, but focus on what behavior they are engaged in that's leading you to be suspicious. And again, you can just call our, our police dispatch number, provide them with what you're seeing, and they will figure out what the best resource is. And if it is a crime in progress or a life and death emergency, 911, all 911 calls in the city of Huntington Beach first come through our police communications center and then get referred out to their, where they're supposed to go. So the quickest and easiest way is just call our dispatch. On to the Navigation Center. One of the most talked about elements in our continuum of care is the Huntington Beach Navigation Center, operated through a contract with Mercy House. The Navigation Center is an element to help connect those experiencing homelessness with the foundation to move on to long-term programs. The site can house 174 individuals and is currently 89% filled. 
This facility is staffed by a minimum of three security staff and Mercy House staff at all times. It's a low barrier shelter. However, access is restricted to those with significant ties to Huntington Beach only after receiving a referral from either our social workers or homeless task force. This is done to help ensure the clients meet the minimum requirements for entry. The facility's contract requires they operate under a good neighbor policy, meaning clients cannot walk or ride from the location in hopes of reducing loitering. Their security also conducts rounds both inside and outside the facility to ensure there's minimal impact on the surrounding community. From December 2020 through November 2022, the county reduced the center's bed capacity and or issued lockdowns due to COVID-19. In 2022 alone, the center was closed for intakes 20% of the time. On December 6th of 2022, the, fine, the county lifted those restrictions and restored our capacity back to 174 beds. And again, as of today, we are 89% full. Lieutenant Smith, real quick. Yes. A lot of uh, frustration in the community that they don't understand why they can't, if someone needs help, take them to the navigation uh, center. You mentioned being a good neighbor policy. Can you explain that and then proper protocol? So some of our concerns initially when it was starting up was if people were able to walk up, that there'd be lines of individuals experiencing homelessness and people loitering in the community um, just waiting for assistance that creates a, a negative image and can impact the surrounding communities. We're aware of that. Uh, but we also have to do an intake and screening of all individuals going in there to make sure it's the appropriate facility for everybody because a low barrier shelter may not be the best. It could be where they need supportive care, medical care, um, or other um, specialized services that may best be served elsewhere. And so that's where, as part of our intake, we try to identify those barriers again and the needs of the individual to help connect them to the best uh, process. And I know you'll touch on on the last slide, but proper intake is at the police station, correct? Correct. So it can either be in the field by the officers or at the police department lobby. We have office hours twice a week uh, that I'll cover in the, at the final slide, as you said. Uh, on average, it takes Mercy House staff 175 days to get an individual placed into permanent housing and 109 days to get someone placed into temporary housing. One of my goals is to bring this average length of stay and the time for placement closer to each other so we can increase their success rates of getting individuals housed. To identify issues that may impact the, surround, the surrounding community, I personally audit all calls for service at the Navigation Center and provide Chief Para with a monthly summary. We do this to hopefully be proactive and identify any potential areas that could future or further impact the surrounding communities. Between December 2020 and December 2022, we provided services to 504 unduplicated individuals. While our point in time count was 330, that was just a snapshot of that particular day. The needs for service varies and is not a static number, so the need for service, again, varies. While 162 have been housed out of the Navigation Center by Mercy House and city staff, some have also found success on their own. To assist individuals in gaining employment, the Navigation Center works with the Chrysalis Program, a nonprofit to help individuals transition back into the workforce. Out of 54 who held employment, six gained employment while at the Navigation Center. And I can actually update that because another one recently gained employment and housing as of last week. This does not take into account those who may be receiving social security income or disability benefits. Since 2020, three individuals have passed away inside of the facility. Um, we're still waiting on the autopsy results on the final two, which I checked on those again last week and they're still pending. The first one was ruled natural while the remaining two are still pending. Um, following these deaths, Mercy House brought in counselors and Be Well to assist their staff and those individuals impacted by that. 
While we take steps to prevent drugs from entering the facility, individuals with addictions will go to extreme lengths to conceal contraband. Staff searches each client when they return to the navigation center, and if they do not consent to a search, they are not allowed to enter the facility. If someone is found to be in possession of narcotics or paraphernalia inside the facility, the matter is handled as a disciplinary issue, which could result in exit from the program 14 or 30 days, depending on the severity and or existence of a behavioral contract. One thing we are working on that I've worked out with um, Be Well and Mercy House staff is for individuals in the future that are found under the influence of alcohol or intoxicants and at risk of being exited, instead of exiting to the street, one of the opportunities we're gonna give them is a chance to go to the Be Well Sobering Campus um, and their bed will be held inside the Navigation Center for 90 days. So again, just another supportive measure to help protect them and protect our community. Uh, all items are collected in amnesty bin or by staff or collective officers once a month and disposed of and according to policy and law. If we receive information regarding narcotics use or sales within this facility, we will investigate it criminally. Um, in addition to the basic shelter and personal care facilities, clients have access to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings twice a week, OC Rescue Mission, access to prevention advocacy and intervention treatment, Department of Motor Vehicles, vital records, Lighthouse Recovery, Notary Services, Eye Clinic, and SOS Medical Van. The services provided are, again, another issue that I'm gonna be focusing on in my review of their programs. We operate the Navigation Center at a cost of $44 per night, per bed, per night, which comes out to $15,982 per year. To put that into perspective, another city I recently met with is paying $50,000 per bed per year, or nearly $137 per bed night. And sorry, I went ahead one extra. There we go. As you can see, a majority of these expenses are covered by restricted funds, including the $13 million spent on preparing the navigation site, most of which came from restricted funds. I would like to point out one increase in site preparation and structure fees from the previous presentation in January, which is due to the addition of an invoice for shelter beds that came in late and was not included in the um, original PowerPoint in January. The land acquisition costs are from a Lenny Half grant, which if not utilized for their intended purposes, a permanent supportive housing site will be repaid. This account cannot retain excessive surplus funds, so any funds in excess of the surplus limits would need to be returned to the state. Our goal is to transition the site into, into permanent supportive housing within five years, which is the common time frame to complete projects using Lemmy Half funds. Building a permanent facility will also mitigate the anticipated increasing maintenance cost of maintaining a temporary structure, uh, which we're currently doing. Any questions about this? I do have a quick question, yes. and you might be talking about it in a minute. Um, but so, since there is a um, a time limit, basically, or that we're under with this, what year was the uh, land purchased? And that one, it was. Twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. Thank you, sir. Sure. Um, so we are five years out, basically, and we're in twenty three right now. So we have two years essentially um, until that timeline 
expires. Um, and I know that you mentioned the permanent supportive housing or essentially affordable housing that needs to be on the site. Um, and this is the same site that we're looking at the permanent shelter um, to be uh, as part of that as the healing center. And I do think that that might be coming up or maybe you already just discussed it. Yes, no, I wasn't going into that in okay. depth because we're looking at what we've done so far. I think that is a, a future. I think it was part of the, um, the timeline in the beginning. Yes, thank so you. yeah, that is something going forward with Jamboree Housing that's being looked at. Great, thank you. The Huntington Beach Oasis room key site, it was started back on December 1st of 2021 when the city council met and authorized collaboration with the County of Orange and American Family Housing to su submit an application for the home key program grant funding initiative. On February 17, 2022, the County of Orange received $17 million in a grant to purchase the underperforming quality insight on Beach Boulevard. On June 7, 2022, the Council authorized execution of an affordable housing loan agreement between the Housing Authority, American Family Housing, and National Community Re Renaissance of California for the HB Home Key Oasis site to include future funding agreement between the City and County of Orange for homeless prevention and supportive services. Being this is a county project, it is open to individuals in the coordinated entry system from the entire central spa. However, upon opening, we were able to secure 16 rooms for individuals experiencing homelessness with significant ties to Huntington Beach. The city allocated $2.4 million in restricted Lemmy Half funds for renovations, as well as $1.81 million from restricted home ARPA funding to support fifth-year supportive cost. However, this project is moving along fast and we anticipate the transition to permanent supportive housing within the next year. Therefore, the use of home ARPA funds may not be needed. Additionally, none of the funds allocated have been drawn from, and if unused, they can be utilized for the Navigation Center or other affordable housing projects in our community. So, so quick question on that, just to clarify. So there's 62 units in there? Yes. And yeah. 16 are, are uh, specific to Huntington Beach they individuals? Were, the 16 were initially given to okay. Uh, individuals with significant ties to Huntington Beach. And what is it now? Same? I'm not sure. Okay. I don't have that data. I'd have to ask American Family Housing in the county for that. And otherwise, like you said, the county from the, the spa area can bring in any individual in, into that facility. Correct. Typically, any facility or programs that are operated out of the spa from the county will include everybody within that list of cities on the second slide. Okay. It'd be good to understand what's, what you know, is dedicated to residents with ties to Huntington Beach. Or individuals. Yes. Do we have any information on um, upcoming rounds of funding for Project Home Key? That probably would be um, Ursula or Community Development. Um, maybe we can get that later. Yeah, I'll have to get that for you later. That'd be Don't great because I think that um, Councilmember McKeon brings up a good point with regards to the number of dedicated rooms. I don't believe or that that's actually possible to get a specific number um, because it is a county resource, but I know that we were really working to, with them um, with the coordinated entry system to try to get um, as many people in Huntington Beach as possible. Yes. The city has made a significant commitment to each and every resident, housed and unhoused, every visitor and every business by taking steps to reduce the impact of homelessness. I can only imagine where we would be if none of these resources were in place, but everything comes with the cost, including if we did nothing. A majority of operational funds to support our programs are from restricted funds. If you look at the anticipated general fund expenditures from the current fiscal year, it will cost approximately $2.5 million or just under $13 per resident per year to provide supportive services to each and every person and help maintain a quality of life within our community. 
If the community has questions about services and statistics regarding our efforts, they can visit hbhomosolutions.com, which we will be adding additional information to in the near future. So in closing, I'd like to answer one question I get asked a lot. What does success look like? Success is having a system in place to assist someone who becomes homeless, so it is rare, brief, and non-reoccurring. These images dis demonstrate success for an individual. Taken in 2014 in the area of Beach and Talbert, this male in this image is whom I give credit to for where we're at today. From 2012 to 2015, I regularly engaged him as an officer, but over time, I learned his story. Through outreach, community support, and support from his family, the image on the right is where he is now. Healthy, housed, married, and gainfully employed. These images demonstrate the impact or what success is for our community. These images, specifically of Harriet Weeder Park, show an example of how our combined efforts, including with the assistance of the County of Orange, we can improve our parks and community spaces, mitigating risk for fires and pollution, and improving a sense of public safety. Thank you for this opportunity to provide, with, provide you with a review of our services. This final slide is to provide our community with information on how to connect individuals to services. While the Navigation Center is for those with significant local ties, our Homeless Task Force team will assist anyone experiencing homelessness or at risk of experiencing homelessness. Lieutenant Smith, just real quick, can you yes. explain further about the connection to the city and how important that is and why it's required, et cetera? So having a foundation for support is, is very important for those that uh, need assistance coming out of experiencing homelessness. So it's good to have that connection to the area where you are receiving services so that they have resources and a knowledge of the area. It also prevents what we've seen in the news in the past of cities pushing problems out rather than assisting those in their own communities um, and just trying to push the problem away to another jurisdiction. That doesn't work and only creates more problems and does not help the individual at all. And we want to ensure these resources are in place for our community because at any time, any member of our community could become homeless or become at risk of homeless, and we want to make sure to have appropriate facilities in place and resources to help them. Perfect. And, and like I said before, if uh, proper intake is done and they don't have connections to the city, you guys can still facilitate to get them to the proper services, whether it's to the county, et cetera, correct? Correct. We will assist with transportation, whether it's... Um, personally driving them to another site, location, getting them into the coordinated entry system to get a referral, or working with one of our nonprofits or community groups to assist them in getting to a location where they have a verifiable support network such as family, friends, um, or shelter. Perfect, so I just wanna emphasize the community, it's really important to, to do proper intake, so that's either through the, at the police department or through the homeless task force first, and then they'll direct that individual to the appropriate services, whether it's to the city or through the county. Yes, sir, thank you. Thank you so much for putting this together. I just want to thank you for doing this. Um, you took a task that we had no idea where to start. You put this together. You took charge. This has been tons and tons of work. Um, you're answering our emails. Um, I know that there are times you're at home and there's an issue with a navigation center and you've ran out there just to check it out. So I just can't thank you enough for all the work you've done. Um, thank you. Thank you, ma'am. I too would like to thank you um, for all of the work that you've done um, recently and also prior to this and also the entire team and homeless task force, um, both um, uniformed and non-uniformed as well, um, as well as city manager's office, honestly. Um, I did want to highlight, which I think we kind of brushed over really quickly, that number of the $12.98 
per resident for these efforts. I think that that's a really important thing to mention. Um, you know, there, there were a lot of questions about costs, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we're able to bring this forward and do it in that way. Essentially, it's a, two lattes, um, you know, to be able to, for each resident to be able to work on our efforts to house people and provide them services and to also provide quality of life for all of our residents. Um, and then finally, I appreciate that you framed things as, um, you know, how do we define success or what is success? And that's always the question that I'm asking. Um, and I think that you showed some, some stories of what success looks like and also mentioned that that is homelessness being rare, brief, and non-recurring. Um, I, I think that as we move forward, we should talk as a council about what success looks like. How do we define the metrics for that? How do we bring the community along with that? Um, there are certainly challenges with regards to data on, on how we do that, um, but there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, and uh, I, just, I just wanted to acknowledge also, you know, you mentioned the cost of bed uh, nights um, with another city, and I know we don't want to bring up the other city, but like, wow, we're really doing such a good job at the use and the efficiency of our funds um, and I, I wanted to compliment the city on that as well. And I really just think this is uh, the main thing that I get from this is um, the goal is to keep progress moving forward. We're doing a great job and just continue. Um, and I, I think that that's really important to acknowledge. So thank you. Thank you. Appreciate the time. Great. Any, any other comments? Seeing none. Thank you, Lieutenant. Thank you. Um, members, we're going to go to closed session. Uh, pursuant to government code section 54956.8, the city council takes the opportunity to publicly introduce and identify property uh, negotiations. Al Zalinka, city manager, Ursula Luna Reynosa, director of community development, and Sean Crumby, uh, director of public works. Also in attendance, Michael Gates, city attorney. Robin Esclu, uh, city clerk, uh, negotiation parties, or Timothy uh, Fissinger, uh, vice president of real estate for Republic Service, under negotiations price in terms of payment, real property located at APM numbers 111-372-06 and 111-372-07. Pursuant to government code section 54957.6, the City Council takes this opportunity to publicly introduce and identify labor negotiations. Al Lincoln City Manager, uh, Peter Brown, Chief Negotiator. Also in attendance, Jose Rodriguez, Human Resources Manager. Travis Hopkins, Assistant City Manager. Michael Gates, City Attorney. Robin Escalou, uh, City Clerk. Eric Parra, Chief of Police. Sonny Reef, Acting Chief Financial Officer, who will all be in today's closed session discussions regarding labor negotiations with Huntington Beach Police Officers Association, POA. Uh, call for a motion and a second to recess the closed session. All motion. I'll second. <laughs> All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? We're going to closed session.
It's the sign of the times I do Yeah.
sunny day in late July and everything turned upside down. I almost lost track of time as weeks went by. I couldn't get him off my mind. Yeah.
Sign of the times I do
We're going to reconvene the City Council Public Finance Authority meeting. Uh, City Clerk, please call the roll. Councilmember Kalmick. Here. Councilmember Mosier. Here. Mayor Pro Tem Vandermark. Here. Mayor Strickland. Here. Councilmember McKeon. Here. Councilmember Bolton. Here. Councilmember Burns. Here. All present. So now we're going to do the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, Councilmember Mosier, please le lead us in the pledge. Everyone that can stand, please do. Ready, begin. Now we're going forward on the invocation uh, for our invocation chaplain, chaplain Roger Wing with the Huntington Beach Police Department. Please give us our invocation. Would you please pray with me? Most gracious Heavenly Father, you tell us in your word that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and it will be given to him liberally. So, Lord, we come to you asking that you would provide each council member with your wisdom and discernment as they deal with the many complex and difficult issues before them this evening. We ask that you would provide each of them with clarity of mind and an openness in their considerations as these items are discussed. Lord, we're so grateful that we have the opportunity to live in a free country that affords us the invitation and the opportunity to speak our hearts and minds without recourse or repercussions. And we're extremely blessed to live in the beautiful city of Huntington Beach. Uh, people come from all over the world to vacation to a place that we often take for granted. We are a much blessed people and we give you thanks. As we begin tonight's meeting, we ask that you will guide all of the proceedings. We pray that you will give them wisdom, discernment, patience and clarity on each issue. May you guide them to work together to discuss and decide on each issue in an edifying and encouraging way that leads to consensus and harmony. We ask you to work in each heart and mind as each of these issues are addressed. We pray for each speaker who will be coming to the podium this evening. Help them to present their views in a clear and concise way without anger or bitterness. May they be encouraged knowing that they have the opportunity to share, and may they have the faith and confidence in our city council to make the decisions that will be most beneficial to our city. We pray that your hand of protection would be on each council member and their families. We ask for your hand of guidance, wisdom, and protection on all of our Huntington Beach public servants. So Lord, we ask that you will go on uh, bless everything that goes on this evening, and we ask this in your, your precious and most holy name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Closed session report. City Attorney, do you have anything to report? Yeah, thank you, Mayor. Um, uh, item number four with regard to uh, not, item number four on the agenda with regard to real property negotiations did not occur. Uh, that was postponed. Uh, with regard to number three, potential challenges, um, city council voted unanimously to 
uh, not challenge SB 10 or ADU units law at this time, uh, but did authorize, did did authorize uh, me to pursue uh, options uh, for challenging SB 9, um, including reaching out to Redondo Beach's lawsuit against the state on the constitutionality of SB 9 for charter cities. So that's the report. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. So I would like to take a point of personal privilege. Um, I would like to make an announcement that on the basis for my recusal at the February 21st council meeting on item number 12 on the agenda, involving the Bonani development project. Uh, it was my primary residence uh, that was located within 1,000 feet of the proposed development. Thank you. Uh, city attorney report, uh, do you have a report? Yeah, thank you, Mayor. I just wanted to give the public a brief update uh, on a case that we were handling. Last week, the Superior Court issued a final court ruling in favor of the city in the case entitled City of Huntington Beach versus State of California Department of Finance. That's court case number 34-2018-8000-2876. The lawsuit against the state sought reimbursement of previous redevelopment loans, one known as the waterfront loan in the amount of $22.4 million, plus interest for a total of approximately $25 million. This is $25 million. This is $25 million to be returned by the state to Huntington Beach taxpayers, and it's in addition to the $5.2 million that the city won last year in the very same case for a total of just over $30 million that will be paid to Huntington Beach from the state. Uh, the, yeah. the, yeah, th thank you. Um, the vast majority of this money will go into the general fund. The next steps are the city submits for reimbursement in the next couple months, and then the funds from the state will come from the county uh, controller's office to the city. By the way, the state may appeal the Superior Court decision, which would hold up the actual payment, just for your information. Uh, by uh, way of a little bit of history, I filed this lawsuit in 2018 with the authorization of the city council and in coordination with the then finance director, Lorianne Farrell. From there, the city's attorneys worked up the case, identifying and reviewing thousands of pages of city and state financial documents from the past nearly 30 years, conducted legal research, and prepared the briefs. When attorney Nadine Saeed, who is with us tonight, thank you, Nadine, for being here, uh, joined the city attorney's office in the fall of 2021, I asked her to make this case one of her highest priorities. Ms. Saeed put in a tremendous amount of time to get this case right for the city of Huntington Beach. She did a great job in her preparation and in her performance and in her performance before the court. Ms. Saeed, along with Sunny Han from our finance department, deserves a lot of credit for all their hard work. Thank you to, also to the city clerk's office for assisting in locating some important loan documents that helped the case as well. This was a great effort by all. This is obviously a very important legal victory for the city, a kind of redevelopment law victory that we know of no other city in the state obtaining on this scale. 
I want to thank you, Ms. Saeed, Ms. Reef, or Ms. Han, and the entire city council for your support for the legal work that we do in our office. Without this kind of support, these kinds of victories could not be possible for the taxpayers. Thank you. Councilman McKeon. Yeah, so obviously I love this, and this is exactly why it's so important that we always fight for our city. Like uh, Michael said, other cities have the opportunity to fight, but their attorneys choose not to. And to clear up what some residents have said, you know, these lawsuits against the state do not cost the taxpayers money because our elected attorney's office is on a fixed budget and is not paid hourly like non-elected city attorneys are. So this victory, along with the previous victory of $5 million, totals $30 million in the last few months that our elected attorney has won back for our city. And that equates to roughly 10% of our annual budget, which is huge. And there, are, there have been some negative comments about the pay raise Michael Gates received, but the factors behind that decision were one, that he was the only employee since 2018 that hadn't received a raise, and secondly, when you add, a, when you add this $30 million in winnings, he has saved or won the HB taxpayers nearly $200 million since he was elected. To me, that's a phenomenal return on investment. So that's why I say well done, congratulations, we are excited we were able to deliver this victory for the Huntington Beach taxpayers. Thank you. Go ahead, Councilman. I want to say congratulations to the city attorney's office on this. Um, I do want to be very clear, though. Um, I was mildly disappointed in the press release that went out that didn't mention uh, Nadine Said or the fact that this is likely to be appealed by the state of California. This money's not ours yet, correct? Like, there's still a chance that the state appeals this. We have not had final resolution. I just reported on that. Correct. But I just want to be clear that we want to make sure that we've got this money in hand before we start spending it or, or start accounting for it. Like, it's great we want it. I'm really happy for this because this is really important money that we need. But we missed that key point when we tell the public that there's, this is not our money yet. Okay. Well, it's just a report on a legal victory. I understand. That's all it is. Uh, no, I don't think anybody's up here spending money. I'm certainly not I, suggesting we spend money. It's not, that's not the point. The, the point is that when we talk to the public and in the press... When we talk to the public and the press, we need to be honest with them. And I'm very pleased that this happened. Like, it's problematic, right, that when we, when we are using our pulpit as a, as a public entity, that we're not telling everybody the whole story. I think we lose trust within the city. So that's all I have. Thank you. Okay. Oh, I thought you said, okay. So I, I just uh, want to add... Um, I just got back from the uh, Orange County League of Cities, ACCOC, and a lot of the council members from other cities were very envious of Huntington Beach. The fact of the matter is uh, we do have a city attorney that's elected who does a remarkable job. A lot of these other cities want to challenge the state, but their mechanisms don't allow them to do so because they have to hire outside counsel, and a lot of times it's not even worth it because they charge $400, $600 an hour. By way of reference... If Michael Gates was one of those outside council members, he would probably earn somewhere around $13 million in contingency fees. So I'm sure his wife is not very happy about that. Um, but the fact of the matter is, uh, Michael Gates and the city attorney's office and everybody involved with this, yes, it's not finalized, but it is a, a big major victory for Huntington Beach. So I want to thank the city attorney for his leadership. So with that, any other? 
comments? No, seeing none. Um, announcement, supplemental communications. City Clerk, do we have any supplemental communications? Yes, we do. For consent calendar item 10, a memo from myself regarding a corrected, I submitted a corrected version of ordinance number 4280. Um, for item number 12, letter received from Kennedy Osborne, chairperson of the Huntington Beach Youth Board regarding the adoption of ordinance 4283 relating to government flags on property, city property. A letter received from Tony Hong, executive director of Equality California regarding the same topic. Letter received from Stephanie Camacho Van Dyke, director of advocacy and education at the LGBTQ Center, OC, regarding the adoption of ordinance number 4283. 278 email communications received regarding this item. For consent item number 13, two email communications regarding adoption of ordinance 4284 relating to public conduct within city-owned public parking structures. Consent item 14, an email communication received regarding adoption of ordinance 4273 related to the use of tents and other uses within city parks. I'll announce public hearing at that time. Administrative items number 17, 10 email communications regarding community feedback for Main Street redevelopment. And for council member items number 18, six email communications received regarding continuation of processing SB9 and ADU applications. Thank you. So now uh, members, we're going to public comments. At this time, the city council will receive comments from the members of the public regarding any topic including items on the open session agenda. Individuals wishing to provide a comment may do so in person by filling out a request to speak form delivered to the city clerk. All speakers are encouraged, but not required, to identify themselves by name. Each speaker may have up to three minutes unless volumes of speakers warrants reducing the time allowance. Please note that the Brown Act does not allow discussion or action on topics that are not on the agenda. Members of the public who would like to speak directly with a council member on an item not on the agenda, may consider scheduling an appointment by contacting the City Council Administrative Assistant at 714-536-5553 or emailing the entire City Council at city.council at surfcity-hb.org. City Clerk, do we have any uh, members to speak tonight? Oh, yes, we do. We have about <laughs> 66 people signed up to 66. speak. I'm going to call the first group of 10, oh, and please come down and approach both microphones. It'll help make things go quicker. Dr. Christy Scarlett, Shirley Detloff, Diane Bentley, Karen Carroll, Gigi Jackson, David Drakeford, Kanan Durham, Connie Boardman, um, Chloe Wyatt, Rios Wyatt, I hope I said that right, and Zell Vidal. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, good evening, Mayor Strickland and members of the City Council. Tonight, I come as one of the authors of the Human Dignity Statement with the hopes of convincing just one of you to remember the words of this document where we state that all of our residents will be treated with dignity and support and that we are an inclusive city respecting all of our people. 
Every council since 1996 has supported this statement. First, there was no need for this ordinance as the original flag policy gave the council the final vote on the accept acceptability of who they would support. The Girl Scouts, the Olympics, the surfing contest, and the list goes on. While this new ordinance accomplished was a very divide, what this, this ordinance did accomplish was a very divisive city where we received bad publicity, harm to our economic base, which is tourism, loss of many very important staff members, and the state watching what we do very closely. All could have been avoided. When the LGBTQ flag was flown, there was no protest because people felt that we should be inclusive with respect for many differing points of view. And the builder's remedy is also unnecessary as it can only be used if the city does not have a housing element. Is it your belief that the state will not approve our housing element? Every indication of the state is that they will support our housing element unless you have requested the planning department to add language that you know will lead to denial and opposing the building remedy will protect the city against affordable housing. By doing this, hundreds of people who make up our economy will be no longer be able to afford housing in Huntington Beach. You were elected to represent all of the people, and I urge you to remember that a city is strong because of our diversity. It doesn't matter our racial background, the nation of origin, one religion, one sexual um, orientation, their public beliefs, but because all of us work together for a stronger, better place, we call our home Huntington Beach. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Greetings. My name is Diane Bentley, and I'm a 22-year resident of Huntington Beach and an advocate with Homeless United of Huntington Beach. I'm addressing the City Council tonight on two topics. First, the need to continue support for the programs the City has in place to assist the unhoused residents of our City. And second, the need to quickly submit the HB housing element to the State with our plans for achieving reasonable increases in the housing stock in Huntington Beach. Efforts by previous City Councils and City staff, such as opening the Navigation Center, arranging for outreach by the HPPD, Homeless Task Force, and deployment of the Be Well Crisis Response Teams have demonstrably reduced the homeless population and improved the mental health of residents in the city. The Navigation Center has served over 500 individuals and helped 162 find permanent housing. The HBPD Homeless Task Force made over 3,500 contacts with individuals needing help and made 480 referrals to the Navigation Center in 2022 alone. The Be Well Crisis Response Teams have responded to almost 3,800 calls for assistance to both unhoused and housed residents of Huntington Beach. If we stay the course, we can expect more positive outcomes like these. The comprehensive review of homeless services compiled by the City Finance Department and HBPD describes in detail the positive outcomes to date and provides financial an analysis for all of the services provided. 
The report states that the total annual operational cost to the city for fiscal year 21-22 to address homelessness and other needs of our residents was only $12 per HB resident. That's only $12 per resident for the entire year. And the estimate for 22-23 is for $13 per resident. Surely Huntington Beach residents can spare $13 a year to continue the good work being done to improve mental health and housing situations for our fellow residents who have fallen on hard times. The city also needs to increase its housing stock in rational ways so that our residents at all income levels can find affordable housing in Huntington Beach. The housing element developed by city staff provides a plan to that goal. Submission of the housing element to the state is the first step in the right direction and must be taken immediately. Huntington Beach has the opportunity to be seen as an example of the right way to provide help to those less fortunate souls among us. But only if we continue the programs that clearly are working and if we are guided by a rational approach to growing Ten our seconds. housing stock. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Next speaker, thank you for being here. Good evening, Mayor Strickland and members of the City Council. My remarks tonight will be very brief. They can really be summed up in three words. Do the math. I first became connected with Homeless United Huntington Beach as an advocate for the homeless representing St. Bonaventure's Justice and Peace Ministry. As a part of those groups, I attended the first Homeless 101 in the city where United Way presented the amazing study done by UCI showing how much more municipalities have to pay for the unsheltered than they do when homeless are sheltered with services. At that time, I began keeping a spreadsheet. I have part of it here. Um, so I could participate knowledgeably in conversations with fellow residents who have opinions one way or another about how to solve the homeless problem. To conclude, I can't improve on the excellent presentation that uh, Lieutenant Smith made during the study session. I only implore the council and concerned citizens to take a good look at how our Huntington Beach community has benefited from so little in contributions from each resident. And um, I would also ask you to please take note of the actual alternatives if we were not doing this as a city. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Go ahead. Yes, please. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor Strickland and council members. My name is Gigi Jackson, and I'm a retired educator, homeowner, and resident of Huntington Beach. I'm also an advocate with Homeless United, and we are proud of our collaboration with all city council members. I want to address agenda items 13 and 14. I do not support this agenda item, which infers that these items would be part of a new majority plan to eliminate homelessness in our city. This thinking is making homelessness a crime that will go away through the process of arrests. Past experience tells us arresting homeless people is a costly revolving door that does not solve problem. 
A solution to, to this, a solution is to continue the use of the Navigation Center with Mercy House providing intake and wraparound services. Councilman Burns stated in our meeting with him, build on the things that are working. If we want to continue with what's working, go back to the Declaration of Policy on Human Dignity, unanimously voted in 96 and adopted and signed again in 2021. I know some council members believe too much effort is in place for a small percentage of people, the unhoused. However, this Declaration of Policy on Human Dignity confirms the value of equity for all residents. Who knows when any of us will be in need of similar support and resources. Based on the comprehensive review of homeless services submitted and presented by <coughs> Lieutenant Smith, the cost of Huntington Beach residents to maintain what is already in place, such as the Navigation Center, Be Well Crisis Response Program, and the Homeless Task Force, is $12.98 annually per Huntington Beach resident. This is the cost of two Starbucks coffees. These efforts will provide compassion and human dignity until affordable housing is provided. Each time I come to this podium, I think of a quote from Ellie Weisel, the Holocaust survivor. His words really echo my conviction about people needing support and resources. In his Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech, he shared, we must always take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. Sometimes we must interfere. When human lives are endangered, when human dignity is in jeopardy, national borders and sensitivities become irrelevant. Wherever men and women are persecuted because of their race, religion, or political views, that place must, at that time, become the center of the universe. Thank you for your time and the opportunity to share my thoughts. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Thank you. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is David Drakeford, and I'm the newly elected president of the NAACP of Orange County. So um, I don't even know how I got invited here, basically. But I thought, oh, um, my secretary said, oh, why don't you come and speak for us? And I thought, oh, that would be easy. Um, we were coming on the closing of Black History Month and beginning of Women's Month. So I thought that's, that, oh, I'm, Thank you. okay, I said that, um, you didn't hear anything I said, right? <laughs> so let me, let, let me start, let me start over. Good evening, everyone. Um, my name is David Drakeret. I'm the newly elected president of the Orange County uh, NAACP. So um, I was asked to come and speak here, and I was wondering, well, why? Then I thought, oh, we're coming on the end of um, Black History Month and the beginning of Women's Month. So I thought, oh, that would be pretty easy to do. Then I read the declaration of um, the city's um, let's see what, uh, policy on human dignity. And I thought, oh, let me see if I can pivot to that. <laughs> so so um, the policy is something that I certainly adhere to. And so my concern or my interest was, how, is it being implemented? Um, all communities should have a policy like this, but the history tells me that it is not implemented 
and uh, followed through with. So um, Huntington Beach, um, I'm a little bit familiar with it because um, years ago, I had um, Texaco station on the corner of Edinger and Golden West. So I'm the guy who had that Texaco station. So then, so when I took this position as the NAACP, people were asking me, why, why do you want to do this? I said, well, I really don't, really. <laughs> but um, I'm aging out, and there's a lot of issues that I'm very familiar with, and so I wanted to try to help um, address some of those. So I'm flipping back and forth, but the policy claims that the community is committed to a fair treatment of all, uh, peop all, the, all the individuals who live here, regardless of race, ethnic, ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, etc. The words is clearly stated in the declaration. But I have to tell you that um, as the president of the NWCP now, we get complaints at least once a week. Today, while I was driving here, I got another complaint about a young kid in Santa Ana. Last week, we came to um, Huntington Beach, um, a school board, on a complaint there. So I don't know if uh, these uh, complaints are emanating up to the city council, but they're all a bullying of uh, uh, African-American kids. Uh, now, I understand there's a, a group of kids. It's called the monkey group. The monkey group. Sir, now, sir uh, you're out of time. I apologize. Maybe last maybe sentence just to finish. I'm sorry? You're out of time. Um, oh, can you do maybe one more sentence just to finish? Oh, okay. Um, so uh, my point is that um, the policy is great. I wish every community had it and would live by it. Thanks. I certainly ascribe to it, and I think most people do. But we do Thanks. have a segment that don't. Thank you for being here, sir. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Next. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Hi. Can everybody hear me? Yes. All right. Hello. My name is Kanan Durham, and I'm here to speak in opposition of agenda number 23. I came here to speak two weeks ago with a level of hope that I suppose may have been a bit naive. I can't say that it wasn't disheartening to sit for over three hours of public commentary watching the pride flag be ripped up to loud applause listening to folks insinuate that I'm a pedophile, that we'd have to fly the Confederate and Nazi flags as well if we flew the pride flag. Even more disheartening was watching Congresspersons Vandermark, Strickland, McKeon, and Burns voting yes, casually, as if it were a matter of course, even after that display. Given that, I'm not going to use my time to try to persuade you but to share my perspective. In the time since the last session, we have surpassed 400 anti-LGBT bills in 2023 US state legislatures, from efforts to ban healthcare for transgender adults in multiple states, new efforts to remove gender non-conforming kids from their homes in Florida, and renewed efforts to delegitimize de gay marriage in a number of states. Not least of these efforts being the now viral speech Michael Knowles made at CPAC a few days ago calling for the eradication of transgenderism 
in its entirety, to which I may remind folks here that I am not an ism, I am a person, and I would question how exactly that eradication would occur without harming me. This is the reality for queer people in America today, and it does not happen in a vacuum. Local politics matter. This is why I'm here today. I'm here because I'm scared. I'm here because I don't want to see what is happening to my brothers and sisters around this country happen to me. And the rhetoric that I heard last session makes me lose faith that it wouldn't happen here. I know these words aren't going to make an impact on the four of you that are going to vote yes today. But last week, Councilperson Natalie Moser quoted Atticus Fitch from To Kill a Mockingbird. She said, courage isn't a man with a gun in his hand. It's when you know you're licked before you begin, but you begin anyway, and you see it through no matter what. So I am here to say my piece and to support my compatriots who are here to say theirs, because it's the right thing to do, even if we lose. I will leave you with a request in the form of another Atticus Finch quote. You never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. I do hope you try that. Thank you. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Good evening, council members and Mayor Strickland. My name is Connie Boardman. I've got several items I'd like to address this evening. I was on the Huntington Beach City Council when the redevelopment agencies were dissolved, so I was very happy to see the recent when at the Superior Court, in which the court agreed the state owed the city $25 million, the case involved a loan made way back in 1998 or 1988 that the court recognized as an enforceable obligation, and the state should have treated it as such. The press release didn't mention the city attorney who tried the case, so I was glad to hear Mr. Gates recognize her this evening, and I'd like to also thank Ms. Nadine Syed and the staff in the city attorney's office, the clerk's office, the finance office, um, for finding and providing the documentation to convince the court that indeed this did represent an enforceable obligation. And while it's great news, I think it's likely the state will appeal, so the city can't allocate those funds for projects just yet, huh? And now for some not so great news. I've noticed a disturbing trend of this council taking away previously held rights. First, it was the right of Huntington Beach residents to anonymously report code violations they see in businesses. And at the last meeting, you took away a private property right for people to put a granny flat in their backyard. Now, if I understood the report from closed session, you may have reversed that. If you did, thank you. Um, and tonight, you are posed, posed to take away a right from the entire city council. Tonight is the last opportunity to reverse course on the poorly thought out ordinance that will prevent the city from flying the gay pride flag or any other commemorative flag. Under the current flag policy, this council is required to vote in order to fly any kind of commemorative flag. What is more open and transparent and democratic than voting? Um, why replace this democratic process with a rather authoritarian ordinance? Is it, is it so those of you who plan to run for public office, higher office, don't have to defend voting against flying the pride flag? Are you trying to tie the hands of future councils? You know future councils can amend ordinances, they can repeal ordinances. The four of you ran on transparency, but this ordinance takes a transparent process away from the city council. 
I was here at the last meeting and listened to the public comments, and I've read some of the emails you've received. Some of those comments from some who support this ordinance demonstrate exactly why the city needs to fly the pride flag in June. At your last meeting, this is a separate item now, um, you had an agenda item that directed the city attorney to pursue a lawsuit against SB 9 and 10, and um, also direct staff to stop per, uh, processing any SB 9 applications. It wasn't clear to me from the Ten city seconds. attorney's report whether you have also reversed course on that. If you did, that's great. I'm going to close by quoting a recent editorial in the Orange County Register, and I guess not. So here we go. Next. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Okay. Um, hi, good evening. My name is Elvidal. Um, I'm here to speak against uh, agenda number 12, uh, ordinance number 4283. I think it's a bad piece of public policy. It ties your hands against the ability to fly any commemorative flag. I'm sure many people are going to repeat this. And so um, I'm going to talk about why the pride flag is important to me. Um, in 2020, um, I got jumped, um, and I was punched in the head um, and called a faggot and a tranny um, for going out with my friends um, and not really dressing any different than I do now. Um, I guess they just don't like people with wide shoulders and comfortable clothing. Um, and so I think that the pride flag is very important because it's a show of solidarity with a group of people that often don't feel safe and often suffer at the hands of people that don't think that they should be alive. And uh, so I think it'd be really in the best honor of many people in Huntington Beach to at least one of you vote no on uh, agenda number 12. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Next speaker, thanks for being here. Good evening. My name is Dr. Christy B. Scarlett. I'm a resident of Huntington Beach. I'm a wife. I'm a mother of a nine-year-old daughter and six-year-old son. I'm also a local clinical psychologist with a private practice in Los Alamitos. My practice is going on its 10th year, and I've been providing therapy for 14 years. I see HB residents and residents of surrounding areas. People often ask me, what kind of people do you see? I see people like me and you. Your mother, your child, your neighbor, everybody. It's, it's not any those, them people. Mental health struggles are high right now for so many. My colleagues and I's phones are ringing off the hook. A main theme I see with my clients who struggle, especially with suicidality, is not feeling a sense of belonging. Sometimes all it takes is one more sign from your community that you do not belong to send a struggling person over the edge. I'd like to state some facts and statistics from the Trevor Project organization incited research. LGBTQ youth are not inherently prone to suicide risk because of their sexual orientation or gender identity, but rather placed at higher risk because of how they are mistreated and stigmatized in society. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among young people aged 10 to 24. LGBTQ youth are more than four times as likely to attempt suicide than their peers. 
<clears throat> in the U.S., at least one LGBTQ youth attempts suicide every 45 seconds. A national survey in 2022 found that 45% of LGBTQ youth seriously considered attempting suicide in the past year. That's almost half. I'm curious. <coughs> have any psychologists or mental health therapists shown support of item 23? I don't know. We are the leaders in mental health care, treating all of our community. Have any come forth with concern over flying the flag as harmful? There's much evidence for the contrary. We're deciding not to fly. It poses risks for the community. We're talking about lives on the line on behalf of mental health, on behalf of suicide prevention. Please do not be a part of a system that contributes to the pain of others. Let's be a part of a system that contributes to the helping hand of humanity. 10 seconds. One that says, I got you. Let's save lives, bring back the flag, send messages to the community that let them know they're enough. Thank you. And they too are a part of something. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Hi, my name, my name is Chloe Rios Wyatt, and I am, I am a proud transgender woman. I have the privilege and the honor to be the CEO to lead the work of Alianza Translatinex, the first and only transgender-led organization in Orange County. I am here today to speak in opposition of item number 12 on tonight's agenda regarding government flags on city property. I want to let the city of Huntington Beach know that Prohibiting flags from being displayed across the city will negatively impact the overall well-being of all LGBTQ plus people. I also want to remind you that there is an epidemic of violence against transgender people, and at least 32 trans people were murdered in 2022. I was raised in Orange County, and I experienced firsthand the discrimination and violence for being different, sounding different, and for being transgender. I want to demand the city of Huntington Beach to continue to allow the pride flag, including the trans flag, to be utilized anywhere in the city. Seeing the pride flag outside of venues or public places has helped me feel that I am a part of a community feel accepted and, fe and help me personally feel better mentally. I know that other transgender people who might see these flags around the city will also feel the same way. Huntington Beach can be quite intimidating for LGBTQ plus people already because of the culture and the hate that we receive every day. Yes, taking pride flags down is an act of discrimination and marginalization, and it threatens to erase LGBTQ plus people. We urge you to continue to allow pride flags in the city and ensure that future generations have the opportunity to feel proud of who they are. You will not erase our existence or remove us from the culture and the city of Huntington Beach. We have existed for generations and we will continue to fight back until we have the same rights as every other citizen of Huntington Beach to display their pride and who they are. It is a shame that Huntington Beach has chosen to, re to move backwards and remove LGBTQ plus flags. By doing this, you are promoting violence hate and helping with the murdering of our community members. So shame on you, shame on you. Trans power! Trans power! Trans power! Trans power! Trans power!
Clerk, do you have 10? I yep. do. I do. Please, please announce the new names. I'd like to call the next 10 names. Let's settle down, folks. All right, I'm going to call the next 10 names. Thank there. you. Pat Goodman, Julie Norton, Patty Pappas, Delaney Bailey, Zignesh Pader, Andrew Einhorn, Raphael Hong, Lisa Marchese, Deb Janis, Aaron Ahrens. Good evening, Mayor Strickland, City Council members. I'm happy to be here tonight um, and hope that uh, some of what we're hearing tonight will impact your decisions. Uh, the two issues I want to talk about, the housing element and the flag. Um, we know there's a need for housing through our uh, low occupancy rates, high demand, high rents, overcrowding, wait lists, not just in Huntington Beach, but throughout the region and the state. An approved housing element is a plan to move a city forward to achieve a diverse palette of housing to meet the needs of our residents. This document allows the city to maintain local control on its zoning, design review, and permitting processes. Our economy is based on the capitalist principle of supply and demand. If there is no market for housing, then we won't see any development. An approved housing element uh, brings the city's general plan into compliance with California housing law, and there is no need for an ordinance to ban the builder's remedy if we have an uh, approved housing element. Please get us in compliance. The city's current flag ordinance allows the council the power to approve the flying of special theme and event flags on city property as they so desire. Instead, you press on with the unnecessary flag ordinance, number 12, on the agenda, which sadly has opened up deep wounds in both sides of flying the gay pride flag in June. I hope that we've learned from the testimony over the past few weeks that being gay is not a choice, it's part of one's being, and that uh, members of the LGBTQ plus community who are friends, family, visitors, co-workers, and neighbors uh, have and do experience discrimination and injustice to this very day. Uh, we're seeing rises in hate crimes and um, all kinds of persecution, really. Um, the flag is a sign of acceptance, wel welcome, and unity. Please reconsider this ordinance and try out the current system. Give it a chance. You might like it, and it may fit your needs. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Next speaker. Thank you. My name is Patricia Pappas, and I'm a member of this community, resident for 43 years. And I just want to tell you that I appreciate your commitment to the um, the ideas that you would, as a council, and I expect that to be all council members, that you would make this city safe again, like it used to be, number one, in probably in our country, that, that, it, that this does not 
our safety does not depend on what flags we fly. Our, our safety depends on the work that you're doing to work with our officers and to work with our community. I, I just so appreciate that I have seen, I was at a meeting recently with um, Pro Tem uh, Council Member Vandermark, and she talked, and we got to ask questions. I noticed that you're standing with your commitment, Mayor Strickland. You said we're going to have town halls. I see that coming in March. I see that Senate um, Janet Nguyen, Senator Janet Nguyen, and yourself are having another uh, town hall. We need to be getting together. As a college professor, I, it wasn't about what your gender was or anything. It was about how are we going to work as a community together. And we need to stop this we need to stop this anger, and if we need to help people, and, and I, I know also that you're, you're really focusing on um, making our, again, the city streets safe, but also supporting and helping homeless people, but also doing what you promised you would do, the reason why we voted you in. And so I, I just want to tell you thank you and what the police are doing, our police department, our city attorney, and we need to attend the town halls, and we need to talk together. We need to not yell and scream at each other, but we need to have a conversation, and that means dialogue, the words between us. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> next, next speaker, thanks for being here. Good evening, Council. My name is Delane Bailey, and I have been a resident of Huntington Beach for nine years, and my husband has lived here for 23 years. I am speaking in favor of Councilman Burns, agenda item number 12. There is a divine order to this universe. It was made in such a way that when it works according to God's plan, people, his people flourish. He made two sexes, male and female. This has been an accepted fact since the beginning of human civilization, thousands of years ago. We are each uniquely made in his image, and he loves each and every one of us. He wants to have a personal relationship with us. He wants us to be a part of his family, and he wants to share eternal life with us in heaven. We are in a spiritual battle. There are unseen forces of evil at work in this world, and we have to fight against them every day by speaking out. If God, creator of the universe, knower of all things, loves you and wants what's best for you, who can be against you? If you are confused about your sexuality, it's because you don't know the truth. Hold on, hold on. Look, bottom line, listen, we, we need to let each side, you know, on all sides, speak. Hold on. Hold the time, hold the time, hold the time. So you'll have a minute. You'll have a minute. So uh, 
look, everybody has different views and different uh, opportunities to speak their mind. And let's just please give respect. I didn't hit the gavel when people were cheering. I'm okay with that. Like we, you know, you're going to express yourself, but please um, let the uh, speakers finish, whether you agree or disagree, and then let's move on. We, we have a lot of speakers tonight. Thank you. So one minute, make sure one minute. Okay, thanks. Please continue. If you're confused about your sexuality, it's because you don't know the truth of God's word and the divine order he created. Life can seem hopeless and you can feel despair if you don't know that the creator of everything on earth and beyond knows who you are, knows what you are thinking, knows what your struggles are, and wants to help you. All you have to do is pray, God help me, and your life can change in ways you can't even imagine. I am an example of that life-changing prayer. 35 years ago, I was a drug addict and an alcoholic. My life changed 180 degrees when I prayed that prayer. Everything I once feared, I no longer fear. If God is for me, who can be against me? As Christians, we are called to the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Ten, ten seconds. Ten seconds. You are told that we don't recognize the flying of the pride flag. That means that we hate you, we marginalize you, we reject you, we exclude you. That is a lie. That's time. Time. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. Next. Next speaker. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, good evening, uh, council members and city council members. Um, this flag ordinance and this flag issue is just becoming more and more of what it really is. And it, all it is is just virtue signaling. It's, nothing's going to be solved by this. You're all complaining about this flag. And now you have individuals like uh, Mr. Kalamak over here who wanted to say last meeting that for a group of folks that in several states it could be fired for who they are, we want to show solidarity as a government speech that they are welcomed here. Newsflash, Dan, people have lost their jobs for not using the right pronouns that these people want to believe that they are. And this is happening across the nation. So no, this is not the place for government speech. And it seems to be the only angle that the LGBTQP movement is capable of, to utilize the government to further their agenda because the dialogue and the debate of public space is too strenuous, crying out, oh, it's a violence. Nowhere in the proposed ordinance does it state a ban or the word pride flag, yet you have the professional victims here for, for perfect outrage. You'd have a foot to stand on too if you were in like Saudi Arabia or Uganda, you know where they actually persecute gays. You are in the most progressive country on the planet. So those in opposition, you sound like you're crying over spilled milk. You say the flag doesn't represent you, yet you are so privileged that you inherit all the rights and liberties that the American flag protects. These include the freedom to live your life in any style you see fit. We need to come together now more than ever, and there is only one flag that will unite us. It's the same flag that has flown since 1776, 
and it will continue to fly thereafter. We are all American citizens. We are not all gay citizens. Next, next speaker, thanks for being here. Thank my, you. My name is Andrew Einhorn. The title is Truth Be Told. Numerous past speakers have provided evidence accusing members of your council of making racist statements. These allegations have laid the foundation for seeking the truth from the council members. However, the council has chosen to overlook the issue of racism with deliberate disregard. I hold myself to a high standards of personal integrity and as a voter. I expect the same from those on the council that represent us as political leaders. The truth is the only story that matters. Ignoring the past will not make it disappear as it often resurfaces unless someone has the courage to acknowledge their views or even better, apologize. I strongly believe in free speech and fostering a platform for diverse perspectives. However, it does not protect people from consequences from those opinions. There is a clear line where comments become racist. Racist remarks still fall under the First Amendment, but it is also free speech for the people to respond to such pathetic comments. My objective is to fulfill personal obligations to my family, friends, and community by requesting the council to appoint an external ethics committee investigation into the allegations previously made by several others from this platform. The purpose of this investigation is to clarify the situation and set the record straight. The council's lack of response on this issue implies the acceptance of racism, and it's crucial that this changes. I have been and will remain a persistent voice against racism. I can't cure racism, but I can expose it. Thank you very much. Thank you for being here. Next speaker. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Thank you for allowing me to speak. I am a 44-year resident of Huntington Beach. My name is Deb Janice. Um, I first want to just, again, thank Mr. Gates and his staff and team for working so hard for we, the citizens of Huntington Beach. <laughs> Secondly, I'm here in support of item 12, the flag ordinance. Uh, we know that this is not a ban of any flags in our city. Uh, I fly the grandparent flag in September because I'm a grandparent. None of you have told me I can't do that. But I'm not expecting you to fly it at City Hall. Um, you know, I think that I read this item 12 as simply stating that city facilities and government flags only. I haven't once seen the word ban, so I don't know why our professional protesters are afraid. 
You know, I know discrimination. I know persecution. I raised a child in my 20s as a single mother, couldn't even get a credit card, couldn't buy a house. So, you know, now in my old age, I'm too old to be in my profession. So discrimination is all around us for every human being walking this planet. I had to put on my big girl panties and get it done. And the last thing I would like to say is, Miss Moser, I constantly see your rants on social media. This city supports many causes. I have never seen this city be discriminatory toward, toward anyone. And I think you're gaslighting a few people with the stuff that you're putting out there. And I'd like to ask you to resign from the council because I don't think you represent our city well. Thank you. Next, next speaker, thank you for being here. Council, my name is Lisa Marquise and I'm here to speak in opposition to Item number 12. First, I would like to thank council members Moser, Kalmick, and Bolton, and previous council members who made Huntington Beach a better place by flying the pride flag. The rest of my comments are directed to the four members who want to banish flying the rainbow pride flag, a rainbow, and using doublespeak to that end. And that's what I want to address, the doublespeak that you are doing this because equal rights. Though nobody is discriminated against for being heterosexual or a grandmother. <laughs> so why would you say this? Because you have to. You know that you, what you're doing is an obvious outward act of bigotry, targeting a group of people subject to hate crimes. Oh, and that's become unacceptable has become unacceptable to say out loud too much, only behind closed doors, and puts the city in legal jeopardy, at the very least as an employer, charged with protecting employees from discrimination and harassment, which is why you craft a resolution that prohibits other flags as well, deniability, I won't even call it plausible that you are taking back support, Huntington Beach has officially expressed for a group vulnerable to hate crimes and harassment. Because bottom line, that is what you're doing. You are rescinding our official support for LGBTQ people. You are rescinding the statement the flag represents that discrimination and bigotry have no place here. And you are rescinding the proclamation of equal rights for a group of people subject to hate speech and violence. Own it. That's what you're doing. You have to make an excuse for your actions because on its face, it's an act of targeted bigotry. It's not about equality. It's a jab, a jab at the fight for equality. That's what you're doing. And it's not subtle. I'd say no that in the next election, voters won't feel so comfortable with how things are going to stay home on a rainy day. They're going to turn out and they're going to show you the door.
Next speaker, thank you for being here. Okay. Okay, can you hear me right, right now? Okay. Okay. Mayor Strickland and the council members, I strongly support agenda item number 12, which prohibits special flags like pride flags in government buildings. It is outrageous that we favor certain groups while not allowing any religious flags, including those of ISIS under her government building. LGBT doesn't do anything to solve what is important in our city. We Huntington Beach residents are facing inflation, rising crimes, and homelessness. So why should we celebrate sexual activity between two others in the city priority? Does that even improve our quality of life? This is not the, not the episode of South Park. <laughs> this whole LGBT agenda is nothing more than anti-male and anti-family. They want to emasculate our boys and men. Men should be wearing steel-toe shoes and working hard labor, such as machinery. Not wearing lipsticks and high heels. Transgender women can't have an abortion because they don't have a vagina. <laughs> this abomination should not be celebrated in family-friendly city like Huntington Beach. Thanks for listening to my concern. Next. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Thank you. Good evening, council members. My name is Erin Arenzi, and I serve as a program director for hold on, Equality. Hold on, hold on, you'll get your time. Let the next speaker speak. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Uh, good evening, council members. My name is Erin Arenzi, and I serve as a program director for Equality California, the nation's largest statewide LGBTQ civil rights organization. I strongly encourage you to vote no on Ordinance 12. An increasing amount of anti-LGBTQ legislation has been proposed and enacted across the United States for the last couple of years and has made life particularly difficult for many LGBTQ people whose identities are being politicized. Not only does each discriminatory bill or ordinance harm the LGBTQ people that it directly impacts, but it also sends a broader message that LGBTQ people don't have the right to exist or thrive in the ways that non-LGBTQ folks do. Undoubtedly, having any part of your identity devalued, invalidated, or just plain not celebrated can contribute to, mentals, to issues with your mental health. As Dr. Scarlett noted, LGBTQ youth are not inherently prone to suicide risk because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. They are put at higher risk by our society because of the hate they're exposed to and the discrimination and stigma that LGBTQ people face. Just last year, 45% of LGBTQ youth seriously considered suicide and 14% of them attempted it. Data shows that LGBTQ youth who live in a community that is accepting of LGBTQ people report significantly lower rates of attempting suicide than those who do not. Huntington Beach has been that community before and can be that community today, a community that is accepting and welcoming to all youth and all people. You see, if I could tell my young queer self who hid who I was for fear of being rejected by my church, 
my family and my school, who wanted nothing more than to fit in, who didn't come out to friends and family for years for fear of rejection, that one day when a city would have raised a rainbow flag atop its highest point for all to see in the spirit of togetherness, community, and acceptance, I think my younger self would have felt a little bit less lonely and felt nothing but pride. Pride for my hometown and pride for the person I was becoming. The LGBTQ community is in a fight to exist, to be taught about in schools, to be allowed to love and commit and to live. Huntington Beach is every race, every creed, every age, nationality, religion, and level of ability. This council has the opportunity to take meaningful, positive action that would help all residents by showcasing that communities are represented, supported, and celebrated, and not silenced or rejected. Your ten, vote today ten seconds. can create a positive impact on the mental health of an LGBTQ young person, or it can be detrimental and harm the public debates around LGBTQ conclusion in the coming years. I strongly ask you to vote against this ordinance. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Madam, Madam Clerk, yes. uh, we have more speakers. Last call for Julie Norton. Peg Corley. Cynthia Meenan or Maynon. Hector Diaz. Gretchen Dawson. Kathy Ryder. Jean or Jeannie Paris. Sylvia Calhoun. Amory Hansen. Kathy Hawes. Bethany Webb. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. My name is Sylvia Calhoun. I've lived in Huntington Beach for 41 years. Three weeks ago on Valentine's Day, a dear friend of mine died. He was the first mutual friend that my husband and I made as a couple when we were married 21 years ago. He was a gay man who had, at the time of his death, been in a 30-year relationship with his partner. Throughout our decades-long friendship, we never spoke of rights this or discrimination that or rainbow flags. We were just friends. We loved each other as people. It occurs to, it occurs to me that I may well be the oldest person in this room. I have a historical perspective on the many social issues that are discussed today. I well remember all the injustices of the past, particularly the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. Since those dark days, consciousness has raised. This is what some of the younger social justice warriors failure, fail to perceive. We baby boomers fought the battles of racism, sexism, homophobia, warmongering, and statism before your parents were born. As I stated in my comments last week, human rights are enshrined in the Bill of Rights amendments to the U.S. Constitution. I would like to state again this week that I believe only U.S. government flags belong on U.S. government buildings. For an example, I was not fond of the Confederate flag waving in the breeze when I lived in the South years ago. 
Likewise, I do not support a rainbow flag on Huntington Beach government land, which supports a particular lifestyle or orientation. That is none of my business. I support agenda item 12. In 1965, I attended a trade school which was practically all male. I experienced sexism. It was not mean-spirited, but it was the mentality at the time. The other female student and myself were considered mentally deficient by some of the other students and even perhaps some of the professors. By the time we returned for a reunion in 1972, some of the students came up to me and apologized for insensitive remarks they had made in the past. Consciousness had raised that much in a few short years. How much time do I have? Five seconds. Oh, Four, three, two. That's it. Yes. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for being here. Next speaker. Next speaker. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm Gretchen Dawson, a Huntington Beach resident. I'm going to keep this brief. I'm reading on behalf of my wife, also, who couldn't be here tonight. Last time we were here, we heard a lot of the argument, you can fly your flag at your house, just not on city property. I have nothing against the gays. Another woman spoke about the fact that she was wearing a leopard hat, but would never expect the city to fly a leopard flag. And over and over, we heard the reference to queer community being conflated with special interest. The pride flag being flown during June is the same as an acknowledging Black History Month. It's to celebrate a group of people who were born this way and have been marginalized by society for it. Not to be confused with chosen religions or special interest. To close, I'd like to point out that someone said if the city flies the pride flag, why can't I fly the Christian flag? To which I'd like to remind everyone here how we started this meeting with a prayer to God. We are a room with diverse beliefs and yet we are all led in prayer on city property. So yeah, in a way you did get to fly your Christian flag on city property and yet still no one made a fuss about that. And that's a chosen religion, not a group of people. You were already been, we've already been flying the flag, the flag during June, the past couple of years. Taking it down is taking it away and Huntington Beach, that's not a good look. Stop canceling a rainbow. Thank you for your time. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you this evening, the city council. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to speak. Uh, my name is Peg Corley. I am the executive director of the LGBTQ Center in Orange County. I am here... Uh, not surprisingly, to talk about uh, agenda item number 12. I am not here, however, to try to change your minds, the four of you I'm talking to directly, or your vote. If we couldn't do that in two sessions, I'm not under the illusion that we're going to do that tonight. I am here, however, to help us find the path forward from here. It would be easy for LGBTQ people to stop coming to Huntington Beach. We can find a more welcoming, a safer city to have dinner, to go shopping, to spend the weekend. That's going to be our natural inclination. However, that's not supporting the nearly 20,000 
LGBTQ constituents that you serve. So we will stay in Huntington Beach. We will not be erased. We will be visible as ever before. And we are doing it for our LGBTQ family who you work for. Yes, we do love gay money, and we have plenty of it. We know how important it is. We know how important. Thank you. Again, uh, please just let the speaker speak. We have a lot of speakers on, you know, everybody has a different perspective. Just let the speakers get through their um, presentation. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Studies have shown, we've all seen the studies, we've seen the data. Our most vulnerable community members, and I mean insert your marginalized community here, not just LGBTQ community, any marginalized community, the most marginalized and vulnerable people, if they do not see themselves in their larger community, they do not feel safe, they do not thrive in their lives. So that is why we are making a commitment to not pull out of Huntington Beach. We will be here for them. I personally make this promise to you, the city council members, each and every one of you. I, as the ED of the center, Orange County, will be here for you. When your children or your grandchildren come out as LGBTQ, and they may already be LGBTQ, but they don't feel safe telling you that. But I will be here for you. I will provide counsel. I will listen to your fears and your concerns. I will make sure that you have the tools you need to lead and parent with love to support your children. That is a promise. And here is what I ask in return. I want our flag back. You have no value placed on our flag. It's either going to go in a broom closet or a dustbin. And I'll tell you what, the blood and sweat of people have carved out safe spaces throughout Orange County, and that flag means a lot to a great deal of people. And I am asking you to let us be the custodian of that flag until Huntington Beach is ready to fly it again. And when that day comes, I personally will deliver it to you in good condition and in good faith, but give us the flag back. Thank you. Next, next speaker. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Hi, good evening. Good evening, council members. My name is Sunitha Menon, and I'm the managing director of operations at Equality California, the nation's largest LGBTQ plus civil rights organization. I'm speaking in opposition to ordinance 4283. I stand before you today on behalf of Equality California, but also as a member of the LGBTQ community, and more importantly, as a human being. A human being that is exhausted. I'm exhausted from the constant attacks my community has been facing every week, fighting day and night for basic respect and dignity. Already this year, as you all know, a record number of bills across this country have been introduced into state legislature to eliminate critical protections for LGBTQ plus people, to separate LGBTQ plus children from their families, and to criminalize our very existence. We have witnessed a 200% increase in anti-LGBTQ plus protests over the past year, many of them attempting to intimidate and harass trans people. 
None of this happens in a vacuum. LGBTQ plus Californians, our neighbors, our youth, and their peers all see coverage of these attacks. And the result? There was an 83% increase of anti-LGBTQ plus hate crimes in Orange County reported this year. So where does Huntington Beach factor in? Where do you all factor in? In 2021, when LGBTQ plus people saw a unanimous vote of all seven Huntington Beach City Council members to fly the pride flag at City Hall and at the pier, LGBTQ plus people here in Surf City felt welcomed and supported. And even though members of the public, probably some of the ones here today, voted to burn the flag down, they said the world was built for straight people. The LGBTQ plus people still felt valued and validated because of the precedent of acceptance and support this council set. Now imagine how they felt when members of this council voted to reverse the president and to take down the flag, a message that we aren't welcome in Surf City. The pride flag is a nearly 60-year-old form of visibility, of knowing you are welcome. It is an easy way of knowing that you have allies. It welcomes LGBTQ neighbors to freely be themselves and rebukes hatred festering in communities. I don't believe that, that what you envision for Huntington Beach or what you want to define your legacy here in City Hall is one based on discrimination or separation. People throughout the city and across the country are watching to see who you choose tonight and what you choose tonight. Equality California is proud to join them tonight in respectfully asking you for a no on this ordinance. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Next, next speaker, thanks for being here. Hello, my name is Hector, uh, Hector Diaz, and I'm actually a resident from Santa Ana, and, but I spend a lot of time here as a teenager, and this is actually where I learned how to surf and where I learned to appreciate the ocean. As I stand here and listen to everyone's, everyone talk about, I prepared a long speech and wanted to do this like whole thing about explaining the pride flag and everything, but I'm more inclined to teach you guys and tell you my testimony because I hear the word God a lot tonight. And I actually was a really bad drug addict up until a few months ago. And I just wanted to say that God helped me out of that. And if God wasn't loving of me, then how, how am I to explain how he got me out of that if he didn't love me? So... Council members, today you are here with the choice. On one choice is to bring that flag down, but what message does that send? And on the other is to keep that flag up and help us. I know there's still a lot of work to be done in the LGBTQ plus community, but we cannot do it alone. Help us build the structure so that we can continue to thrive as a community together. Thank you. Thank you, next speaker. Good evening, City Council members and concerned citizens of Huntington Beach. My name is Jean Ferens, and I'm here tonight to talk about the silent majority. Conservatives have tried to co-opt the term silent majority for use by their side ever since Richard Nixon first employed it in 1969, thus relegating their opponents, especially liberals, to being the noisy minority. This provided for them a pretext of tacit approval for their pronouncements and policies, despite clear polling evidence of the opposite. 
Just as with school boards and other battlegrounds of the culture wars being fought both locally and nationally, the co-option of the so-called silent majority of the Huntington Beach community is being attempted by the new and not so universally respected conservative majority of the city council. Council member Pat Burns blogged recently, the city of Huntington Beach should avoid actions that could easily be perceived as divisive. We are one community with many different cultures and people. All are equally valued members of our community and none are to be treated differently or discriminated against. The sheer affrontery of the councilman's presumptive statement is mind-boggling. Tell that to the members of city boards and commissions, the LGBTQ segment of our citizenry, the mobile home community, environmental organizations, and other progressive civic groups that have dared to be different, that the new council majority is not being divisive. Tell them that they are not being treated differently or discriminated against. Tell them that they are being equally valued. Tell them there is not an anti-democratic and authoritarian bent to our new local government. Tell them it is better to stay silent and do nothing. I will not stay silent. As a new city council naysayers ignore the majority opposition to their divisive agenda, I will not stay silent. As they co-opt the American flag to protect their own twisted view of patriotism and use their political dais to dictate which religious opinion is acceptable for the HB citizenry to hear, I will not be silent. In 1867, the 19th century philosopher John Stuart Mill reiterated the view that the only thing necessary for evil to triumph in the world is that good men do nothing. It was proven true less than 100 years ago in 1930s Germany as a majority of good men stood in silence while a madman led a world to war and over six million Jews to the gas chambers. It was proven true then and is equally true today in Surf City. But I, for one, do not intend to do nothing. I will not stay silent. Hi, my name is Bethany Webb. I am a 44-year resident of Huntington Beach. I'm going to add something that I wanted to. Um, the name Natalie Moser has been brought up before tonight, something about her post. I don't know if I've ever met a more spiritually beautiful person in my life than Natalie Moser, and I appreciate you, and I see you. So I have mentioned before that people not from Huntington, particularly before 216, don't really understand the makeup of Huntington, and I'm going to go back to that. Um, as I mentioned last week, I am the mother of an LGBTQ child, a trans child. I, am, I mentioned also the sister and daughter of murder victims, gun murder victim at the Salon Meritage shooting in Seal Beach. Trans people are targeted. And as somebody who has lost somebody that they love dearly to violence, I ask you to think about what your actions do. You have made, you have brought this out, this division, this ugliness, under, and they, when you hear what they're saying, they are saying ugly comments. They're not saying, I mean, the woman that stood up here and said, God loves everybody except for you mistakes that God didn't make. Okay, I don't believe in, I don't, I don't believe in that God. I don't believe in mistakes. I know 
that we, my husband and I, who's here, raised a child with honor, Semper Fi, always faithful, the belief in this country, in freedom, in equality, and that child is the way that the God of mercy and decency created that child perfectly in that form. Now, I wanted to get back to part two of what I believe that you don't understand. There is conservatism in Huntington Beach, but it's fiscal conservatism, and you're not following that. A fiscal paper, the Orange County Register, wrote an a editorial about your proposed, I'm just going to read the first and last sentences, I mean, uh, parts of this. The city of Huntington Beach, city council majority, apparently believes that it is above the law. In late December, the council instructed the city attorney to draft an ordinance that would defy state laws that require municipalities to approve more housing development. And now, General Rob Bonta's office has replied, we could definitely see this one coming. What's their final, again, a conservative Orange County newspaper leans right. Sorry, but Justice Huntington Beach residents must follow the laws. They don't like, so must the city. We expect the courts to rebuke Huntington Beach and the residents to be stuck with soaring legal bills. Thank you. No, thank you. Thanks for being here. Next, next speaker, thanks for being here. Good evening, Mayor, Council members, city staff, and HB voters. I'm Kathy Ryder, and my husband and I have lived and voted in Huntington since 1985. And while we do certainly support the need for public safety in our public parking structures, in our city lots, in our public buildings, and in our parks, we still have those same concerns that we had at the last meeting about agenda items 13 and 14. There's a long list of unacceptable behaviors in both of them, and exactly how are we going to share what these unacceptable behaviors are to not only our citizens, but to those who visit our city? How will these be enforced? Are we planning to put police officers at every public spot 24-7? Because if I recall a couple of meetings ago, our police chief asked for some additional support and all that was tabled, and we were repeatedly told that our police force is understaffed. And if I'm out and about and I see someone doing one of these unacceptable behaviors, how and to whom do I report it, or do I? And these violations look to be <coughs> misdemeanors. Are there gonna be costs involved? Will there be fines? Who was going to assign the fine cost? Are all violations equally egregious? Are we, how do we pay these fines? And what if I commit a whole slew of them? Will eventually I be banned from a public spot? How will that be monitored? And of course, we were all told during the election season that on day one, this 90-day homeless plan would be implemented. Well, of course, we've now learned that this 90-day plan was really just a couple of emails between a retired police chief and the uh, city manager at that time, and at our last city council meeting, Councilmember McKeon even said that the agenda items ordinances were designed to end homelessness. So homelessness is a crime now, I guess, in our city. That's how we're going to solve it. I actually was here for the study session this afternoon, and it looks as if what we are currently doing and what we have been doing is working. I don't think we need a whole bunch of rules and regulations. But we are also looking forward to hearing about how we're going to reimagine Main Street. This is something that is long overdue. And we certainly support agenda item number 18. Why in the world do we tell property owners what they can and cannot do? I already live in a neighborhood where we've got one-story houses that are now two-story houses. 
We have garages that are apartments. This is one of the ways people solve their homing, housing situation. So I urge you to really be thinking about what we're doing when we look at how we're going to go against state laws. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. My name is Mr. Amory Hansen. I'm speaking tonight on item 17A, the additional feedback on Main Street. I also urge the City Council to begin steps toward a plan that will include the continued openness of Main Street. I wanted to share some thoughts I had based on reading the report as well as the survey. Of note, 37% of respondents to the survey supported the enhanced streetscape and 14% said, quote, utter, end quote. The staff report mentions that many of the other comments supported an open Main Street, but had additional suggestions to improve Main Street. Of note, the survey only had a box to list additional suggestions under, quote, utter, end quote. 37 plus 14 is 51%, a majority percentage of respondents. When asked in the survey if each individual block of Main Street should be closed, a majority of respondents did not support closing each block. I urge the City Council to consider this information when considering next steps for Main Street. Downtown Huntington Beach still requires revitalization and should remain a place for Huntingtonians to come together. I want downtown to be a place of pride for all Huntingtonians. Once again, I urge the City Council to consider the feedback provided today and create a plan to revitalize downtown that involves an open Main Street. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, next speaker, thanks for being here. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor Strickland and City Council. My name is Kathy Haas, and my husband and I have been residents for, of Huntington Beach for nearly 50 years now. He couldn't be here, but he fully supports my position as well. And I'm here to speak in support of item, agenda item number 12 this evening. As I've stated previously, the city of Huntington Beach does not need to be in the business of deciding which affinity flag shall fly over the city and which shall not. That anytime you fly an affinity flag, you're going to offend somebody. I think we need to keep it straight to government-related flags only. That is what is fair. That is what is equitable to everyone. We are banning everyone at the same time. We're banning every group other than governmental groups. That is fair and it is equitable. The other thing that this ordinance will achieve is it will give you, the city council members, more time to deal with the other issues facing the cities. We will not have to go through this flag debate. Shall we fly it? Shall we not? We won't have to do that anymore because we will have a clear-cut policy that everybody understands and it is fair. Thank you. Please support this issue. Thank you. We're getting Madam, there. Madam We're Clark, getting there. <laughs> more names. Yes, so I'd like to, to I'm going to call the next 10, and I would just like to uh, let some of our public here that requested some um, translation assistance, some Spanish translation assistance. Um, we do have someone here that can help us, a representative from our police department. So if you hear your name, come on down. Estrella Salinas, Rachel Pozos, Carla Cadena, Megan Inman, Harvey Liss, Jack Hamill, Brooklyn Roberts, Lisa, Libby, and Angela Salinardi. 
So if you need assistance with a translator, this gentleman here is here to help. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's really nice to see you guys on the city council. Um, thank you, Mayor Strickland and council members. Uh, my name is Angela Salinardi. I've been a resident in Huntington Beach for 42 years. I grew up during the years of skinheads and straightheads when division was at a height, and it was pretty heartbreaking. So um, to see right now this division being created over sexual preference is kind of mind-blowing to me. Personally, I'm a heterosexual, Irish, Italian, Christian woman with a biracial son. And most importantly, I'm an American because we're Americans and that's what we should all identify with right now um, when division is at its height. Um, I'm not asking anyone to fly a women pride flag, a black pride flag, an Irish pride flag, Italian, because there's no point in it. It's for me, it's my identity, and it's my lifestyle. So I don't expect anybody to take part in it except for me. Um, by flying a pride flag, I think it just creates more division and we don't need more of that right now after the last three years of absolute insanity in this world. So I'm against um, flying anything but a government flag. I think the American flag, a California flag, and of course a Huntington flag makes the most sense. It's the most non-divisive and um, just so you guys know, anybody who's left, we don't hate gay people. We just want everybody to keep their business to themselves. Um, you can be you and I'm going to be me. And I'm not going to force my lifestyle on you and you shouldn't force yours on mine, on me. So anyway, um, thanks for all the hard work you guys are doing and being voices for the people. I kind of went all over the place, but um, just some stats I looked up while I was waiting for Orange County Human Relations. 10% of Huntington Beach residents are um, LGBTQ+. Uh, Huntington was awarded a 76 I imagine out of 100 in this rating of um, homosexual friendliness, I don't know what else to call it, where the national average was 56. So actually Huntington's doing pretty good. So I don't think anybody has anything to complain about. Um, I've heard people say they come here because they feel safe and included. So I'm sorry to the people who've gone through obstacles because of their preference, but it's not the majority. The majority of Huntington residents Welcome, everybody. So thanks, Council, and please just keep it governmental because that's your job and sexual preference isn't. Okay. Thank you for being here. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Hi, my name is Megan Inman. I'm a HB resident, and I grew up here. Um, I just want to correct a couple things the last speaker said. First of all, being queer is not a lifestyle. It is not a choice. We don't have a special club. <laughs> um, so I just want to clear that up really quick <laughs> before I move on. Um, and I just, I just want to say, like, this is pretty disappointing. Like, I'm pretty disappointed in a lot of people here tonight as an HB resident. I think at this point, we can do away with the pretense that this flag restriction is not about the bride flag specifically, because we all know it is. Um, when has the flying of any flag here brought so many letters of disapproval as rainbow colors? The flying of a flag is only divisive if its viewers dislike what it represents. 
That's LGBT visibility. They don't want us to be seen. They don't want us to be visible. They're fine with us existing as long as, you know, they don't have to encounter us in our visibility. The flying of a flag is not divisive. The hatred in the community for LGBT visibility is what is divisive. And this council has voted to validate that. Many diverse communities happily fly the pride flag. Healthy communities recognize, uplift, and celebrate differences. True unity is an ability to recognize the different people in your community and support them. Unity is not feeling threatened because someone who is different than you is receiving support. There's no scarcity of support for anyone in a healthy community. The issue here is that some people hate seeing a pride flag because they, again, oppose our visibility. You might not be against us as people, but you don't like that we're being visible. That's a problem. That's ignorance and bigotry. So now I speak to my fellow LGBT people, our friends, families, and allies, and I just want to remind you that even though this feels like hopeless and kind of shitty to like hear a lot of these negative comments. I just want to reassure you that a lot of these people scream the loudest because they're afraid. They fear people who are different than them. They fear LGBT visibility. But most of all, they are afraid because they know that they are a dying breed of people. Threatened to be drowned by the rising tide of social change. So they yell and they complain over a pride flag and cheer when it's brought down because it gives them the slightest glimmer of hope that maybe the world is not moving on without them. This council may embolden them, but it is nothing more than a small echo chamber that makes them think they are louder than they are. HB may, for now, be the little island they huddle on, afraid of the waves of social change that lap at it. Pathetic. I thought this was a town of surfers. Flag or no flag, five, we will not stop being very, very visibly queer. And we will not disappear. Thank you. Hello. Thank you for being here. Next speaker. Thank, thank you. you. I want to thank all of you guys. I commend you for the hard work you're doing, especially with the uh, homeless situation. I am going to uh, speak on behalf of supporting number 12 only because, uh, you know, everybody pays taxes to California. They pay taxes to the federal government. Therefore, there's people that don't agree with flying ideological flags and I know it's a you know a community my sister's gay I've got gay people and I've never in my life encountered this type of hate and it's not hate on our side it's like this accusatory of like we're the bad ones and I'm like wait a minute no that, that ain't it at all you know and I don't want you know anybody to misconstrue what I'm saying here but you know this this victimization has got to end. I mean, this divisiveness, like, I support LGBTQ people all the way, you know what I mean? I'm totally, you know, but, you know, don't, I'm a Christian, and I don't, like, go and put my faith in people's faces. I just don't do it, because it always made me feel uncomfortable. And this is what I feel is happening. It's like, look, I respect you. I get along. Everything's great. Let's be cool. I'll go to your parties. It's cool. Well, let's hang out. But let's keep things neutral. And, you know, I want to thank some of you for risking your lives for coming here tonight because the, you know, pride flag's not being flown. I think it's a little petulant and it should be, I don't know. 
I, you know, this is not how we unite. It isn't by flying a flag. Like it's American, it's the California, it's the Huntington Beach flag, it's what we represent. That's it. End of story. But that's all I'm gonna say for right now. Um, and, you know, again, I, I know a lot of, some of you folks have, you know, experienced some uh, obstacles, and, but again, what Nice Gal said earlier, we don't hate you, we love you, we're, we are inclusive. But, you know, everybody lives here and everybody pays taxes. It's not all about this or that. So let's just keep it neutral and keep things even. That's it. So. <laughs> Next speaker, thanks for being here. Thank you. Good evening. Um, I'm here once again to urge you to vote against your proposed ordinance that would ban all special flags. It saddens me that you are willing to subvert the economic benefits of the city and the businesses within it as you become subservient to a misguided idea. People all over the world are aware of the actions you are taking. People make decisions about where they will travel and spend their tourist dollars based on stories they see on the news and on social media. Right now, your actions are chasing away those dollars. Friends have reported that on trips to Europe, when mentioning they were from HB, the response was not favorable. Other friends report the same negative feedback when they have traveled back east in this country. Personally, I have encountered similar responses when traveling within the state. There are many beautiful beach communities to choose from, and why you are making this city a laughingstock and chasing away potential visitors is beyond me. Please vote to minimize government regulation and do not create a new flag law. Vote no on item 12. And on item 18, I'm hoping that what you're reporting out from closed session means that it's going to go away. But otherwise, I fervently hope you will have a unanimous yes vote. It is unconscionable that you are putting city employees in the position of either following your direction or abiding by state law. No one should be put in such a position in order to retain their job. Thank you. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Good evening, city council members and residents. My name is Lisa. I would like to speak about two subjects tonight. Firstly, after attending the city council meeting on February the 21st, it became clear that some of the speakers were not Huntington Beach residents. It is important to listen to the input from our community of residents and businesses on matters concerning our city. Receiving input from people outside of Huntington Beach is unnecessary and makes these meetings burdensomely long. I therefore would like to propose that in future the City Council put into place a procedure to pre-screen all speakers by requiring either proof of residency or a business license. Next, in regards to agenda item 12, during the prior city council meeting again on February the 21st, I heard many of the pride speakers say that without flying the pride flag in June, they don't feel safe. Does that mean that they are in fear for the other 11 months of the year? Pride shouldn't. Pride shouldn't come from a piece of fabric. Pride should reside within. 
We have not banned the pride flag in Huntington Beach. However, if you still don't feel safe or welcome here, then we wish you the best of luck in finding a happier place to live. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Good evening. I'm Brooklyn Roberts. I'm uh, obviously transgender, and I feel like I'm about to split the room in a kind of weird way. Um, this has been an interesting night. Um, I'm a carpenter. Um, I'm an Orange County business owner, and I'm here from out of town, sorry, um, because I've shed a lot of blood, sweat, and tears on Huntington Beach. I love working here. This is one of my favorite places to spend a work day. Um, believe it or not, I wear steel toe boots for work and I swing a hammer for a living. So, I'm here as a blue-collar American, and I want it to be clear how American I am and where I'm coming from in this. I'm an Eagle Scout, and I grew up in a conservative Christian home. My ancestors helped settle the West in the 1800s. I have a grandfather who lied about his age to serve in World War II. He sailed in the Atlantic, the Pacific, and the Mediterranean, and he's the one that gave me my first rifle. And that's gonna have to be pried out of my hands from my cold, dead fingers. I think a lot of people can relate with that. I've been to numerous American heritage sites, Washington, D.C., Gettysburg, Philadelphia, Boston. I've stood for a moment of silence at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and I've retired the American flag at Abraham Lincoln's tomb. I've seen the Liberty Bell and the Declaration of Independence in person, and I've walked through the front door of the White House. I'm an American. So I hope you recognize a patriot, and I hope you know where I'm coming from, that my heart's in the same place. I'm also a hopeful believer in the optimistic patriotism expressed by the reasoning behind the flag ordinance. My heart's in the same place in wanting to see the American flag being the only symbol of unity that we need. I feel the same way. <laughs> However, I think we all recognize that that's not how this ordinance would play out. I think allowing flags to fly together is how the government shows unity as an example. It sets an example to people who need one. And until the community can follow that example, I think the city should continue to set the right one. I think that true unity means standing together, not choosing which one stands. But having said that, I've also experienced kind of a lot of interesting feelings, hearing very good points brought up by people that, that pricked my heart, even from the other side of this issue. And even as I tried to write notes, a, a pen was handed to me literally from the other side of the aisle by somebody that I'm pretty sure knows I'm transgender and doesn't care what I have to write down, but still loan me his pen. And I think that's a good show of decency. I think that we all, this is kind of my conclusive remark, I think we all owe each other the benefit of the doubt as people, as humans. But in the meantime, I hope that the city of Huntington Beach considers setting the right example of unity by showing what it looks like to stand together. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, thanks for being here. I'm Harvey Liss, a resident of that great city of Irvine a city that proudly flies the pride flag. I'm 81 years old, and I'll bet 75 cents that I am actually the oldest person in this, in this room. 
Anybody older than me here? Oh, great. Congratulations. Anyway, I've been a, a, a gay, gay rights activist when gays were the main target of bigots being beaten and murdered on the streets. Obviously, a lot of people are not aware of that history. This ordinance was obviously intended to end the flying of the pride flag. Although the rainbow pride flag can be taken to mean everyone, that's neither its intended purpose, nor why it was crea created, nor why it has flown. The original pride flag was created at the request of San Francisco Supervisor Harvey Milk, a gay man, to be flown at their Gay Freedom Day parade. It was modified to the current version in 79 after Mayor George Moscone and Milk were assassinated. A city flying the pride flag at its city hall states that the LGBTQ community specifically is welcome and should have no fear of being attacked. So why does hunting the beach especially need such a flag? Shouldn't everyone feel safe? Yes, of course, but hunting the beach was a no notorious gay bashing city, definitely unsafe for gays. I have a close friend who was gay bashed and harassed by the hunting the beach police in 1991 as if he was a plaything to be taunted merely because he was carrying a gay magazine. He was a resident of Hunting the Beach at the time. And from reading some of the correspondence, it appears that the reality of that reputation and the ignorance that drives it seem to still exist amongst some residents. To them, I say, I am not a child molester. I don't pray to Satan or whatever other kooky beliefs they have about me. Intended or not, voting now to not fly the pride flag sends a signal that it's still okay to bash members of the LGBTQ community. But you have a second chance to right that awful wrong. Flying the pride flag would state that we are now welcome in Huntington Beach, a change of a past reality. And if I'm attacked for holding hands with my husband on the beach, doing exactly what straight couples do, I would expect the police to protect me rather than to join in the attack, telling me that I got what I deserve. By the way, the correspondence I read that this change of policy will negatively affect tourism is probably true, and that's truly a fact, not a threat. So do the right thing. Pull it from the consent calendar, and all should vote no on the second reading. I should mention also that when I told my parents that I was gay, my mother said, oh, Harvey, that's wonderful, because I just heard on Geraldo that gay children Ten take seconds. wonderful care of their elderly parents. It's better than having a daughter. And I did. Thank you. All right. Okay. Madam Clerk, more names? Yes. Last call, last call for Estrella Salinas, Rachel Posos, and Carla Cadena. And then I'll call the next 10. Robert Boland, Meg Robinson, Martha Moreau, Cooper, Guest PJ, Russ Neal, Stephen Martin, Jean or Jeannie Ferens, Frank Rodriguez, Valentina Bankhead. Thank you for being here. Okay. Uh, good evening. My name is Meg Robinson. I am a lesbian and I live in Huntington Beach. Um, I'm sad that I'm here for the third time this evening speaking against item t uh, 12. It didn't have to be that way. As people have mentioned, we already had a really good ordinance that would have allowed you to vote this out, 
to, to decide not to fly the pride flag in one city council meeting. It would have been one and done. Instead, it's been dragged down for three city council meetings with increasing, uh, increasing uh, heat and hate and, and frustration on everybody's part. And this is on you. There was no reason to change an ordinance that was working. I have no clue why you didn't take that way one meeting and it would have been done. Actually, when you vote tonight, because I know you will vote it in, I know that when we have our Cherry Blossom Festival in April, we will not be flying the Sister City uh, flag because you won't have time to approve it. So you, you've kind of painted yourself into a corner, uh, but that's the way it goes. I really want to talk more about the rhetoric that I've been hearing the past two meetings. Uh, I've seen it in the emails, in, in the agenda packets. I've heard it from speakers here. I've heard it from the murmurings from the crowd. Um, it's displayed the violent tolerance that has marred Huntington Beach in the past. The hate speech that spews heinous, heinous stereotypes at the LGBTQ community. Conspiracy theories. These are, this is rhetoric that can only further divide this community and make the LGBTQ community feel even more excluded. A yes vote to remove the pride flag could easily be misconstrued as tacit approval of these extreme views, unless the view, these views are directly addressed by this council. My challenge to you is this, what will you do to make the gay community feel safe and welcomed in Huntington Beach. If you do nothing, tonight is not only sad, it's shameful. Thank you. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Well, I'm here to speak on item number 23187. The recent presentation that was given by city staff at the library on 21023, that is this survey is based on, right here, was incomplete to say the least. It generally followed the inadequate plan that was designed at the request of the city staff and presented by Studio 111 some time ago. I, along with many of my fellow Main Street merchants, restaurants, and property owners, applaud this current city council action in removing the outdoor dining that was allowed at basically no charge to the restaurant owners during the COVID pandemic and allowing two-way traffic on all three blocks of Main Street as it has been since 1909 so that all businesses would have the same opportunity to survive. Like I mentioned, this survey is really incomplete as it does not address all the issues that were brought up at that meeting. JC, James Cohelo asked staff who would take on the long-term expense for the maintenance of this project. The staff said that there could be a PBAD put in place to pay for that, but there is no mention of that fact in the staff report. As far as I know, the property owners are not interested in a property business assessment district. This fact alone may have changed some of the answers on this survey. In that meeting, a public plaza kept being brought to the forefront by staff. 
Most of the businesses and property owners do not understand the design or the possible negative consequences of a public plaza on Main Street. We would be placed in the same ugly position as that of the merchants and restaurants located at the third block street, third street promenade in Santa Monica. I've added to this, to those photos that were taken today, by the way, uh, this report from up there in Santa Monica. Uh, as you can plainly see by the photos that were taken today, Main Street is thriving and doing well. My suggestion is to take a deep breath, step back, and let's see how Main Street does for the next year or two before we make any major adjustments and direct staff to just back off until then, as mentioned as in the alternative action. That is their alternative action. Then the city, along with input from the merchants and property owners, could see what we really need to do to improve the downtown experience such as a better lighting, better police presence, a comprehensive plan to help with our homeless problem. But for now, it's working just fine. As a sad, side note, the city could be generating between $150,000 and $200,000 a year in parking meter revenue, and the bid will get a financial shot in the arm with between 40 to 50 new vendors for Tuesday nights. Today, when I was downtown, there were some people pulling in just in front of BJ's in that one end parking space. 10 seconds. Okay. Anyway, they were from Germany. They didn't know what they were doing. They wouldn't have been there if that street would have been blocked. And I told them, yeah, they could park there. Just had to be away from by 2 o'clock. Hamburg, Germany. They were great. Good to have tourists back. Thank you very much. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Good evening, Council, Mayor, Mayor Pro Tem, City of Huntington Beach. Thank you for having me back in my hometown. My name is Stephen Martin. I'm from the Stonewall Democratic Club. I'm our elected at-large member, and I'm here representing our organization I want to open up with a quote that I think this will unite across all generations of people, and I think you'll find it familiar. Imagine all of the people living life in peace. You, <laughs> you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. John Lennon. I've never seen government work so fast in my entire life. <laughs> And I, I give it to you guys for being efficient. But with that, isn't it not obvious that we are tearing the community apart? People are throwing out the words predator, all sorts of names coming from across the aisle that are just horrendous. That's not becoming of any of us, former Huntington Beach members or current Huntington Beach members. And it's obvious that it's tearing us apart. We are at each other's throats. And I, I'll, take you, I'll take the four members who are supporting item 12 at their word, that they believe that the United States flag waves for all of us. I believe you. And that's why I challenge you to come wave it for us. Let's slow this down a little bit. We don't have to have this vote tonight. You have proven that you can get the votes and you can deliver this flag ban. But why don't we bring the two communities at odds together at one of your many beautiful parks, beaches, down at the pier, and have a cultural exchange and see if it changes people's minds? Because I think if we see each other as humans in a cultural space, culture is where we have art, food, music, conversation, political dialogue. And I think we can achieve this and build some bridges across the aisle to see that we're all just humans. Okay. 
If not, I'm afraid these arguments run hollow. Because that flag didn't wave for me when we signed Don't Ask, Don't Tell. It didn't wave for me when we signed the Defense of Marriage Act. It didn't wave for the millions of people that were put into early graves because of bigotry and hatred. And I don't accuse anyone here tonight of that. But we know that it existed in the past, and I think the first step is to acknowledge that that has happened. And so if we could lament on how to bring these communities together, I think that would be huge. And if you do go forward with this ban, why don't you guys become the largest single donor to fight suicide in the queer community, or hunger, or poverty, or addiction? Show us that you care. If you believe that flag, Mr. Burns, waves for us, please help us wave it and show it. The Supreme Court has decided, thank you. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor Strickland and council members. My name is Martha Morrow. I'm a 31-year resident of Huntington Beach. I want to thank Councilmember Burns for initiating and bringing to the attention of the citizens of Huntington Beach Agenda Item 12 regarding flying government flags on city property. The purpose and duty of our local city government is to protect the well-being of the taxpaying citizens by overseeing police and fire protection, municipal services such as water and trash collection, and protecting and utilizing taxpayers' funds for the benefit of the general population. Unfortunately, the previous city council and the political minority of the current council did not and do not understand the limit of their duties. The duties and responsibilities of the city council do not include promoting and advocating the agenda of special interest groups. By doing, by doing so, they are robbing the rest of us of the time, attention, and resources that should and must be devoted to addressing the city's current critical problems. Problems largely ignored, excused, window-dressed, or enabled by the previous council. People might say flying a special interest flag, such as the LGBTQ flag, on government property is a small thing, but in fact it diminishes the symbolism and value of the flag of the United States of America, which unites us all. 10% of the population is just as valuable as 90%, but it's not more valuable. Their rights are equal, but are not more equal. The citizens of this city have the freedom to fly any flag of their choice at their residence and place of business or wear it on their clothing if they so choose. It is completely inappropriate for the city to bow to any special interest group advocating a particular culture and political agenda. If you allow one special interest group to fly their flag, then you must allow every other special interest group to have their day week or month at the City Hall flagpole. Thank you. Thank you. Next, next speaker, thanks for being here. <clears throat> yeah, yes, uh, good evening, Mayor Strickland and members of the City Council. My name is Russell Neal and I live in Huntington Beach. 
Uh, I am in favor of agenda item 12, but I would like to speak on another topic. A, a certain individual has made it his mission to exploit this forum to make outrageous and defamatory charges against Mayor Pro Tem Vandermark. Defamation of this type is not harmless. Mrs. Vandermark and her family have been subjected to acts of physical intimidation, including having the window of her car shot out during this last election. Our city guidelines for public comment do not permit comments that are defamatory and that are not protected free speech. Under the United States Supreme Court's Sullivan ruling, defamation of public officials is not protected free speech if it is made with a reckless disregard for the truth and actual malice. If this slander against Mrs. Vandermark does not meet that standard, nothing does. These attacks should not be permitted to continue in this forum. I, I, would, add, I would add that if this individual is looking to pick a fight with someone, he should not pick it with a woman who is prevented by law from defending herself. He should pick it with me. A, a washed up old man and failed school board candidate just like him. Or as Doc Holliday might have said, I'm your huckleberry. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Hi, uh, I'm Cooper Carrasco, just Cooper on the thing. Um, good evening, council and neighbors uh, and people from out of town. That's fine with me, too. I don't care that much if you guys come. I mean, that's, it's cool. It's, it, you know, we're, we, we're neighbors, too, still, kind of. Uh, I'm here to oppose agenda item 12. Uh, since we pretty much know how the vote's going to go, I just want to tell my neighbors, when a group that you're not in gets a flag flown for them, you really shouldn't ask, what about my flag? Like, what about my flag? Uh, if it makes them happy, you should be happy for them. Uh, for your own sake, for your heart, you should not be envious in response to another group being celebrated. It's bad for you. Particularly in the case of a group who, less than a decade ago, could not legally get married and for the vast majority of this country's history was punished with all sorts of roundabout laws like public indecency, immorality, sodomy, registered as sex offenders for sharing a kiss on New Year's Eve. That happened at the Black Cat Tavern. You can look it up. The LGBT community continues to be attacked, threatened, and stripped of their civil rights by the law. I know some people in here don't believe that, and I've, I've seen the eye rolls, but it is true. It's not some liberal hoax, and I'm ready to talk about it one-on-one -on -one with any of you. I'll send you links or whatever. Like, it really is happening. I, you know. This idea that celebrating one group takes away from another group is wrong. When I drive by the senior center, I don't get all worked up and think, where's my 30-something center? Because the senior center doesn't hurt me, and this flag doesn't hurt you, any of you. 
When I see the pride flag being flown by the government, I see a well-deserved apology uh, and another barrier to freedom overcome akin to women's suffrage and the, aban uh, the abolition of slavery. I see a step towards the fulfillment of our ideals. And uh, to those who oppose this as much as I do, don't despair, come together, get emails, phone numbers, and social media information from like-minded individuals, uh, connect with your neighbors, and form coalitions. Uh, it might not be you under attack tonight, but tomorrow it might be. And um, oh, there was one more thing. Hold on, I have time, so let's just hang out. Moment of silence. We could all... We're all tired. I don't know. You know what? I forgot it. But just like, like uh, a present, maybe a present vote from one of the four. That would be so cool. <laughs> Valentina Bankhead, Huntington Beach resident. I am in full support of Agenda 12. Thank you, Pat. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. That's Genesis. That is God's promise. The American flag has stood as a symbol of freedom and justice for over 225 years. Through wars and in times of peace, the sight of the American flag has given notice to foes and assurances to friends that democracy lives. No other symbol captures the power and glory of our nation like the American flag. It has flown as our national emblem in some form without interruption since 1776. The American flag remains a living piece of history and a source of pride and unity for all Americans. The stars and stripes embodies the very qualities that make our nation great. Liberty, justice, freedom, love of country, and national purpose. That was written by Michael J. Kusick, former Assemblyman of New York and a Democrat. Thank you, Pat, and Council for bringing this ordinance forward that I totally support. On another subject, I would like to address the Council on their personal ethics at Council with decorum on dais and on social media. As a resident of Huntington Beach, no one should feel targeted or singled out. Natalie Mosier has a definite race-baiting problem. She has demonized people by virtue of re reverberating slanted articles from organizations that are liable and also not informed in truth and reality. What is your motivation? What is her purpose for this? To make a resident feel not accepted and excluded from Huntington Beach society? Why pinpoint out a man who you claim should look into the mirror because he is wearing a Make America Godly Again hat? Is she against God in our country? On that note, Natalie Mosher has also switched out an invocation religious leader to one rabbi of racist ideology that includes hate, stereotyping, and also points to slanted websites that have been hijacked by the left. She has boldly lied on dais about it, which I think is offensive to every resident in the room and watching online. I think she should be investigated for her behavior and loose irresponsible rhetoric of hate towards any and all residents and co-council members. We are watching, Natalie. Your behavior reeks of hypocrisy, outright disrespect, and ignorance to the people you call your constituents. You talk about love and equity and inclusiveness, yet you speak of discrimination towards them? Shame on you. Stop baiting with your time on hate and please work diligently on the true issues in our community as the other council members that were just elected. Ten seconds. Thank you.
Next speaker, thanks for being here. Good evening. My name is Frank Rodriguez. I'm a 31-year-old gay man pushing back against the hijack agenda of the LGBT Incorporated. I'm the executive director of operations for Gays Against Groomers. I thought long and hard, I thought long and hard about what I was going to say at this podium, and facts are something that I'm going to deliver tonight. The executive director of OCLGBTQ Center oversees Q chat spaces. These chat spaces are offered to children and adults. So the person at this podium was actively advocating to groom your children, and they supported it. This is a fact. Another fact is half of the people that are gonna to come to this podium that are gay are addicted to drugs. 25% of them are going to attempt suicide or already have attempted suicide. Half think that life isn't worth living. Do you see any of them advocating for any of these things? No. But let's advocate for the facts. They wanna talk about income being lost to Huntington Beach. According to the IRS, gays are in 10% less than the average American. And that's a fact. You want to know another fact? Natalie, you tweeted about Blue Shield leaving Huntington Beach. Do you know 75% of my community fails at getting access to health care? So what does Blue Shield do to ensure that my community can get the obvious mental health care that they need? That's why I'm so glad that I waited to turn in my slip, because the behavior of my community is apparent in their outlash, that they need help medical help, mental health help, not someone on Twitter lying about some sort of organization or healthcare service that does nothing for my community. But we're helping them, right? I get messages from children from all across our country, scared to speak out at their schools because of the gang that has appeared here tonight. They go to the schools, they infiltrate the public, and they try to attack people here. Why? Because they're screaming out for help. A flag, a piece of fabric, is not going to heal the closet trauma that this generation is dealing with. A flag is going to help them? If you look at a flag and that provides you safety, I implore you to go talk to a therapist. Gays Against Groomers represents the real issues that are facing our community. Fighting for children, the active thing that this community is for. They're not here for rights. They're not here to support anyone else other than their cult. And that's why I'm glad I'm part of an organization breaking the barriers and exposing things like the executive director of Ten OC. seconds. Ten seconds. Thank you to the board majority, and I really hope my community gets the help that they need. Much love. <laughs> Ma Madam Clerk, we have more names. Yes. Last call for guest PJ and Jean or Jeannie Paris. And then the next 10 speakers, George Washington, uh -huh. Riley Emmeth or Emsh, Doug Von Dolan, Ashley, Isabella Maldonado, Carolyn Lewis, Lewis, Galasso, Tim Geddes, Chris Waring, Michelle Kearns.
a lot more. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Um, good evening, Mayor and City Council. My name is Tim Geddes, and I'm a 39-year resident of Huntington Beach. In Friday's Daily Pilot, there was a photo of Mayor Tony Strickland and Councilman Pat Burns reading Dr. Seuss to elementary school children. With all the reactionary rights' hysterical concerns with the reading of certain books in schools, it may have, it may have seemed ironic to have a couple of conservatives how uh, brave the controversial Dr. Seuss, but I applaud it. I came, up, I came up with a Dr. Seuss treatment of one of our controversial topics in Surf City, dealing with the reluctance of the council majority to fly certain flags for, here for the LGBT community and sports teams. It's called Pride Flags and Rams, with apology to Theodore Geisel, RIP. I am right-wing Uncle Sam. Right-wing Uncle Sam, I am. Do you like pride flags and rams? I do not like them, right-wing Sam. I do not like pride flags and rams. Would you fly them here or there? I would not fly them anywhere. I do not like pride flags and rams. I do not like them, right-wing Sam. Would you fly them on a pole if they won a Super Bowl? I would not fly them on a pole for Gay Pride Month or Super Bowl. I would not fly them here or there. I would not fly them anywhere. I do not like pride flags and rams. I do not like them, right-wing Sam. Would you fly them in HB, display on city property? I would not fly them in HB or display on city property. I would not fly them on a pole for gay, gay pride month or Super Bowl. I would not fly them here or there. I would not fly them anywhere. I would not fly, I would not fly, I do not like pride flags and rams. I do not like them, right-wing Sam. Could you, would you, on a boat? Could you, would you on a float? I could not, would not on a boat. I would not, could not on a float. I, I will not, will not on our float, July 4th, uh, or display them on city, pro display on city property. I will not fly them on a pole for Gay Pride Month or Super Bowl. I will not fly them here or there. I will not fly them anywhere. I do not like pride flags and rams. I do not like them, right wing Sam. You do not like them, so you say. Try them, fly them, and you may. Try them, and you may, I say. Sam, we will let you be. Try them, fly them, you will see. We, it's good for the community to show that we are proud and free and not a damn autocracy. Again, I, apl I, apl I applaud conservatives reading Dr. Seuss in uh, schools and to think that I saw it in Huntington Beach. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, thanks Good for being evening, here. Good evening, Mr. Mayor, council members, and staff. Uh, my name is Doug Vondola, and I'm speaking in favor of item 18, authorizing the city manager to follow the law and continue processing uh, SB 9 and ADU applications. It seems crazy that after all the talk we've heard about local control from the city council, this proposed ordinance from Councilman Kalmick is actually the first time this council has invoked local control over a housing issue. Finally, a council member is saying we have a plan. We can deal with SB9 and ADUs in a way that fits Huntington Beach. So let's not break the law. Even if we want to challenge the underlying rationale for SB9 and 10 in court at later date, that's what local control actually looks like, is you guys actually take control of an issue. 
It's not saying, oh my gosh, even though we have almost no SB9 applications and we've opted out of SB10, we are unable to manage while we go to court. We have to break state law and pass a ban. Oh, and let's ban ADUs also while we're at it. That is giving away control. That is creating chaos. And that's what the majority of this council is doing on SB 9 and 10. It's also doing it on builder's remedy and it's doing it on the housing element. Let's look at the housing element. Staff presented this new council with a painstakingly researched, carefully vetted, fully compliant housing element in December. Instead of saying thanks and then lobbing it over to HCD, um, what they, which they could have done, said we are now compliant, let's get busy with our lawsuits. You didn't pass the plan. You came back and asked the staff to prepare a version that would strip out just enough to ensure it didn't pass. And now you're removing 456 ADU units that were pretty important to the affordable housing part of that plan. So we are now nowhere close to having a compliant housing element, but we are very close to getting sued by the state, outside advocates and city homeowners that are having their property rights taken away. It's not too late. Show the state, show builders, show affordable housing advocates, and show the residents of the city you're serious about exerting local control over housing issues, the way you talk about it. Start by passing this ordinance, authorizing the city manager to follow the law and continue processing SB9 and ADU applications. Then vote against the builder's remedy ban you're also considering tonight and then go back and pass the compliant housing element that you received in December. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Thanks for being here. My name is Ashley. Last month, a realist mentioned the vote had long ago been decided on the flag ordinance. Many queer citizens, visitors, and allies still came to plead with the city council not to adopt this ordinance in lieu of the previous working flag policy. Personal accounts and facts were shared about the proven benefits of inclusion and representation. Local youth spoke up about how pride representation matters to them. My LGBTQ family and friends have done a wonderful job sharing their love, and I'm proud of them for all the courage it took to do so. Sadly, sharing facts, data, and research won't sway an opinion built on belief. It doesn't matter how many university graduate medical doctors and scientists agree that gender-affirming care saves lives. It doesn't matter how many statistics are shared of teen homelessness because of family rejection over queer identity. It does not matter that LGBTQ youth are prone to suicide risk because of they are mistreated and stigmatized in society. Unsurprisingly, Facts don't matter to some of the loudest anti-pride, pro-Christian nationalist hecklers in the crowd who swore an oath to QAnon and believe the earth is flat. Facts don't matter to special interest groups, aka gays against groomers, who pay crisis actors full-time for flag-ripping performative outrage. Proud Boys came up to agree with this ordinance and used the podium to drivel something, something bonkers, something global elite whatever. Facts never mattered to him. LGBTQ hate crime statistics don't matter to someone who thinks those people are sinners who deserve it. There's a saying that goes, by the company you keep, I can tell what life you lead. Dana Rohrabacher, a former representative and one-time endorser of Vandermark, was asked about extending fair housing laws to LGBTQ, saying a homeowner should not be required to be in business with someone they think is immoral. Another quote, I believe marriage should be between a man and a woman, 
once said by Mayor Strickland during his time as senator, I truly hope that antiquated belief has changed since then, but forgive me if I expect the words of real queer HB citizens to fall on four pairs of deaf ears during the spectacularly shallow performance of their love for the United States flag. Lastly, respectability politics refers to the way that people attempting to make social change present their demands in a fashion that are acceptable to the dominant standards in their society. But LGBTQ crimes, uh, hate crimes are up 4,000% since 2017, California is one of seven states that did not introduce anti-trans legislation this year so far. To that I say, fuck respectability politics. Claiming this new ordinance is unbiased is bullshit. And it should be remembered that neutral positioning in times of injustice always sides with the oppressor. Good evening, my name is Louis Galasso. I'm here to uh, offer my support for agenda item number 12. I'm not against any organizations flag flying, reflecting their personal beliefs, whatever beliefs they may have. Promote your personal beliefs personally. Take ownership of your beliefs and the consequences that go with them. If you're proud of what you believe, display your own sense of pride individually, as it is an individual decision. It's your right. Instead of trying to make it everyone else's agenda and hiding yourself through the anonymity of others, government, etc. If someone feels so strongly and so proudly, you shouldn't hide behind others. This is a city government entity of the state of California and a part of the United States and should represent itself accordingly, unbiasedly. A couple of notes, there's 17 veteran suicides per day. Right? And we don't see them up here pushing their flag or their lack of it. There's an epidemic of violence everywhere against everyone. Kiwanis, veterans of foreign wars, Habitat for Humanity, Wounded Warriors, Lions Club, homeless shelters, soup kitchens, and many, many more whose flags we don't fly. We don't fly a grandmother flag, yet I'm sure there are many of them who live here. It's funny how there's only one group here speaking today against the new flag rules. If you want respect, be respectful. If you're really proud, own it. Show it personally because it is a personal matter. This is not an LGBTQ issue. This is not a human rights issue or a political one. Not surprisingly, this has been made into a hate issue. Quit making it so. I too have disappointments. Obviously, this is not an attempt to eliminate the pride flag, nor discount any need for a 30-something center. This is merely a flag issue. You want acceptance and tolerance, yet you offer neither. Thank you. Hello, my name's Carolyn Lewis. I've been a resident for 23 years. I did not intend to speak tonight, but um, I just came to support our new council members. Um, I'd just like to state three reasons that I am speaking. One, uh, I am in support of item 12. I believe that the United States and California flag should fly over our city um, holdings. Um, 
Secondly, I, I heard one fellow up here said, I'm the oldest one in the, um, the council members, the council chambers here. And I said, no, you're not. I'm the oldest one. So <laughs> I'm, I'm free to admit it. So what I would want to say in that um, way is that I was born in the Second World War. So when they said, some, oh, we'll have, have a pride in the flag and so on, we were taught that because my father was with Patton in his army. You know, I did, he didn't even see me till I was three years old. So we were taught that we had pride in our country and we had to act respect. If we wanted respect, we had to act respectably. I did not see that here. And my kids are much older than most people here that are protesting. If you want to be accepted, then act respectably. We did that in the 50s. We didn't know anybody else. We just went to work. We took what we had, and we tried to build on it. So when someone says, oh, you can't afford to live, the next thing I want to just point out real fast is that affordable housing. I got made, my husband and I got married as teenagers. We've been married 63 years. Or about. Uh, we're in the minority, believe me. But we had to live where we could afford to live. We, I would like to have lived in Palos Verdes at the time. Or, you know, Hollywood, wherever. We had to work a lifetime to get here in Huntington Beach. And it was a beautiful, we chose it. From Redondo Beach, we came here because it was better than Redondo Beach. So, you guys, I, I feel sorry that you're under such um, a headache in here. But I've loved living here, and I don't think this flag should be an issue. United States flag. 10 seconds. And uh, California flag. And if we fly anyone, it would be for the veterans. My son is a veteran. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, my name is Michelle Kearns. And um, I'm here to talk about affordable housing. And so if that's number 14 or SB9 or whichever one it needs to be, I'm here as a um, advocate with Homeless United Huntington Beach. And I um, own and operate a senior uh, living transitional center that houses seniors who've previously experienced homelessness. And so uh, we met with Council Members Burns and McKeon, so thank you for that time. Um, I wasn't able to meet with the other people, but um, you know, I have met with Natalie a few times and um, saw Gracie at coffee and, and Tony. So thank you for um, having an open, um, open door for people who want to come talk to you. This is what America is all about. So um, I just wanted to say that um, from a housing perspective, when I see these seniors that are on housing wait lists from like 2014, um, Orange County Housing Authority is still housing people from 2018, 2019. So until that list becomes open, the people that were housing in the shelters and in the navigation center and in transitional living centers like mine, they don't have a place to go. Um, it's taking years and years and years. Um, and, and when they get that housing voucher, if you don't have a trusted like navigation person, like a housing specialist who knows 
knows the ins and outs and knows how to, how to use the verbiage and the terminology, a lot of times the people end up going back out onto the streets, losing their voucher because they didn't find a place, this kind of thing. It's just, it's another wait list item is what happens even when they get their voucher. And so um, I'm, I'm hoping that we can come together and, um, and, and approve the housing element for the, from the state of California and work with the state rather than against them. We don't want to fight. We, of course, we want to do our due diligence and check all the, all the facts and figures. But from what I can tell, um, I missed the um, closed session with our uh, police chief who gave some numbers. But my understanding was that it's around $13 a year. I'm happy to pay that dollar a month. You know, when I first started this, I was like, wow, if everyone just chipped in a dollar, this would just, and look, it's like a dollar. And so I just want to say, you know, we're doing it. And um, Bob Goff wrote a book that said Love Does. And so let's just keep doing, right? Let's keep moving forward. There's going to be obstacles, and we're going to get through them. Because you know what? In God we trust. It's on our money. It's, it's in our um, constitution. And so let's just keep it there and, and uh, forge forward. So thank you for your time. Thank you. <clears throat> Next speaker, thanks for being here. All right. <clears throat> Hate and division is not welcome in Huntington Beach. <clears throat> this is way bigger than the pride flag. This is a demoralization campaign at every level of life to destabilize and divide our city and country, to consolidate and seize total power. This pride issue is the only one vehicle to division. The far left for decades have demonized, lied, and are actively trying to divide Huntington Beach and America. Far-left government officials have been conspiring with the media and groups like the ACLU, ADL, Human Relations Task Force, the Interfaith Council to demonize Huntington Beach and America as systematically racist by using words like equality, diversity, unity, inclusion, welcoming, and love, hijacking and controlling language implying that Huntington Beach and America is system systemically racist every time you use those words in that way. <clears throat> Labeling we the people of Huntington Beach as Nazis, racists, and domestic terrorists just because we are not aligned with your far-left destructive ideology. Huntington Beach in America isn't systematically racist as the far-left implies. The truth is the left has a systematically race-baiting problem. Why are groups like the ACLU and tar uh, targeting uh, Huntington Beach and America and conservatives and Christian? Well, it is well documented that the founder of the ACLU is a communist by his own claims. To quote Karl Marx, most, my object, object in life is to uh, dethrone God and destroy capitalism. Well, for socialism to work, the people need to depend upon the government. So the first thing that needs to be, go is God. <clears throat> You're right, this is a conspiracy fact, not a theory. We have current city council members and the far, uh, former city council majority conspiring against we the people of Huntington Beach to consolidate power and fundamentally change Huntington Beach. The Huntington Beach community isn't racist. America isn't racist. A Latino woman can't be a white supremacist. The far left are the, are the racists. The far left are the domestic terrorists. And so let me dumb this down for the left and the children of the room. I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say about me bounces off me and sticks to you. The adults are in charge. 4-3, the new normal. And with 2024 right around the corner, the left will never be elected in Huntington Beach ever again. Skywalker out. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Oh, tough to follow there. Uh, yeah, my name is uh, Chris Waring. I've talked here before. 
Uh, let's change the subject here to maybe greed. I am a senior citizen. I'm 74 years of age. I live over here in uh, Pacific, well, that was Pacific Mobile Home Park growing up. But now it's Surf City Beach Cottages. And in recent years, uh, the rents keep going up. And uh, the last time that uh, I had my rent increase, they said, well, it was, it was below the cost of living at the time, which is 8.5%, and it's only a 7.25%. And I guess he doesn't know economics. But be that as it may. But anyway, I've noticed uh, since then, of course, unfortunately, we've got our gas and electric, which should add to our bills. But I see where the seniors, the few seniors that are still there, and some of the younger people, too, are having a very difficult time if they want to sell their property. Uh, when they do, uh, they, many instances, they've had people come and say, yeah, we'll close the deal. But when they go to the office, I uh, say, oh, let your new uh, owner be advised that your rent is going to be increased. And this has ranged from 12% to 22%. And the one that I liked, a couple I know, uh, they were going to pay $99,000 for a place, uh, in fact, right at the end of the, as you go to the beach there. But uh, the only, they, they said it was too much for them. They got a house out in uh, the desert. But anyway, uh, the renter, I didn't know the person. I believe they were older, but be that as it may, uh, they sold it to them for $50,000. Anyway, the park came back, or indirectly, and their rent increase went from $2,200 to $2,900. That is 31.82%. They have the money to do that. They're both retired. They're both union people, so they have the background. But to me, that is just pure greed. My situation, I'm up to 82% of my retired income, fixed income, and I can't move my trailer, it's too old. I lived there for 23 years, my parents, I took it over. Uh, I've been associated with Huntington Beach for 60 years. And it's just a difficult situation. There is a move to uh, rent stabilization, but I'm looking for the seniors. I have friends of mine still there, and they're on their last legs. One person left, he became homeless. Fortunately, someone in the park uh, found a room for him. So it's a tough situation. I mean, you know, Huntington Beach is Huntington Beach. It's gone up since I've been there for 23 years. My rent has gone up 500%, but so be it. But I'm getting to the point now where I really can't afford to stay there. And at my age, I don't want to move. I have two kids here. I have grandkids. And it's just a difficult situation. So any, anything else I would appreciate it. You could look at it, see what we can do about it. Thank you for your time. Thank you. All right. Last call for Isabella Maldonado and Riley Emsch. And the last group, Sean Drexler, Lynn, Kimberly Litvak, Roger Noor, Umaro Vicate, Vincante, Carolyn Lewis, and Catherine Peoples. Catherine Peoples. <clears throat> Good evening. Thank, thank you for being here. Good evening, everyone, uh, working people of Huntington Beach and Orange County. Um, I'm going to seem like an alarmist tonight, but that's only because there's an alarm to be raised. I'm here tonight to put 
this ordinance into its proper context. You might not think much of it, but you need to know that this is not an isolated incident. This is part of a greater trend wherein you, you and your community are under heightened assault from those in power. Queer people have always faced special scrutiny from our government by and for the rich, but this most recent wave of phony moral panic and very real political violence is unprecedented. I do not say this with any hyperbole. It approaches internationally recognized definitions of genocide. As you may know, we talked, we talked about it earlier, Michael Knowles, a top conservative commentator, spoke at CPAC and declared that transgender people must be eradicated completely from public life. Other prominent voices among the upper echelons of society have made similar statements motivated by a sickening lie equating queerness with child abuse and pedophilia, a lie they know to be untrue. And dozens of states have been echoing this sentiment, attempting to legislate transgender people out of existence, banning access to their care, making it illegal for them to go out in public, seizing custody of trans children or children of trans parents, and encouraging terrorist violence against the queer community at large. If you are not trans, you may think this has nothing to do with you, but you are sorely mistaken. The law has no easy way of determining whether you are trans or not, and considering their convictions, they will not give you the benefit of the doubt if they suspect something, which could be just as simple as not being conventionally attractive enough for their standards. They will gladly tear through you and your families to get at your trans neighbors. As it stands, if you have an estranged, maybe abusive partner, they could kidnap your child and travel to the state of Florida, and all they would need to do to get away with it from there is accuse you or your child of being trans. Florida state courts would then either seize emergency custody of your child or grant your partner full custody by unilaterally voiding a custody ruling from another state. Friends, it's not going to get better. Not without you. State governments, Congress people, and indeed those sitting here on the Huntington Beach City Council, they're doing this because they can feel their grip on power slipping. They're afraid of you and the power you have when you act as a community, and they can feel the tides turning in your favor. If you want to keep yourself and those you love safe, I implore you to come together with your neighbors, your coworkers, and your fellow residents of this city. Unite in solidarity with the queer community and fight together for real democracy in our government and in our economy. You have nothing to lose and a world to win. Thank you. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Good evening, City Council, residents, and staff. My name is Catherine Peoples. I'm the executive director of HPP Cares. We are a HUD-approved housing counseling agency that has had the awesome job of administering over $100 million worth of ADU grant funds. Um, living in this city over 21 years and loving this city, and loving the work I do of creating housing opportunities, I implore the city to really consider bringing our organization on as a solution to help educate on how to ADU, teach consumers how to build their ADUs and allow that free pre-development money that CalHFA has offered and I've awarded to many of the residents here in Huntington Beach to be available so that they can create additional housing. I come here as a solution tonight. I know we have a lot going on this evening, but I just hope you take my comments and our organization and allow us to extend a leaf to help teach people how to ADU, 
and allow us to continually use the CalHFA funds to help towards costs and creating revenue for our city in building these ADUs and additional housing options. Thank you again for allowing me to have this opportunity, and I will be following up with email. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Um, my name is Kimberly Litvak. I'm a resident of Huntington Beach for the last 33 years. Uh, I want to applaud all of you for being actively involved in our community. Um, doesn't matter what your sexual preference is, I really appreciate all of you voicing your opinions. And I definitely feel for you guys on the panel. And I know it was a hard decision that you had to make. And I appreciate that um, you have had to take a hard stance here that may, honestly, I believe has been misinterpreted. And I just wanted us to reason with each other here. If they wanted to fly um, a satanic flag, would that be okay? Okay. So if they want to fly, you know, um, a bestiality flag, is that okay? So at some point, where do we draw the line? I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying. I'm not. Okay, let me say. They want to fly a grandma flag. Okay, let's do a grandma flag. I'm not trying to be insulting. I want a reason here. But I understand that. But what I'm saying is at some point we have to draw the line, and I think you guys have done that very efficiently. Um, I personally uh, rallied for you guys. I'm grateful that you are on the panel. I see good changes happening. And I want to support you as a citizen, and I hope we all can work together and not finger point, but understand that they are in a position to help everyone in this community, not one position. Um, on uh, transparency, I think you've been very, very honest about that with this flag. We're going to have three flags. How much more transparent can you get than that? That's what you ran on, and you are living that right now, and I thank you for that. With the housing development issue, um, I called the housing division in Huntington Beach, and I found out about this fair pricing, um, low-income housing. And what I found out is it was a $200 discount on a one-bedroom apartment for $2,800. That would be $3,000. So there's not solutions yet, and I love that you have said, we will build, but we'll build responsibly. We'll build infrastructures. We're being told that we're gonna have water rations and all these different things. So to ask for fair housing programs that have been presented that are responsible, um, I, I applaud you again for standing for the right uh, proposal. And I know that's not easy, because people want answers right now. We do have a homeless problem, but I have a business in, in um, Santa Monica. That's a real homeless problem. So what we need to do is support our police department. We need to support our council people. We need to even financially support in the way that we can to resolve this amicably about each other ten, here. Ten seconds. Don't bully people for their difference of opinion. And this is one person's interest and it should be the interest of the community and all of us. So I ask you to be fair. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Uh, good evening. I'm here to ask you to reconsider and accept the application for an ADU until the resolution of the challenge against the state. I'm Ling Nguyen. I bought an apartment three units uh, 11 years ago. To my surprise, a few months ago, city enforcement department told me one of my 
one cholera would convert to a room. I talked to planning department to see if I can legalize the room. At first, they say yes. Later, they say it's not okay. They, I then asked about the option of converting to an ADU for low-income rental. I have spent three months talking to architects, builders, and the city planning department. Unfortunately, last week, I was shown Huntington Beach no longer accept ADU application. I asked enforcement officer to allow me to wait until the challenge is resolved so I can apply for ADU. Uh, they say no. And uh, they asked me to convert the, the room back to the, the one car garage. I have a tenant living in the room. I am here to ask you, a city, to allow people in situations like mine to apply for the ADU now, or allow us to wait until the outcome of the challenge against the state to decide to apply for an ADU. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you so much. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Hello, City Council. My name is Roger Knorr, and I'm a recent heart transplant recipient. And, uh, I, and I'm on uh, public assistance right now, but I was trying to get back to the workforce so that way I could still be productive. And today's my birthday, so I wanted to have, I mean, I really wanted to have, I'm 59, and I thought that I could still Happy work. Happy birthday. Thank you very much. And I, I will be contacting you guys individually so I can talk to you guys regarding this because seriously, I mean, the police department, just because you say a couple of things, they get really, really upset. And there's a guy named Toby Archer, Lieutenant Toby Archer. And I want to show you what he did when uh, first uh, he negotiated with my sister to get one of my son's car out because he was afraid of me. So this is the reason I did what I did. Can somebody play the tape, please? Oh, go ahead. Over here, you wimp. You didn't see it? Come on. He couldn't hear me until I said that. Then this he finally comes up. There's Toby. When, when Sergeant, when Sergeant's A. Come on, man. This is totally unfair. Because they, this they, is totally unfair. they took my second car, my Tesla, illegally. Okay. So you want to challenge me to a fight? Oh, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm dead serious. He challenged me to a fight. I haven't even bought something ever. Okay. You, what we should so do? Is it, we should actually, yeah, yeah. You you want to fight? Oh, me? I, I, I want to box you so bad. I want to box every so pretty. He offered it. Why don't I arrest you for challenging me to a fight? Oh, come on, it's a race. Is that what you would like to be? Why don't you do me no, no, no. You know what I was asking? You, you know what I was asking? You clarified it three times. No, no, no. In fact, since you're recording, I'll go ahead and book this as evidence. He grabs my stuff. You just talked yourself right in the jail. You got people. And I talked myself into jail. I was all over the place. I apologize. It's perfect. I apologize. It's okay. perfect. He set me up. He asked me if I wanted to fight him. Then he wants to throw me in jail. You're out of control. The reason I'm saying this, thank you. You're disturbing all of our business. The reason I'm saying this is because this is totally wrong. If anybody gets arrested now, okay, and gets their thumbprints or their prints on paper, then they're automatically in this thing called the NS, uh, NCIS the National Crimes Information Systems, and you'll never get a job as a car dealer, as a car salesperson, even a used car salesperson. You can't work in a bank, even if you're innocent. I mean, it is crazy. No corporation wants you, and this is how easy it is for them to arrest you. Okay, this is nuts. We need a, a police oversight committee, and I'm gonna start on a hunger strike, and I'm gonna start at midnight tonight, and I'm not gonna eat 
Okay, for a month, because I don't know how we, I'm not sure if you guys are going <laughs> to do anything at all, but I'm going to. And the reason is, is because I am real. you need a, we need a police oversight committee that is not made up of retired judges, retired cops, and retired DAs, because that, that is a joke. Real citizens of Cal... Five seconds. Thank you. Last thought, go ahead. I said five seconds. No, 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 it's absolutely fine. It starts 12 o'clock, and I'm going to be contacting every one of you guys, and hopefully you guys will be meeting me. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, uh, thanks for being here. Hey, y'all, my name is Bumaro Bumalo Vicente. Although people call me Boomer, um, although I'm not a Boomer, unlike most people in this room. Um, and I was born and raised in Santa Ana, and I want to add what this man was saying. We actually just passed a historical police oversight commission in the city of Santa Ana, and I helped work on that. I previously sat on the police review commission for the city of Berkeley when I was a student there. Um, I'm also openly queer, and I currently serve as a vice chair of the Labrador Democrats of Orange County. You know, we believe that every person has a right to live a full, meaningful life with equal access to opportunity, security, and inclusion. I'm here to tell my LGBTQ and queer family that we matter, that you matter. I'm here to make my voice heard and take up space because we deserve a place in the city. I'm here to raise my own flag because if you won't fly one, then won't bring our own. You have an opportunity to do your job as council and side by our community, especially now in a moment where we're seeing an alarming number of anti-LGBTQ bills across the country. But regardless of what happens tonight, no one can ban LGBTQ and queer people from existing in this space, in this city. We came out tonight. We packed this whole room. Y'all saw our flags being raised all across this damn room. You know, we, because we've been here and we will continue to be here. Not only do we organize, but our community also votes. And we're gonna be voting this upcoming election and we don't play nice. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Okay. Madam Clerk. Uh, the last call for Sean Drexler and Carolyn Lewis. If you're here, come on. And that's it. There is someone here. Okay. All right. My name is Sean Drexler. I am opposed to agenda item 12. Clearly, the ruling class is panicking. There's more labor militancy in the United States now than there has been in 50 years. American workers are organizing. We are organizing for what is ours, for all the wealth we create. And the ruling class is flipping out, throwing tantrums to distract and divide us. In 1930, German workers were also organizing and growing in militancy. The most right-wing German corporations fought organized German workers by funding politicians to divide them. These politicians did this by blaming particular groups of people for why the country had gone to hell. An individual whose work caught the attention of the corporate-funded politicians was German scientist Magnus Hirschfeld. Hirschfeld founded the Scientific Humanitarian Committee in Berlin, the world's very first organization that advocated for both homosexual and what would become known as transgender rights. The committee's first act was to push for repeal of paragraph 175, which criminalized homosexuality. Hirschfeld was demonized for being Jewish, a socialist, and a sex researcher. In 1933, his extensive archives and library of the Institute for Sexology in Berlin were burned by the Nazis. This was possibly the first of the Nazis' public book burnings. That's how it started. Progress is usually met with right-wing reaction. 
Today, the most right-wing corporations are funding politicians and policies designed to divide American workers by demonizing LGBTQ people. These reactionary council members are agents of corporate power put in place to stir up a loud minority of people, the anti-LGBTQ crowd, to keep workers from uniting with each other by telling them the public display of the pride flag is somehow a threat to them, that LGBTQ people are a threat to them. And again, majority of LGBTQ people are working class. We are the majority. The strongest tool in our arsenal is unity. Unity on issues that we as workers and oppressed people share. The day we unite the struggle for workers' rights and protections with protections and rights for people who face special forms of oppression on the basis of race, gender, orientation, immigration status, expression, etc., is a day the ruling class wants to never see. To stop that from happening, these reactionaries are going to keep chipping away at the rights and protections we and those we came and those who came before us have fought for, and they're going to try and stoke bigotry and promote wedge issues to divide our majority. But to you fascists on the council and your corporate funders, we're not going to let that happen. We're going to win because the working class and oppressed people are the majority. We're going to keep organizing. We're going to win respect, rights, and celebration for all LGBTQ people, workers, and all oppressed people. We're going to fly a lot more flags. You fascists are, we're going to fly a lot more flags. You fascists are going to hate to see. We do have a world to win, and we're going to do it. Madam Clerk. That's it. It's a wrap. All right. All right, members, we're going to council committee appointments. Um, does any member have anything to announce? Seeing none, we're moving on to AB 1234 reporting. Does any member have anything to report? I do. I'd like to report that I, March 6th and 7th, I attended the 2023 Sacramento legislative, legislative advocacy trip in Sacramento. I, um, I also attended the March 6th and 7th uh, ACCOC conference this week in Sacramento. Any other announcements? Seeing none. Moving forward, openness in negotiation disclosures. Does anyone have anything to disclose? Any member? Seeing none. Moving forward, city manager's report. City manager Zelenka, please introduce your report. Uh, Mayor Strickland, members of the council, given the late hour, I just wanted to report that in the month of February, we had 17 employees join the 1HP team over four departments. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, members, now we're going to the consent calendar. Uh, anyone like to pull an item off the consent calendar? I'll pull 10, 11, and 12. Uh, Kalmick pulls 10, 11, and 12. If that's all, I'll move the balance. Uh, Mr. Kalmick moves the balance. Uh, I second it. Uh, members call, or clerk, I'm sorry, please call the roll. Okay, for consent items 9, 13, 14, and 15, Councilmember Kalmick. Aye. Mosier? Aye. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Aye. McKeon? Aye. Bolton? Aye. Burns? Aye. Items pass 7 0. Okay. 
Now, members, we're going to file item 10. Um, Mr. Kalmick, you pulled off the consent calendar? Yeah. Um, you may open. Oh, thank you so much, Mayor, uh, Mr. Mayor. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to actually uh, table this uh, for the next meeting. Uh, the original attachment for uh, this ordinance was 4280 was incorrect, and it showed some language that we had talked about during the meeting that didn't actually show up in the ordinance. Uh, it was amended by the clerk uh, late in the game, but I actually talked to a resident who said, oh, uh, it seems like the language is fixed, um, so I'm not going to make a public comment on it. So it feels a bit like a bait and switch, and it doesn't seem like um, uh, two more weeks is that big of an issue. So um, I would just ask that we table it and re-agendize it for the next meeting. That will be my motion. Been moved and seconded. Any comments? All right. Clerk, call the roll. Councilmember Kalmick? Aye. Mosier? Aye. Vandermark? No. Strickland? Pass. McKeon? No. Bolton? Aye. Burns? No. Strickland, no. All right, so we have a 3-4 vote. The item fails. Would anybody like to move it? I'll, I'll move the item. Second. Okay. Councilmember Kalmick? No. Mosier? Nay. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Yes. McKeon? Aye. Bolton? No. Burns? Aye. The item passes. Okay. Four, three. Uh, thank thank you. you, Madam Clerk. Uh, members, we're now on file item number 11. Uh, Mr. Kalmick, you pulled the item, so uh, I just, you can I just open. pulled it to, to have a, a full vote on it. Okay. Um, any members would like to open or just call the vote? You have to move it to do it. It's been moved by uh, Mr. Burns. Second. Second by Mr. McKeon. Uh, Madam Clerk, call the roll. Okay. Councilmember Kalmick. Nay. Mosier. Nay. Vandermark. Yes. Strickland. Aye. McKeon. Aye. Bolton. No. Burns. Aye. The item passes 4-3. Thank you. Uh, members, we're now on file item number 12. Uh, Mr. Kalmick, you pulled the item so you can open. Thank you. I just have a short statement. I appreciate everyone that came out uh, again tonight to talk about this item. Um, as I was reviewing the rest of the agenda, it was kind of flagged to me that I'm kind of adopting a new ethos as we talk about uh, the city going forward, um, how we're going to be raising revenue uh, in order to be able to pay and, uh, our employees and our police officers um, who were down, I think, 26 officers at this point. We still need to recruit and hire, and we aren't competitive at this point, and so we need to figure out how we're going to bring revenue in. And so the question, I think, for every item going forward is, you know, how does this increase revenue to the city so we can competitively hire more police officers uh, and additional staff that, as some folks heard, that uh, two of our executive um, members left last or are planning on leaving of public works and community services. So um, we've got folks budgeted in the budget, but we can't paying them competitive wages. So I saw plenty of emails saying, you know, from companies, individuals saying they were taking their business elsewhere because of this item. Um, but not a single email or comment from folks saying they're now coming to Huntington Beach because of this change in policy. So I ask, you know, how does this benefit uh, the corporate entity that is the city of Huntington Beach and therefore our residents and businesses herein? It seems like it just has a negative effect on them. Thank you. Any other comments from members? Councilwoman Mosier. Thank you. Um, we've talked a lot about this over the last many council meetings. Um, and I would say I wouldn't want to belabor it, but I, I think it should be. Um, 
people have come here to express what the flag means to them. When I ran for council in 2020, and I said this on Twitter, and I'll say it again here, I have said it many times, I ran to help create a welcoming city. And when we raised the pride flag with a 601 vote, so everyone that was here was unanimous, um, it was uplifting to me. When we were here at council chambers, or excuse me, outside, and we lifted the flag, it was a moment of inclusion, tolerance, and welcoming. And um, it was honestly one that I didn't expect to see here. But I was very proud of my city on that day. Separately, in being welcoming, when we rolled out the Moby mats at 6th Street and later at Huntington Street, to me that was a way or a measure to be able to show that we are a welcoming community, that people belong here. I attended a, uh, an event last week for um, Visit HB to talk about um, really the, the future of our city, um, what we want, who we want to be, what, how we want the world to perceive us. And it was very difficult to me given these conversations that we've been having because we can't pretend that we're a welcoming city if we're not. If we don't represent ourselves that way by the things that we do, I don't know how anybody can say that we are that city. We talked about getting the Olympics here, and I don't know how we have that conversation if we're not an inclusive city. Earlier tonight, um, there were a number of, of comments. One of the people said that we are a family-friendly city, and I just asked which families are we friendly to? There are many different types of families, two dads, two moms, a mom and a dad, just a mom, just a dad. Um, many of those families have uh, straight kids, LGBTQ kids, um, all sorts of families. So I hope that we are a family-friendly city and a welcoming city. We also heard tonight that maybe there's an opportunity to pause, to, to take a moment to have dialogue. We heard that from many people to perhaps have a cultural exchange where we have food, drink, dance, what have you, and conversation. Um, I do think that there's opportunity for people to get together and share their stories and come to know one another a little bit more. This pride flag decision, um, one, this ordinance was unnecessary. Flag policy already existed. It was already efficient. The council could have voted to not raise the pride flag if it wanted to um, without doing this. But here we are, and I don't know why we're here doing this, but, but that's fine. You know, another thing that was said earlier tonight by Peg Corley um, was to, she gave an offer to listen, to provide us with the tools to help people, to make people feel welcomed in this community, um, to make kids feel welcome in this community. And I hope that we, um, and I know I will work to um, spend time with her and to find out more on how, what we can do to better support and make people feel safe in this community. Because I know that when we raised the pride flag for the first time, I know of youth that reached out and said that it made them feel safe. And if one of those youth can feel that way, then it's worth it to me. I've also heard tonight this said that it was a special interest group. I'd say that being gay is not a special interest. It's not chosen. Somebody said that they have disappointments as well. I'd say hate crime or hate incidents are not disappointments. And I'd also like to mention that um, I do think that the ugliest parts of us have come out 
in the last few weeks. Um, a resident on social media after I posted about meeting with Girl Scouts last week wrote, I would never leave my children with Natalie. She might bring them to her homo pedo friends and try to groom them for their sexual pleasure. After all, she supported them bringing in a 12-year-old as a prop for their cause during a city council meeting. That's disgusting and inappropriate and wrong and also alluding to the fact that if you are part of the LGBTQ community that you are a pedophile and that's false and we have to stop doing that. And finally, With the idea that the American flag is a flag for everyone, I will say that it, we want it to be, right? America is an aspiration. It's an idea that we all aspire to and that we work towards again and again, and that's why we're here, and that's why democracy will hopefully get us to that space. But as Langston Hughes said, oh yes, I say it plain, America nev was never America to me, and yet I swear this oath, America will be. We will keep fighting, we will keep working together, and we will hopefully come together in unity, and in love, and in peace, and in strength. And that is all. Thank you. Councilman. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, so the, the commenter's point earlier this evening was well taken. Uh, if this had been proposed as just a resolution to not fly the pride flag in June, we would have only gone through all of this once instead of going through it three times because it's a new ordinance. Um, it's just, this is just bogus. It's embarrassing to do it like this. It really is. So, of course, I won't be supporting it. We're not fooling anybody. So let's vote. Yeah. Councilmember Burns. Yeah, the lady mentioned earlier that we didn't need to do this one, two, or three times. And if two years ago the majority self-serving council did the right thing, we wouldn't have had to do this this year. But they were self-serving and Sacramento-serving. That's why we just have to stick to the principles and do what's best for the community as a whole. That's what we're about, community service, not self-service. And that's why this was done. I believe that any special interest is divisive. I think we've moved on from that. I think identity politics is, could be the death of us, whether or not in Huntington, the state, and the country. We see how divisive it is. And that's what this is all about. This isn't banning any flag. I'm very supportive of whomever you are, whatever you want to do, but not on city flagpoles and stuff. It, it is, we are better than that, and I truly believe it. And we didn't have to do this if it was done correctly, and they listened to a lot of people two years ago before when it was implemented, the flying of the flag. And it's unfortunate that it became this issue in the last three meetings. I don't like to see it. But that's the way it is, and I think we'll all be better off for it, and that's why this, uh, I'm, I'm moving to vote now, Rec as a recommendation. Been moved. Second. I'd like to make one more comment. Yeah, of course. Thank you. So you commented on um, flying on the flagpoles, but unfortunately the ordinance specifies more than the flagpoles as well. It says to display. Would you be willing to strike the words display on the ordinance and just keep it on flying on the poles? No. Can I ask why? 
because some places, like the police heliport, have the military flags displayed. They're not hanging from a pole, they're hanging from the ceiling. And sometimes people just want to hang it across a, uh, um, a fence or something like that, a string. There's different ways to fly the flag than hang it from a pole. And on city property, the city flag, the state flag, federal flag, that's what we should fly and stick to those and not special interest flags. And that's the way I feel about it. Councilman, Councilman McKean. No, I was just saying call the question. Oh, call the question. Okay. So it's been moved by Mr. Burns, seconded by Mr. McKean. All right. Clerk, call the roll. Okay, yes. Councilmember Kalmick? Nay. Mosher? Nay. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Yes. McKeon? Aye. Bolton? No. Burns? Aye. Item passes 4-3. Okay. Members? Members, now we're going on to file item 16. Builder's Remedy Ordinance number 4285. Oh, I'm sorry, I got ahead of everything. No, uh, right. no, no, hold on, it's public hearing. Does anyone have any ex parte communication to disclose? And city attorney, is there a staff report? Uh, the staff report is included in the package. Yeah. I don't have the presentation. Okay. The ordinance reflects what the council yeah. requested. Okay. Thank you. So file item number 16. Do I hear a motion? Yeah, I just want to say a couple things on this. Yeah. I'm sorry. First of all, it's a public hearing. We have a public hearing. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, open a public hearing? If you can ask questions and then open the public hearing, but I, I don't have anybody to speak, but... We just have to follow the process okay. to open it. Well, we'll open the hearing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And we don't have anyone All right. to speak. So you can close the public hearing. Close the public hearing. All right. Can I go now? Go ahead. All right. So just some comments on the Builders Remedy. So I'm sure many of you saw our press conference a few weeks ago uh, responding to the letter that the Attorney General sent us. And the letter HCD sent directly to our planning commission regarding this builder's remedy ordinance. And then I'm not sure if everyone then saw what our uh, luminary politicians, Gavin Newsom and Dave Min, said about us, but here are their quotes. Gavin said, When Californians ask why there isn't enough housing, why the cost of renting continues to increase, or why there are so many people experiencing homelessness, I tell them to look at Huntington Beach, another city where elected officials are responding to cheap political stunts to avoid their responsibility to build desperately needed housing. And then Dave Min said, no city is above state law and the city of Huntington Beach is no exemption, full stop. So I find Dave Min's quote especially interesting as after doing a little bit of research, it turns out that a certain Senate bill number 106 was sneakily passed in 2017 as part of a budget trailer appropriation bill and codified in a government code, which carved out favored portions of the state to be exempt from the very same housing laws, including, including the affordable housing, high-density housing mandates that are imposed on Huntington Beach. Did you know that because of SB 106, Marin County is enjoying a moratorium on affordable housing building requirements until 2028? 
Do you know who lives in Marin County? That's right, Gavin Newsom. How can, how can the state's so-called housing crisis be a matter of statewide concern, which allows them to prevent and violate our home rule doctrine protections as a charter city when Marin County is exempt from affordable housing building requirements? Obviously, the legislature has proven that this is not a matter of statewide concern. I find this very interesting, and I can assure you, Gavin, these are not cheap political stunts. Um, Mayor Strickland, um, can I just announce that I received some supplemental communication on this item? Sure. Record? Please. A letter from uh, Caesar Covarubius, Executive Director of the Kennedy Commission, regarding the Builder's Remedy Ordinance 4285. A letter was received from David Zisser, Assistant Deputy Director, Land Use and Local Government Relations, Housing and Community Development, and four email communications regarding the, this proposed ordinance. Thank you. I, I, I would also like to say some words about this. Um, uh, to reiterate what Councilman McKeon said, um, as someone who served in Sacramento, uh, I find it ironic that uh, we get these numbers uh, attacking Huntington Beach and um, the governor's home county, not just city, home county is exempt uh, from, from these kind of numbers. And, and also, um, if they were so desperate in, in Sacramento in terms of a housing crisis, I know for a fact that there's a lot of areas in San Bernardino County where the Board of Supervisors are eager to move forward on a lot of development projects. They, they want this. Um, and because of an endangered Joshua tree, they're saying, well, we're not gonna build anywhere. The state comes down and says you can't build. Even when developers say, we want to move forward and we'll even plant the double amount of Joshua trees in another location, the answer is still no. I just think what's coming down from the state is very inconsistent. I think what's coming from the state is a goal to get rid of suburbs around California. We're 95% built out, and the other part of the city that's not built, uh, no one wants to do in our wetlands and environmental sensitive areas. And so what they want us to do is build up. And um, I think there is a reason why Sacramento has the highest gas tax in the country highest car registration fee in the country because there is a war on automobile and there is a war on suburbia and they want to urbanize California. And for those who say, well, just do what the state says, otherwise they'll do what the state wants to do. Um, this is fundamental to the citizens as I was campaigning around the city. The citizens of Huntington Beach that I was talking to said they wanted to keep that coastal community suburban feel that we have here today. Um, I will say, I, I am pro-development. Uh, if that development meets that, that suburban community feel, I will support development projects. You know, when people say I'm a NIMBY, that's, I, I can't believe that because I've never been accused of that in my entire life. What I am against is the urbanization of a, a wonderful suburban community. And again, if our citizens wanted an urban community, they would move to Los Angeles. They moved to New York. Nothing wrong with urban communities. I almost moved to New York as a, as a young, as a young uh, man. I think there's a place for urban, sur suburban, and rural. 
But I think it's important that the citizens, when they moved here, they liked the community that they had, and they don't want this to be an urban community. So I think it's fundamental for us as a council to fight on their behalf. And also, for those who say, well, you might lose, so on and so forth, you know, um, we have a, a checks and balances system in this country. When we believe the state is overstepping their bounds against local control, we have an avenue, and that avenue is the courts. And that's why we're doing what we can to unleash Michael Gates to fight for what is fundamental for Huntington Beach. And I will personally not sit aside as someone who was governor of California, who actually left his city in shambles as mayor of San Francisco, and tell us what to do here in Huntington Beach. I will not let him do to Huntington Beach what he did to San Francisco. So with that, I'm very supportive of this, this item. Mr. Mayor? Go, please. Thank you. Um, these were both wonderful speeches. Um, we didn't actually address the issue at hand. Um, this is an ordinance that effectively states that we are going to not do state law. Um, the state sent us a letter yesterday as well um, that was included a supplemental communication stating if we pass this, the, the notice is effectively a notice of violation. I understand uh, this new council majority's want to, to sue the state, um, to assert their authority, but no one said anything about getting sued by the state. Um, that's, we're fighting on both ends at that point, um, and I don't think they're gonna be the same case. Additionally, I think this opens us up to an enormous amount of exposure um, with regard to federal housing discrimination as well. Um, this all is moot. This builder's remedy thing could be tabled. Uh, my understanding is that our housing element is scheduled for our next meeting. Is that still? It was publicly noticed, so it, the housing element, as far as I understand, is on our next meeting. This builder's remedy is moot if we pass the housing element and it gets certified. Um, yeah, sure, we roll the dice for 90 days, but we've been out of compliance for six months now, so I don't know how many other builder's remedy projects are coming through. I think this becomes... Uh, a distraction um, in addition to, you know, I think what we're going to talk about later in the meeting. Um, sure, if you guys want to fight overreach, um, that's, that's fine, uh, perceived overreach. But I think this, this item is, is dangerous um, going forward um, because I think that this is moot if we have a housing element. So we're going to have a law in the books that's going to get us sued but we may moot it in two weeks or 90 days after whenever H if HCD decides to certify our housing element. I just, I don't see how um, taking this action protects local control by getting, uh, by effectively saying that we are in, in violation of state law, um, which is what HCD has stated that if we pass this tonight, um, we will be in violation of state law. Um, I, I know we can disagree with that and say, no, we're not. Um, the state constitution provides for the home rule doctrine, but um, I, again, we're going to have to litigate that in court, but I don't think that that solves the other issue of wanting to fight the state. I think getting sued by the state is not a great solution to this problem. Thank you. I'll move it. It's been moved. Second. I'd like to say something. Please. Of course, Mr. Burns, she's an elected councilwoman and has just as much right to speak as anyone else. Hey, okay, come on, let's go, come on. It's been a long night, guys. Uh, members, it's been a long night. Uh, Council Member Mosier, please go forward. Thank you. So this council recently at a study session indicated that it is interested, I believe seriously, in obtaining a certified housing element because we told 
staff to go back. They're coming back next week, or sorry, at the next meeting. But just as Councilmember Kalmick said, the way to stop builder's remedy is to approve and receive a certified housing element. That's all we would have to do. We wouldn't need to be doing this at all. If the council was serious about wanting a certified housing element, it would not proceed with a direct violation of state housing law in the middle of trying to get our housing element certified. If we were serious about proceeding towards a certified housing element, this proposed ordinance would be moot, just as Councilmember Kelmick said. So I don't know why we're um, doing this theatrics. Uh, I'm telling the truth, Councilmember Burns. Um, it, it's, just, it's just unnecessary. If we're serious about getting a certified housing element, we should proceed not with this ordinance, but with the next step of approving a housing element. Thank you, Mayor. So I have a question. So we're saying uh, the ordinance, okay, it says no processing or approval uh, of any builder's remedy application. So what do we mean by processing? Does that mean that if someone comes in with an application, they'll just be turned away, or does that mean it'll be accepted, um, but we won't do anything with it? Well, that's our city attorney. Yeah. The two mean the same thing, basically. So they could submit an application, but it won't be processed, or, I mean, what is, I, I'd have to pull up the language of the ordinance, but no, well, no processing of applications. Okay, I think this brings up the same issue that we're going to talk about later with ADUs. You know, if we say that we're not going to process something that we have been processing before, what, you, you what, know what, are, I, what do applicants, I mean, they, they need some kind of certainty. So, so what, what are they supposed to, what's the understanding supposed to be now? That they just shouldn't come in with any applications? Okay, so uh, to answer your question directly, the ordinance states, the city expressly prohibits the processing or approval of any application for a housing development project or any project not in conformance with the zoning and general plan land use designation, including all applicable, applicable city laws, zoning and land use regulations, and other environmental laws such as CEQA, regardless of the so-called builder's remedy, that portend to allow developers of affordable housing projects to bypass the zoning code and general plan of the cities that are out of compliance with housing element law. Thank that's, you. That's what it says. I, yeah, I read the uh, ordinance. So I, I, I still am not clear on what's gonna happen if someone walks in with an application, but I'll just put that aside. So we are taking this action based on what authority? City council direction. No, no, I mean the ordinance. So under what authority are we able to adopt this ordinance? Well, it's the city council action is why it's here tonight. The uh, theory behind why the city council is allowed to do it, and I'm not gonna get into too much discussion about what our legal strategy is going to be or would be um, with, um, with some of the concerns about threats of litigation. But basically, what Builder's Remedy is, is an HAA, or Housing Accountability Act, provision that states that if a housing element is out of compliance, 
then a developer is allowed to come into the city and sidestep decades of zoning law and build wherever they want. Yeah, I and it's no, but that's important mm -hmm. because it's that concept where a developer can come in and sidestep decades of zoning, a city zoning law, especially in a charter city where we have built that zoning law under our home rule authority. That's where the rub is. And so from the jump on this, the, there's been no, um, I, I, I believe the city's within its right to adopt an ordinance like this. Okay, so you mentioned home rule authority and that's, I'm, I'm guessing that that's the authority that we are using to adopt this ordinance at Charter City. So we derive that from the Constitution or state statutes or what have you. But Our Article 11, Section 5 of the yeah, California Constitution. But those same uh, bodies of law prevent us from passing an ordinance that is inconsistent or in conflict with state law. So I can't support it because it, it's, it's a nullity. I mean, we can't under the Constitution, pass something that is in conflict with state law. Um, so that, I, don't, I don't know why we're doing this, but okay. Sorry. Uh, my understanding, again, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer, but my understanding, we have history of, again, checks and balances where federal government oversteps their bounds to states, states overstep their bounds to cities, and the remedy that you have is taking it to the courts, and that's our checks and balances. So to say we're violating a law that we're going to challenge that the state is over, overstepping their bounds under our local control is an issue that we have within the city to, to move forward and, and challenge. Right, Mr. Mayor, but... Um, and again, I'm not an attorney, but that's my understanding. No, no, no. We can't decide that we are not going to comply with the law because we don't like the law. That's not the way it works. No, we're, I didn't say because the, the law is on the like books. Law, right? right, the law is on the books. I could say I don't like the law that says you know I have to drive 45 miles an hour down Magnolia, but the fact that I don't like it doesn't mean I can't comply with it. it. If I wanted to challenge it, I still have to obey it until the court overturns it. It isn't that we so don't. So that's why I'm yeah. saying that what we're doing is in conflict yeah. with state law and that we are doing something. We, we shouldn't be doing this. So Again, let me ask the, the question. Thank you, because I'm not an attorney. Our city attorney, is it within our bounds as a city council to pass this ordinance? Um, we are definitely in an area where uh, charter city authority versus state authority on control of local housing decisions is still largely unresolved. There's a, a lawsuit challenging SB9. There are lawsuits all over up and down the state challenging state laws. This is the kind of thing that basically expresses succinctly in one paragraph what our entire body of zoning code already says. Our entire body of zoning code already micromanages development in the first place. It's just that Builder's Remedy gets to come in and completely sidestep it this just expressly states succinctly what our zoning code has already provided. So it, it, it's, it's either, I mean, this is as legal as our current zoning law that prevents builders, or I'm sorry, developers from coming in and developing anywhere they want. This is no different. It just says it more clearly. Thank you. Can, uh, I, can I make one point too? Please, Councilwoman. Um, thank you. Um, I'm just curious. So We've, there's been a lot of conversation about Sacramento um, overstepping, overreaching um, in recent years um, with various housing laws this evening. We've talked about that. Um, City Attorney, when was the uh, Housing Accountability Act with Builder's Remedy actually set into law? 
You know, I'd have to look at uh, Mr. Vigliotta, my resident housing law expert, but I know it's been around for, I think, decades. I was going to say the same. The provision with regard to um, allowing non-compliant housing elements to trigger enforcement by, by HCD, I think, is more recent. Okay. It was since 1990 that it's been law. So I just think it's important right to know target. you were a couple of, a little more than a couple of decades. So I think it's just important to note that this has been a long-term law. This isn't something that the state has suddenly um, placed here. I did note what you just said with regards to the housing element piece. And, and, and I will add too, you know, the, one of the reasons um, that this is uh, becoming a critical issue, even though it's been around for a couple of decades, among many states up and down the state of California, among many cities up and down the state of California, is that there are currently approximately 280 cities out of housing compliance, and they're way overdue on their timetable. And so they're all fearful of this hammer coming down, um, which is this builder's remedy, and so that's why it's the issue. It, it, you know, quite frankly, it's the state that's causing all these problems because they create these, these onerous laws with three unreasonable time frames. Now there's 280, you know, 280 non-compliant cities represents almost 60% of the cities in the state of California are non-compliant, yet Huntington Beach is being picked on. So, yes, the HAA has been around for decades. Why is this coming up now? Because we're, we're the focus of enforcement while the other 281 cities aren't. Well, we are passing an ordinance that goes against state law. That would be a reason to pick on us, potentially, but thank you. We're not alone. What about Encinitas? So Encinitas has been going back and forth, right, for a couple of years. I don't, the picked on thing, let's not get into that, because it's, it's, oh, I don't. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. 280 cities getting a pass. The it's been moved, it's been seconded. Clerk, call the roll. Could I make um, just a, a friendly request for amending the, um, the second um, recommended action? Could we change it to say approve for introduction? Because right now it just says approve the ordinance, and I'd just like the record to know this is the introduction of the ordinance. Yep. Is that fine with everybody? Yep. All right, I'll make that correction. All right, Councilmember Kalmick? Nay. Mosher? Nay. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Aye. McKeon? Aye. Bolton? No. Burns? Aye. All right, the item passes for introduction. I'd like to read the title of Ordinance 4285, an ordinance of the City Council of the City of Huntington Beach, amending Chapter 202.04 of the Huntington Beach Zoning and Subdivision Ordinance, prohibiting builder's remedy applications, zoning text amendment number 23-001. Okay, members, we're moving on to file item 17. Assistant, Senator, Assistant City Manager Hopkins, please introduce your item. Seventeen. Feedback Main Street Redevelopment Project. Chris Casanova. Oh, I'm sorry. Staff. Your name is on here, so I apologize. I put your name in the script, Travis. I apologize. Thank you, Travis. He's like, not me. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. My Thank bad. you for, yeah. Thank you, Travis. Thank you for being here. Yes. Good evening, Mayor and members of the City Council. The item before you tonight provides an overview of the additional community feedback received for the Main Street Redevelopment Project. 
For background, here's a timeline of events beginning with the July 2020 closure of the second block, which was in response to the pandemic. From there, permanent design options for Main Street were evaluated, and the PAZA scheme was selected to further research and design. Most recently, the project was paused to solicit additional community feedback, and on March 1st, the second block reopened to vehicular traffic. Since the project inception, staff has conducted a series of outreach efforts with business owners, property owners, residents, Visit Huntington Beach, and the Downtown Business Improvement District. This slide here depicts the story sessions, the pop-up booth at Surf City Nights, the walkabouts on Main Street, and the recap meeting. Over 200 community members participated and provided their input. Pursuant to Council's recent direction, staff collected additional feedback. Business and property owners on the first three blocks of Main Street, most directly affected by the street's form and function, were targeted via mail, email, and in-person visits. A short online survey was provided to these stakeholders to collect their feedback, and a meeting was held, which provided an overview of the design options being considered. Additionally, staff from Economic Development, Police, and Public Works visited businesses to invite them to the meeting, encourage them to complete the survey, and listen to their comments and answer questions. Out of approximately 80 businesses and 24 property owners, there were 46 survey responses, which represented 36 businesses, six property owners, and four that are both business and property owners. Seven are located on the first block, 24 on the second block, and 15 on the third block. This represents a 50% response rate for businesses and 42% for property owners. For added context, the second block has the most businesses, some owners have a larger physical footprint than others, and some represent more than one interest. When asked whether Main Street should be re-envisioned, 76% responded that they desire to see enhancements, and 24% said they preferred to keep it as is. However, some of the respondents who selected as is indicated improvements they'd like to see in their comments. Of the 76% who said yes, they were then asked to consider the following design options. 43% selected the plaza design, which envisions a public plaza on the second block with a zero curb and the ability to close the block to vehicular travel, as well as streetscape improvements to Main Street. 6% selected the one-way flex street, which reconfigures all three blocks to one-way traffic with a pedestrian promenade on the street's northern side, as well as streetscape improvements to Main Street. 37% selected the enhanced streetscape design, which provides streetscape improvements identified in the downtown specific plan, such as increased sidewalk widths, enhanced pavement, lighting, landscaping, public art, and street furniture. And 14% selected other, which included a variety of comments and design upgrades. Of those that desired to see enhancements, when asked if they'd like to see Main Street closed to vehicular traffic, the most popular response was the 200 block closed permanently. The second most popular response was to keep it open and only close for events. Respondents were also given an opportunity to provide general comments, which are included as a part of attachment five to the staff report. And a lot of comments received were consistent with previous outreach efforts, which led to a list of suggested improvements and design ideas. You can see some examples on the slide here for enhancing the downtown experience. 
Most of these improvements can be applied in some form independent of a design selection. In summary, there appears to be consensus for city investment aimed at improving safety, cleanliness, lighting, connectivity, and beautification. Tonight's recommendation is to receive and file the additional stakeholder feedback and to provide direction on next steps, including which design option, if any, to pursue. Thank you. That concludes my staff report. Staff is available to answer any questions. Any members have any questions? Move. Okay. It's been moved. Sorry, so, so I just want to be clear uh, to receive um, as requested the feedback and file and file. Okay, I just want to be clear. Okay, so receive on file. It's been moved. Do I hear a second? I'll second that. And seconded by. Councilman McKeon. Mr. Mayor, um, are we going to give staff any feedback tonight? Is that, there's no discussion of, of that? We're going to, that's part B. Yeah. No, I, I mean, we, we could. Um, okay, I'm just asking if anybody. No, no, if I mean, any, yeah. that's why I was asking what the specific motion was. Um, I, I, if I might, uh, I, I'll suggest that we um, get this. It's, a, it's a, a late hour, and then maybe we could all have discussions with staff and then figure out what our recommendation would be uh, maybe in the next next council meeting. That would be my recommendation. Unless you have a, a motion, but that, I believe the motion was to do just that, correct? I, I, I just heard receive and file without any Receive and file, and my, my understanding is receive and file means that then we come back at a, a future time to discuss what we wanna do with Main Street. What, what, next council meeting or? I mean, we're the housing elements on the next council meeting, so. I mean, so I mean, yeah, I mean, we can move it uh, to the next council meeting, or we can do it uh, in in a month. I mean, I I prefer it. I mean, we've, I don't know. I think we've all met with staff and had a lot of um, uh, of input from folks. I mean, we could at least get staff moving on something so we could have something to talk about. I don't know if anybody's. It sounds like not everyone's ready to vote on on what like some staff direction well, here. I'll I'll speak for myself. Yeah. I'm not ready to vote uh, anything permanent uh, in terms of Main Street. I, I would like to uh, go down a little bit more individually sure. and start talking, uh, again, re-engaged uh, a lot of the folks on Main Street as well. So I I, I, I will tell you, me publicly, I would support uh, Mr. Burns' motion at this time. Well, I mean, so we should come back in a month then? It's, what's today? Seventh, so first meeting in April then? Yeah. Okay. Can I say something? Yeah, please. Thank please. you. I just don't know why we're not continuing this conversation this evening. They've done the work. They've done the um, engagement. We could at least have a conversation here. We don't have to make any decisions. Um, we do have an ad hoc committee mm -hmm. that it has was created. Um, the previous council had one. This council has one, and it hasn't met. Um, I think that there's an opportunity to have a public conversation and discussion um, this evening and just to kind of see where we're, where we're moving. Um, of course, we can speak with staff afterwards, perhaps even bring it back to the ad hoc committee to try to move things forward. I am concerned that, that we keep delaying this, um, you know, over and over again. Um, you know, if we do make a decision to, um, to move forward with something, 
there's really a limited amount of time in the year that we're able to actually do that as far as construction and things like that, making an assumption that we will move forward with something. Um, so I think it's important that we at least kind of get things Yeah, I mean, I have a thought on a substitute motion. Um, because it seems like the only majority consensus in the community is that they want some upgrades. So I would like to direct staff to do further research with the businesses on what those upgrades would be to include, you know, removing the planters and the fountain to prevent vagrancy, rodent protection devices for the palm trees, more frequent tree trimming and power washing, lighting and signage upgrades, uh, connectivity path to Pacific City, um, I'd also like accurate numbers on the annual parking meter revenue that was lost and expected to return once the meters are put back in place. Um, and then lastly, we should start the process of understanding the requirements for the, the new permits the California Coastal Commission and ABC will be implementing later this year. So is that enough for you guys to kind of get the ball, ball moving? I'll second that motion. I think that that I mean it's that's part of it, but yeah. I think the larger discussion on the permitting outdoor because I think there's a piece if you decide to go uh, with outdoor dining, right? Then you're, there's a price per square footage that offsets the parking revenue. Right. Um, I don't think I think the ABC permits and the coastal stuff is all moot um, since it, we don't have anything out there. It would all be under a new coastal development permit with a new downtown specific plan uh, amendment, likely. Right. Um, so we're talking a while to get something back out. If we started today, right? We have to it would be a minor, minor, semi-minor, major amendment to the downtown specific plan. Yes, it appears that we'd be amending it, and uh, whether it's minor or major, it would need to go to the coastal commission. Right. So it's. I mean, we're talking year. We're we're, we're out of months now into the year. Yeah. So. Well, well, I can add one thing. Uh, apologies for interrupting, but we could take the architectural. I talked to Ursula about this. The architectural survey that was done, and then we we can ascertain the physical dimensions of Main Street to see if we can flip the sidewalk to the outside and then have room for the outdoor patios adjacent to the restaurants while keeping the street open to vehicles. Right. So something we can look at as well to kind of jump on it. I mean, at least, I mean, we're gathering data that we, I, I just don't want to backtrack on anything. Like if we're doing data, like if we're gathering data, like let's keep moving the ball down the court. I mean, I, I think it sounds like we're never going to come, I mean, it, it was, you brought up a point, I think at the first meeting on council, right? We're going to try to get consensus downtown. You read all the reports from 20 years ago. We're having the same conversation with the same people. Uh, some of them, some of some people have moved a little bit, and I admit I've moved on the issue too, right? Like I, um, I think I'm the only person that had a that grew up in a family that had a business on Main Street uh, in Seal Beach for 50 years, and so I know what that off season looks like when there's nobody walking down the street. Um, but I've shifted, right? We saw two years of the street closed, and we got emails. I think I'm a few on both sides, but mostly it's businesses that don't want that want to see either status quo because that's how they, that they know um but our residents i think love it right and even in 2001 the 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 uh merchants association at the time not the bid said that well of course all the residents love it any decision we make is going to have winners and losers and i think that hedging that or weighing the needs of the community versus the needs of the downtown businesses are going to be very very important you know i i i think that there's some planning to be done but i mean again if we look at this i think objectively we want to make sure we can not, we're not spending waste we're not wasting money we also need to understand what our budget looks like right. all the discussion before was like well redevelopment will pay for it well that's not that's not a thing anymore uh it sounds like we, we do have a chunk of arpa money set aside but i think the recurring costs of maintaining this are what is missing and i don't know um what that looks like there's some ideas you know i think um bob Bowen brought up a p-bid uh, property uh, business improvement district as opposed to the business um, businesses that are there. Um, 
relinquishing the right of way, right? There's a larger discussion about that that allows it to privatize the street, and therefore um, you can inf you can move some folks along that you wouldn't necessarily want want there. Um, uh, con connectivity to Pacific City, I think, is something that I'll, we can all agree on. But I, I think that um, it, I don't know. I mean, I think it, I think Mayor Pro Tem Vandermark brought up: Do we go to a vote of the people? And I think we potentially put this on the ballot for March of 24 and ask folks two questions. I think the first question is, should we close Main Street? Um, it should be closed all of Main Street, first through third block, and should we close or just close the second block to vehicular traffic? Um, and that doesn't, maybe seasonally, right? I think, you know, the off seasons, I think, are still going to be tough. I think you know, Mr. Boland brought pictures down saying Main Street's thriving and all I see is empty restaurants. Um, so I don't know. I think, I think the folks, and I think it's, we've got some data now. Um, I think it's been a, a long time uh, coming that we actually had two good years of data uh, in a hodgepodge manner. And I think we all agree that there were problems, right? And I think no one disagrees that those problems are, um, are things that uh, we, can, we can fix those problems instead of um, going back to nothing. So, um, you know, I would like to see the second block closed personally. Um, I think it, I, but I think, and maybe one weighing some of the other streets, I think that would look um, and, and work properly. But I think that flex street where, yeah, we can drive traffic down it in the winter and uh, and put put some parking spots back or or you know whatever I think we've seen the designs for that so, but I think again I don't think the businesses are ever going to agree I think it's going to be this fifty you know sixty forty that flips every ten years, um, you know but the residents are the ones that that we need down there in the off season when our tourists aren't here, and so. You know, I, I would be w willing to wait on the what the residents want uh, more than what the businesses want downtown, but also you know, obviously trying to make it less worse downtown, like less worse for the businesses, right? If we have something like, how do we try to bring everybody along, but we're, we're never going to bring 100%. So, um, you know, I'd like to see this. I think we can put an advisory vote on the May 24 ballot. In the meantime, we could figure out all the other things and then come back from that. I'd also like to see the high schools involved because they're, they're going to have to live with it longer than a lot of the folks that vote. So, um, you know, I think involving the high school district in that and putting that through the 9 through 12 as a survey, an official survey, because the advisory vote obviously will exempt, they, they can't vote, um, to see kind of, and I, I think that along with some polling would probably get us a good picture of what a, more of a 50-50 split. So that would be kind of my, my idea would be to um, continue working on this um, and uh, actually, I'll make the substitute motion. So I'll make the substitute motion to continue working uh, on all the, on the things that don't backtrack us on anything, understanding street widths, all of that, um, bringing the, kicking it back to the uh, ad hoc or the, the Main Street Committee, uh, and then putting it on the ballot, uh, putting an advisory vote with those two questions on the ballot. So whichever one has the most votes, if, it, if both of them pass, wins uh, for the March, or the next consolidated election, we'll, we'll say. That'll be my motion. I'd second that. Yeah, I'm not comfortable moving moving to put something on the ballot right now. I think this is too important that we have to get it right. I don't, I don't see the rush to do it. I think there's enough here on the majority wanting to upgrade the Main Street that we could go with my motion that I that Tony seconded uh, to have staff come back with those upgrades. Um, so I'm not going to so, vote for it. So, well, Madam Clark, okay, so we have a motion by Mr. Kalmick, a second by... A substitute motion. Yeah, it's a substitute substitute motion there's right. been three motions mm -hmm. well the first one was by mr burns that was yes the second one by mr mccann who as i understand it only moved item a which right. was receiving just file. to receive right so the first one's mr burns second one's uh mr mccann third one by mr kalmick mr kalmick has his motion and and uh, miss moser second uh, mr uh, mccann has his my second all right so that's what i was going to ask because Burns had McKeon second the, the first motion, and then McKeon 
We'll see how these Mod- votes. I thought modified. We might Mr. not have Burns. to go to Burns's because the way the parliament. I thought he proceeded. modified it by by agreeing to list I, I, what he I, would recommend. I didn't, I didn't hear Mr. Burns drop that motion. So the way Bye. parliamentary procedure works is you go for the first substitute, the substitute motion that's Second. most recent. Then you go in coercion. And so by the time we get to Mr. Burns, we might not have to deal All with right. that motion. Well, I'm just saying I didn't hear anybody All say right. substitute except okay. Council Member Campbell. No, actually, Mr. McKeon said substitute motion. He, Mr. McKeon did say substitute motion to uh, Mr. Burns' substitute, uh, his original motion. So anyways, um, Madam Clerk, call the roll on Mr. Kalmick's motion. Do you want his, to, his was to file to it and, then file. Put, and go to a vote uh, the next uh, election. He said uh, continue um, with working, uh, on the, working with the Main Street Committee. The main, the down, the, the down, or, yeah, the Main Street Committee that's set up um, to develop plans, right. can you move the ball forward in, in doing all the different research pieces that move us forward without making a total decision yet, and That's right. moving the ball along, and putting it on the ballot. And then to put it on the next consolidated election, consolidated election that, and that would be in 2024. Correct. So it's not I don't have the date, but... It's Mar- March something, 24. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. All right. And that was seconded, so we'll go ahead and vote. On that one. All on right. that motion. On the substitute motion, Councilmember Kalmick. Aye. Mosier? No. Strickland? No. McKeon? No. Bolton? Aye. Burns? No. All right, the motion fails. Okay, the motion fails. Now we go to Mr. McKeon's uh, motion. Do you want me to repeat it? Yeah, well, you have a long list of items, right. so so you can repeat if you'd like, and then we will tie it up in the minutes, but right. does staff I don't, understand? I don't, ha- I don't have to if you, unless you need me to. I don't, I don't think we need okay, you to. Okay, perfect. I think it's. I think staff understands you provided a list, okay. and that was in addition to receive and file. Yes, correct. Correct. All right. So uh, we'll go ahead and vote on that motion. Kalmick. Pass. Mosier. Pass. Vandermark. Yes. Strickland. Aye. McKeon. Aye. Bolton. No. Burns. Aye. All right, Mr. Kalmick. Aye. Mosier. Aye. All right. So then the item passes uh, 6-1. Councilmember Bolton voting no. 6-1. So I assume, Mr. Burns, you'll drop the original motion. Okay. Thank you. All right. We're done with file item number 17. Members, now we're on file item 18. Uh, This is a measure by Councilmember Kalmick. Uh, Please introduce your item. Yeah, my screen's got a voting screen on it. I'm waiting for it. Yeah, mine does too. <laughs> All right. Um, I brought this item forward as a um, uh, in response to the letter we received from HCD uh, threatening suit, in addition to uh, some communications that I've gotten from residents that were halfway through processing their ADU application uh, within the city um, and were basically denied. Um, denied that right to, to continue their, um, their project. So um, based on the fact that earlier tonight we did not um, move forward with processing, um, or excuse me, did not move forward with lawsuits on SB 10 or uh, ADU law, um, that uh, we direct staff to continue processing SB 9 law applications, which we don't have any, uh, but continue processing those ADU applications because I have a feeling some folks are uh, we got some kind of heart-wrenching things where folks wanted to drop, you know, they're moving their father in or their, their mother into uh, 
and taken out loans and paid taxes on, on grants, uh, the Cal HFA um, grant, for instance. And so my, my, I would move to direct the city manager to go ahead and continue processing SB9 type uh, subdivision applications and ADU applications, um, which we had uh, paused on for the last uh, two weeks. Councilmember Kalmick. I, I'll make a substitute motion, but I think we should just take this up on the next meeting on the 21st, because as you mentioned earlier, I understand planning staff is coming back with the proposed update to the housing element. And that way we'll get the planning department's thoughts on how these applications impact RENA and the housing element approval and the proper process for the community. So I, I, I think it's just cleaner that way. It's only two weeks, so you know, I, I would make a substitute motion that we just table us to the 21st and let them give us the proper process. It's, it's been moved by Mr. McKeon, seconded by Mr. Burns. I, I mean, I would say that because we're not litigating uh, on ADUs or uh, that we continue processing. Now we're just sitting out in the middle of nowhere for two weeks and we've got people that are paying debt service. I mean, that's, that's the issue is that folks, we pulled the rug out on a bunch of folks. There's a hundred applications in process current and there's a bunch of people walking them in. Um, and we have, I've got letters saying their architect came down and we've got one, actually we got one earlier tonight yeah. um, and that they can't do anything for it. So why not continue processing those applications um, while yeah. while we're while we're there, like two more weeks is could be a lot of money to some people, and the fact that we really didn't give anybody notice when we did this. I mean, there's not a scourge of ADUs in this city. No, I know. I just I just think it's clear this way, like to have have staff walk through that process and not have any what process when they're going to come back with my understanding proposed updates to the housing element, and then how these applications will impact Rena and the housing element approval. And at that point, I think it's cleaner just to handle it then. I, and, I, don't understand how that impacts our current rules on ADUs, like with how ADUs impact RENA and all of that. Like that's since we're not going to litigate, um, ADUs are part of our housing element, um, and so we, we, in order to certify, we've got either we remove ADUs from it and got to find 500 and something more units. But in the meantime, for ADU laws, I mean, we've been we've been processing ADUs for 30 years in this city. Um, and so currently we don't have good staff direction on that. So to wait two more weeks and then have staff give us, a, we have a process in place. People have, we got a hundred in the pipeline. So I, 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 I just think I, it's cleaner in two weeks. I mean, I don't, I don't. How I don't, is it cleaner? Because this is all going to come like globally together through the housing element and it's gonna, this whole ADU process. And you ADU know. process is established law on the books. We've been doing it for well, I understand. Years. I'm yeah. talking about through, through how it affects Rena. So again, I made a substitute motion. I think we should just wait in two weeks to the 21st. It'll be cleaner this way instead of just like, stamping it out and, and, you know, I guess micromanaging it. That's my That's, motion. I, I just think, I, th I think it's clear. They're gonna, we're going to have a global discussion from staff and they're going to direct us on how to do this. So that's my motion. I have a comment. So because of the fairness issues, I think we may, we may be buying ourselves another problem. So yeah, pulling the rug out from under people, that's a good description of what has happened. I think many of us have gotten phone calls from residents asking what's going on with ADUs. If we're not going to sue, then what is the purpose of not processing the applications? And we've got the same language in this, um, uh, the prior um, H item that we did with, um, you know, the processing, like what is processing? We put out a press release that said we're not going to process or we're not going to accept any more ADU applications, period, full stop. Why would we do this? Why would we do residents like this? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I just, I, this doesn't make any sense to me. Why, why are we stopping this? 
what is the basis for stopping the processing of ADUs? We are not going to sue. So what is our basis for saying we're not going to, somebody's going to sue us for a due process violation, and, the, and there's no need for any of this. From what I understand, they are processing the ones that have been fi filed and in the permit process. They're not going to accept any new ones. And that's part of the resistance of the state overreach that is trying to ruin this city with overbuilding single-family residential neighborhoods being built upon against somebody's, they invested in a single-family residential neighborhood, and now they're being, because Sacramento thinks they can tell us how to zone our properties, how we can, they can override and just undo these. It's criminal to me, and it's another one of these, yeah, uh, you guys have to wear a mask, but I don't, and that's that whole Sacramento attitude that we can't, I know I've talked to a lot of neighborhoods, I mean neighbors, that they are absolutely 100% an ADU going into their neighborhood because it does affect the quality of life in those neighborhoods. I saw the great effects of all that stuff in Long Beach when I was a cop, and I don't want to see it in Long Beach, and I definitely don't want to see it to the people we serve in this community. Again, community service instead of self-service or Sacramento service. And we need to resist it in any way we can. And if we have to wait two weeks to get a little more information from uh, uh, the building, that's no problem with me. So we're saying that we don't want ADUs at all? Is that, is that what we're doing? I sure don't want Sacramento telling us how to rezone our neighborhoods from single-family residential to, oh, granny flats, where a lot of these people are just going to put in apartments and rent it out openly. It, it, they, can, they can give their grandma or whatever a room in the house, but like I did. I mean, that's where my mother-in-law stayed, and it, I had no problem with it. But to, it changes the dynamics of neighborhoods with ADUs put in them. And it's overbuilding. There's neighborhoods that they're pro appropriate for. They are, there are neighborhoods, and they're zoned that by our zoning. And I don't think we should be mandated by the state if we choose to change our zoning. That's fine, but not by the state. The state should respect that we can govern ourselves and that we can control our zoning ourselves. And for them to overreach, and like Casey said before, Marin County is exempt from all this. And st it's, it's inappropriate, and it's overreach that we shouldn't tolerate or be victimized by. If I might... If I might ask uh, our, our um, Ursula Luna uh, Reynosa, how, how many, I mean, because in the last hearing, uh, we said we had zero of these, SB9. you know, SB9, yeah, but anyways, I, how many are in the process now, um, what, what's it look like right now at the right. city? Thank you, Mayor Strickland. Uh, we currently have... I will I briefly want to describe the process. So somebody for ADUs, they have to come in and pull a ministerial building permit. So they submit for plan check. So that is where folks are looking to see if this complies with the California Building Code. Prior to that, they would have hired a design professional. They would have drawn up plans. They would have spent money on these plans. We have people coming in indicating that they've either received loans or grants. But 
What's in plan check, there are 100 being processed right now in plan check. We are continuing to process those because they have already a vested interest in submitting through this ministerial process. We have not been accepting the new applications. However, we are getting daily people coming in who've already spent money on plans, have loans, et cetera, who are um, upset and disappointed. Well, um, it, if I might, and again, uh, I'm just asking the question. Yeah. Um, if we can move forward on the 100 that have the plan check, and then from that point, we don't accept any new ones until we have the new hearing two weeks from now. Would, would the membership be okay with that? Well, we are already no. doing that. Okay. Yes. So I move that we do that, um, that we go forward on the 100 that are in the plan check right now. We don't do anything new until we have the two-week uh, hearing um, moving forward. It, is, it, is that amenable? Yeah. Yeah, that's what was going okay. on now. All right. So that way we have staff direction on the 100 that are in the plan check process right now. Oh, go um, ahead, Council. I don't think we need to make a motion to do that because it's already what's happening, right, number one. Um, two, you know. Hold on, hold on. If it's already happening, then what's the problem? I mean, no, no, if it's already happening, hold on. If it's already happening, what's the problem? Is that happening today? Correct, yes. After the last direction from the city council, there right. were conversations with the city attorney's office and these applications that already are in right. for plan check, we are required to process okay, them. And that's so fantastic then. Then, then we should have no problem of what people on this diet said in terms of people who are in the middle of their process and now will sue the city because they're in the middle of their process. So we, we don't have that problem then. Well, we don't need that. People who have forward. already expended funds and are wanting to submit could still sue the city. Okay. So, okay. So what we'll end up. Can I make a comment? Yeah. Go ahead. Thank Go you. Ahead. Um, yeah, so that was the point, number one, is that the, um, the ones that were in process will continue to process. Um, currently, there's a moratorium on new items coming in, but those people might have already spent money. Um, and so that's what we were concerned about, was um, allowing people to come in right now and actually start the ministerial building permit process. Um, since we're not going to be suing, which we discussed earlier tonight. Um, essentially, this is a customer service issue. Um, we're here to serve the residents of Huntington Beach. This is presently the law. Um, we could be um, uh, exposed, basically, to uh, legal issues because of not doing this for the next two weeks. All we have to do is say, let's follow the law and the, as it exists, not as the H item that um, was an idea that the next day put a moratorium in on um, proceeding with ADUs. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say was, uh, you know, there's this discussion again about overreach um, from the governor, and essentially I feel like this is city council overreach. Um, you were literally telling people, not in your backyard. No, you can't put your grandma, <laughs> you can't build for your grandma in your backyard. You need to put her in a room in your house. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me, and that's not the law that we have on the books. Um, and I think that, as we discussed before, we, um, you know, uh, this is just, it's, it's illegal for us to be proceeding, or, excuse me, it's potentially exposing us to litigation 
or liability if we proceed this way. And if in two weeks we move forward with the housing element, um, you know, yeah, we'll talk about ADUs and everything else at that time. But in the meantime, it's a customer service issue. I think we should just proceed um, with Councilmember Kalmick's item and uh, just accept ADU applications for the next two weeks. That's okay. it. Okay. Uh, what I would like to ask, is if, if everybody's concerned about the litigation uh, and exposure, I would like to ask our city attorney, what would it be our exposure to waiting two weeks um, in terms of litigation? Well, it's all about balancing risk, right? And I, I don't know that two weeks presents much of a risk of legal exposure. It's, it's hard to anticipate you know, what the vote's going to be in two weeks. But um, two weeks in the grand scheme of things is, presents a low risk. Um, I, and I do, I do want to clear something up uh, by way of getting a question answered because I don't, I don't think the previous H item comes even close to a moratorium. Um, the previous H item gave direction to stop processing or not process new ADU applications pursuant or under state law, theoretically, and this is the question I have for the planning director. Theoretically, somebody could come in and say, I want to process it under our local zoning instead. I don't know if that's accurate or not, which is why I'm looking to see if there's a distinction there that can be made and appreciated. Uh, maybe there isn't, but um, it's the way the H item was worded, it, it was not worded as a, as a moratorium. I just want to make that clear. Well, I can tell you. Um with a fairly high level of certainty, but I'd really have to go back and look that I doubt any of those 100 applications comply with our ordinance on the books. Um, so we probably would not be processing any of those 100 applications under our ordinance that's on the books. But if somebody wanted to come in with a new application and process under our ordinance on the books, theoretically that's possible? Yes. Okay. Well, that's what I was going to say earlier. I mean, you beat me to it, but like you said, Burns H item did not prevent AD applications under city zoning. It only requested staff not process AD applications pursuant under state law. How is anybody going to know that? How is anybody going to know that they need to come in and ask for it to be processed under uh, city ordinance rather than state law? Watch council well, and the state law specifically says that it supersedes any local ordinance. So the design professionals are not looking at city's local ordinances. They are just looking at state law, and they are designing ADUs pursuant to state law. Saying is, if someone comes in with just an application, and we presume that it's being processed under state law because state law preempts local law, how, people are expecting that their applications are being processed in accordance with state law. I don't know. So we're saying that in order for them to get their application processed for whatever, however long this period is going to last, they have to know that they need to come in and insert these additional words. I want my pro uh, application processed in accordance with local law. Well, in Councilmember Bolton, my question was meant for some level of precision. It wasn't meant to debate the merits of the policy direction by council. I just think that coming to... Um, legal conclusions out here like saying this is a moratorium um, and putting that out there and on the record when technically it's not correct I'm just looking for the precision y you can debate the merits but, of plus I, I asked the question about exposure because that was uh, something that a lot of the members on this uh, council were talking about and that's why I want to ask you as our city attorney what the exposure was yeah and I think from individuals the only the only 
way the city would have exposure is if uh, somebody who currently has an application and process who invested a large amount of money and who arguably is vested, they may be able to articulate that if that application was no longer processed, they were sustaining a loss. I say they may be able to articulate it. They may not be able to. They may not have a colorable claim, but it's possible that they may be able to, but that's not what we're doing. Those are still moving forward. So I, I, so I have a larger question in that then. So we currently have ADU law on our books. First law was passed in 1997, last updated in 2016. My question, you seem, Mr. Bernstein, to be against ADUs in totality. No, no, no. I, but I, I, okay, so because you, you, you refer the rhetoric you used in some circumstance. So our current, our current code, 230.10, which is for ADUs, you're completely fine with our local code that we've instituted for that. Because what I see as is the issue is that we have a process for repealing our zoning code or cha making changes to our zoning code. It requires a public hearing. We didn't have a public hearing for effectively stopping processing because the city put out in, I guess, conjunction with staff, put out a memo said, we're not, we're not accepting any ADU applications. We didn't stipulate we're only accepting ADU applications under city law versus state law. The item before us right now remedies any ambiguity in this issue, right? And we can't, I mean, if, since we're not going to litigate with the state, we're asking the state to litigate against us effectively. Because if we, we've gotten a notice of violation, uh, but we are currently in violation of state law uh, by, not allowing uh, ADUs and, and SB9. And what type of zoning, I'm sorry? Um, okay, um, so I've got, I just, yeah. I mean, they put three ADUs in my neighborhood. They look fine. They provide housing for folks. So, I, I mean, I don't know if you've got a bad one in your neighborhood or, but we've gotten literally in the 12 years I've been on involved in the direct planning and city government side have not had a single email, I think, on AD, anyone complaining about ADUs going in their neighborhood. The only emails we got are, how do I get ADUs? I'd like to move my family in or provide multi-generational housing. Um, so I don't, I don't know why this is, I don't know where this is coming from. Like, I haven't seen a large uprising in the anti-ADU movement or the anti-ADU league showing up here at council meetings. So uh, again, like, I, I think that this, item tonight before us uh, remedies an issue, remedies the issue that we have to reply to the state by tomorrow and tell them how we're going to fix this. And I don't see how we've told them how we're going to fix this. I understand, but again, I, I, my motion was just that we just take this up in, at the next meeting on the 21st. And it's been moved and seconded by Mr. Burns. Um, clerk, call the roll. All right, so we're just tabling and we're going to go ahead and postpone this and put it on the next agenda. As is, I'm a bit no, confused no, the, by I, that. I believe, I believe the motion was, um, go ahead, you said the motion. I don't want to tell you. Yeah, I'm not tabling this, this H item. I'm just, my motion is that we take this issue up on the 21st um, when the planning staff will come back with proposed updates to the housing element. So basically, yeah. is that no action? I, Correct. The same subject matter's already been noticed for the next meeting. Yeah. So right. it doesn't require the H item. Right, so. So the subject matter is within uh, the, the larger uh, discussion that we're gonna have in the next council meeting. All right. Yeah, uh, I guess unless proper protocols, yeah. Until the next meeting, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. 
That's, that was my question, yeah, meaning so we, you're going to bring it back as is? If we table so. the item indefinitely, I think is what you're looking for. Because if we table it for the next meeting, then we have to address the item at the next, the actual agenda right. item at the next meeting. Right. And for, for, for the record, nothing's been done on this H item yet. The re, there's a recommended action. Right. Um, and so you don't agree with the recommended right. action. Right. That's what I'm saying. Then, and there's yeah. no motion to approve the recommended there action was, yet. There was a motion. No, oh, no. Motion yeah, in okay. Well, I made a motion, but they said it wasn't necessary, so I dropped that motion. So, so, um, so Calvin uh, made a motion. I think motion seconded yeah. it. So. so, so we'll just do the original motion of um, the item that's before us, uh, but uh, Council Member uh, Kalmick and seconded by Mosier, and we'll call the vote on that. All right, okay. there we go. All right, let's go ahead and, and vote. Council Member Kalmick. Aye. Mosier. Aye. Vandermark. No. Strickland. No. McKeon. No. Bolton. Aye. Burns. No. All right, the item fails. Thank you. Members, uh, it's time to adjourn. Uh, do I hear a motion to adjourn? A motion. Moved. Second. It's been seconded. Uh, the next regular scheduled meeting of the Huntington Beach City Council Public Financing Authority is Tuesday, March 21st, 2023.